decentralized broadcast network with no governing body of any kind and is produced and distributed by a loosely affiliated ever-growing network of rogue independent content creators this forum does not will not and shall not have any one location rss feed platform or channel but shall be shared and multiplied as nature dictates WTF Forum. The hosts do not give financial, legal, medical, or any kind of advice. Opinions are their own. This broadcast contains foul language and dangerous ideas. If you need a trigger warning, you are in the wrong place. Now enjoy the show. Of Lockheed Martin. I just want to give my condolences to both sides of this conflict. What's happening in the Middle East is tragic, and I fear that it'll be tragically pricey as well. It's an elastic band. Weapons aren't cheap, and I really wish we could help you with a deal. We would if we could, you know that. You know, honestly, I wish you didn't even have to be buying this stuff from us. You know, in a perfect world, I'd stop production today. Peace on earth. Did you tell them to stop sending me 20s? Like, and I wish we lived in a world where weapons just grew on trees. But unfortunately, we live in this world where they're extremely pricey. Listen, because I like the parties involved in this is a terrible situation. For a limited time, I'm going to be offering buy a thousand, get one, seven percent off. You know, you're killing me here. They don't want me to do this. There's a fucking five in here. What are they doing? Did you know that it's illegal to say I want to kill the president of the United States of America? It's illegal. <laughs> the only sentences that you're not allowed to say. And it was okay for me to say it right then because I was just telling you that it's illegal to say I want to kill the president of the United States of America. I'm not actually saying it. I'm just letting you know that it's illegal to say that. It's kind of like a public service. I'm letting you know so that you don't accidentally go out and say something like that. Um, but what's interesting is that it's, it's very illegal to say, I really, really think someone out there should kill the president of the United States of America. That's illegal, extremely illegal, very, very illegal, but not illegal to say with a mortar launcher because that's its own sentence it's an incomplete sentence but it may have nothing to do with the sentence before that so 
that's perfectly fine, perfectly legal. I also found out that it's incredibly illegal, extremely illegal to go on television and say something like the best place to fire a mortar launcher at the White House would be from the roof of the Rockefeller Hewitt building because of minimal security and you'd have a clear line of sight to the president's bedroom. Insanely illegal ridiculously, recklessly, insanely illegal, yet even more illegal to show an illustrated diagram. Look at that. Oh, they do that on purpose? Are they friend or foe? I don't know, I actually felt good. I felt water on my face. I said, where the hell is that? They may be doing that on purpose. Let's find out if they're friend or foe. And if they're foe, let's take care of those son of a bitches. Look at that. Dr. Fauci wants to listen to Dr. Fauci. And don't forget, Dr. Fauci, what he said is, no, no, don't close it to China. I said, I'm sorry, doctor, you're a wonderful man. And he is a nice man. You're a wonderful man. I'm closing it. I saved thousands of lives. He admitted that two months later, two months later. And Dr. Fauci said, don't put on masks. Don't put, you see the thing. And now he says, put on masks. And they say, you know, he's a wonderful guy. And he is a wonderful guy. I like him. He just happens to have a very bad arm. <laughs> he has a bad arm. He's a corrupt, he's a corrupt politician. You see it. Now they say the laptop, Schiff, watermelon head, Schiff. That laptop was produced by Russia. Here we go again. Russia, Russia, Russia. Here we go again. Can you imagine what they must think of it? These people are crazy. They used to write nothing about me. Now I average probably about four or five stories a day on the front page. Someday they're going to give me a good one. Watch. It might be tomorrow. Why you held on to those documents when you knew the federal government was seeking them and then had given you a subpoena to return them. Are you them. ready? Are you ready? Can I talk? Yeah, what's you the mind? answer? Can I, do you mind? I would like for you to answer the question. Okay, it's very simple to That's answer. That's why I asked it. It's very simple to, you're a nasty person, I'll tell you. <laughs> Can you answer why you, why you held on to the documents? I was negotiating and we were talking to. <laughs> Biden, because he can't find his way off the stage, as you all know. He makes a speech that lasts usually about a minute and a half because the octane starts to wear off at a quick <laughs> You ever notice he starts off strong within about two minutes, he can't talk anymore. And then he walks off. You ever notice he always goes like this? <laughs> then he comes back up to the mic and he's looking, he's totally lost. There's stairs all over the place. He can go there, there, here. He could jump off the front of the damn plot. But he always... He always goes like this. 
head. It's like your finger on a basketball. Some of these guys, they spin it. No, no, he's a terrible guy. Guys like Adam Schiff and, you know, Shifty Pencil Neck. Pencil Neck. <laughs> he's a marvel. No, he's a structural marvel. He has a neck. And his head is like a watermelon. And his neck. And how that neck can hold up that big, oversized, ugly head is hard to believe. No, it's true. But this great spirit, you got to go and vote. We got to knock the one off, and then we worry about November, and we're going to win. We're way up on this guy. It's uh, just incredible that he can, frankly, be even running anything. I can't, he can't put two sentences together. He's running. Can't find his way off the stage. See all the stairs around here? How the hell do you not? Where is the stair? He says, where is the stair? To show you how evil the press is, I did this routine where I stumbled and mumbled purposely imitating him. And they put it on. They said, he's cognitively impaired. Then, then I walked back. I'm, I'm looking and I walk. <laughs> and he walks off the stage and he's like. They said it was me. I couldn't find. So I can't use sarcasm because they're very dishonest people. You know, sarcasm is a disaster. Every time I use sarcasm like that, they say, I couldn't find my way off this stage. I got stairs all over. And if you want, it's only about three and a half feet. I could jump off the front. But this guy can't find his way. So sarcasm is a very dangerous thing with, it, with a dishonest press. So, uh, you know, I go through a long story because they actually had me like walking into oh, just oh, it's so sad. I said, do people believe that? And I just took a physical. You'll be happy to hear our great football players going to be happy to hear this. I took a physical and I passed with flying colors and I took a cognitive exam. I said, doctor. Give me anything you want. I want to take it. I think you actually, if you're running for president, I think you should be forced to take it. They say it's not constitutional. So instead of, uh, you know, look, we want, we love our constitution, but look what we have in office. This guy cannot pass a cognitive exam, but I took a cognitive exam and I aced it. He said, I aced it. Thank you very much, doctor. But, and you know who gave me the first time I ever even heard of it? Dr. Ronnie. Do you know Doc Ronnie? He's one of the great congressmen now. Ronnie Jackson. He was the doctor. He's an admiral. Ronnie he was Jackson. A doctor in the White House. He was my doctor. He was Obama's doctor, too, by the way. I said, Who's healthier? He said, Sir, there's no contest. I won't tell you the answer, but you know the answer. Okay, it was me. He said, You're the healthiest guy. He said, If he didn't eat junk food, he'd live to 200 years old. That's my kind of a doctor. But he gave me. At Walter Reed, they gave me a cognitive exam, and uh, I aced it. I actually aced it, got everything right. And I took another one, got everything right. I would know when it's going bad. I would tell you, don't, if it's going bad, I'll be the first to know. You know who would be the first to know? Front Row Joes would be the first to know. They will tell me, they'll say, sir, we love you. We've been here. We've gone to 120 rallies. But, sir, uh, it's time for you to pack it in. And I'd want them. You know what? I'd want them to say that. I'd want them. But I feel that right now I'm sharper than I was 20 years ago. And I don't know why. I don't know why. 
You know, it's a funny thing, and it's a very minor thing, but I'm a much better golfer than I was 10 or 15 years ago. It means something. You know, it means something in a certain way. It means something. No, but I did. I took a physical, passed it. I thought I had an obligation, and I took a cognitive and, and aced it. I, I said, which did I do better on, my physical or my cognitive? He said, actually, sir, your cognitive. And I wasn't sure I was happy about that. He said, your cognitive is incredible. Your cognitive is incredible. What the fuck is going on, everybody? Welcome to the WTF Forum. As usual, I'm Mike the Polymath, Easy Peasy Podcast, and I will send it around the circle to my good friend, Stella Q. Hey, what's up, everyone? Always good to be here. And uh, yeah, he's uh, definitely got a career in comedy ahead, hasn't he? If he doesn't make president. God damn, he's got timing. <laughs> I'm saying. That's oh, brilliant. He's hilarious, man. Entertaining. He's hilarious. Oh, <laughs> God damn it. Aren't they all? I mean, whoever cast these people, right? I tip my hat. <laughs> Drizzle. <laughs> Drizzle. Dude, I would love to have his team of writers. I really would. Because it is hard <laughs> writing comedy. I don't know if like anybody at home's ever tried to do it, but it is not easy. Uh, but I am the Drizzle host of GTW Liberty mm -hmm. Radio. And uh, we're also joined by my good friend, Ashley. Hey, everybody. Happy to be here. It's been um, a couple weeks, so I'm glad to be back with all you fine people. Thank you for that wonderful intro, Drizzle. appreciate it. And now I'm passing it over to Ando. What's up? I'm Ando from Burn Babylon Burn and the Doom Kitchen and mainly the What the Fuck Forum. What's up with all you fuckers? Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, he's hilarious. And I... You know, like you say that he should have a career in stand-up. It, it, you're right. I mean, it's it's he's basically what's happening here is you're seeing an actor making fun of another actor for not being as good of an actor because they're all god actors damn. In That's system. yeah, dude. Well said. Well said. So I did want to ask yesterday on um, X Twitter, I saw that Owen Benjamin had said that Donald Trump was legitimately a good comedian. So I was wondering if you had seen that, if that was what got you, what got you down this particular uh, rabbit hole? No, not quite. Um, it was actually Clint Russell. Clint Russell posted one of these, um, one of these clips on, on Twitter and I commented, uh, I'll see if I can find it, but I thought it was, uh, I thought it was funny. Oh, I, <laughs> here it is. I said, hate to love him or love to hate him. He's got you by the balls either way. <laughs> the orange balls. And then I also said, <laughs> some, some folks just have it. Quote yeah. Unquote. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you heard talk like back months and months and months ago that he could just go up and he would improv. He would just and he would talk to the press or whoever absolutely forever. And then you have Biden who can't even do like a five minute. Like, no, literally nothing that he does is not like it. Everything has a gaffe is what well, I'm trying to say every day. So when I say actor, Biden might not be as good of an actor, but he does have a role to play. And that 
that's what he's here for. There's certain things mm. that Biden can do and get away with that Trump would never be able to do and get away with. Sure. So uh, like y'all know, y'all listen to Monica all the time. She says that, you know, whenever you get gun control, you get it from a Republican. Whenever you you get um, you get abortion bans, you get it from the Democrats. That's how that that kind of thing works. Yeah. And I was actually going to bring Monica up because, see, she was the first one to posit a long, long time ago that Biden was doing this Vinny the Chin routine. Do you remember that? Uh, Stella, her talking about that? Uh, not really. Sorry, to be honest. <laughs> okay, I know well, what anyway, you're talking about, Ash. Yes. Yeah, he was, a, he was a mob boss who would uh, pretend to be senile, even though he wasn't, so that people would just think he was a harmless old man. Oh, right. So see, no, she I mean, had suspected that so long ago. So I can't help but wonder... It, like going back with what Ando was saying, is this part of an act? Is he just acting? Is it even him? We talked about this on uh, Drizzle's show on Friday a little bit. Like who, how many are there? Playing I think there's him? about five. There's there's about two or three Trumps. There's five Bidens. Well, my my point of bringing Trump into it, you know, I, I, saw, I saw these clips starting with what Clint Russell shared and that I, you know, commented on on Twitter. But I, you know, I found myself laughing my ass off at some of this shit that Trump is saying. And I, you know, I started all of a sudden liking the guy and I'm like, oh, well, maybe like that's the objective here. Right. But like it, mm -hmm. it cracks me up. It cracks me up because <laughs> on the WTF forum, we've been going for about a year. Okay. You know, I think I think Ando pointed out, is this our 50th or is the next one? Yes, 50. This is our silver anniversary. This is our our 50th <laughs> WTF forum. So yes, we've been going we've been going for a while. But the funny thing is, we've almost not covered Trump as far as I know. We've like we really don't talk about Trump well, because because can we I, try can I just well, I was just going to say, we, we try not yeah. to talk about what everybody's talking about. That so, and. Yeah. That and uh, it, it doesn't matter. Like we we recognize that that it doesn't matter. The, the puppets they put up in front of us are the ones that, that you can't do anything about. You know, I mean, Trump is not Trump. Trump, uh, there's. OK, so Trump is a funhouse mirror. The left sees him one way, the right sees him another way. But he's really something yeah. in between. Yeah. Um, and and the, he's an actor and the real Trump, who knows what the hell he is. I, I have no idea what he is, what he's being paid for, uh, paid by or whatever. But I do know that that Jared Kushner is running Trump and that Trump doesn't doesn't really make any of the decisions. There's always a carrot. And Mike, what color is a carrot? Well, it depends. I mean, usually, usually orange, but there's usually all, there's purple carrots and there red, are and red carrots and uh, you had to there, go there. There's some that are white as Trump. <laughs> Gardening guy. <laughs> uh, because because Trump is actually a white man and and he's yeah. not he's not orange. CNN and the other news corporations use a, a filter to make him look so 
so orange. He's he's got a tinge of orange. Well, but but he does wear fake tan, which does he not does. help his yeah. case yeah. at all. Yeah. Because that yeah. makes it's, it easier yeah. for them to put the orange filter on him. Yeah. It's right. spray tan. Yeah. Well, yeah, they just embellish. Imagine it. having that job. <laughs> spray Trump. <laughs> Oh my god, that would be hilarious! <laughs> Honestly, it would probably be your most fun client all day. Yeah, dude, probably would. dude, okay, well, okay, the so only client you'd need all year. I I actually have a friend who um he studied like policy analysis and like uh what um foreign affairs. He was he was in that kind of world, but he he worked oh. directly with Trump for a time in kind of like a contractor type of position, but he was in the room a handful of times. That's probably all I should say, but he loved Trump. He, you know, let me, let me give you just a little more here. Cause the, the brilliance of Trump is his ability to connect with his audience and the clip coming up, his microphone wasn't working initially. So he took like 20, 30 seconds to just connect with the audience, which is just, I mean, it's wicked, wicked smart. In like a, you know, there's different types of intelligence, right? There's wicked smart. Wicked smart. I mean, but like, this is like social emotional intelligence. Is the mic ready? Yes. I wonder who did that to our mic. I don't believe it was Joe. You know who it was? Crooked Hillary. I mean, come on. This guy, this guy's brilliant. This guy's brilliant. He's brilliant. I could, I could have played that out. He's funny. I mean, through the whole thing but i mean that's a Jesus. comedy trope though yeah yeah like your mm. your your arch nemesis is always to blame for whatever goes right, wrong that's that's right. how you how you build that narrative and you never have to prove it correct do you think that even could have possibly been a little small notch of stagism you know, like just to make him look like, uh, like they, he's on the they, ball. Yeah. He's a real professional. He's you know going to take that moment I, to connect. And there he also gets the opportunity to blame something, you know, bring up the adversary, like Drizzle said. I, I personally, I doubt that they planned that. Probably I doubt not. that. I doubt that that was staged. I think he just used it in a very clever and strategic way. You know, I think he's just a professional. He just automatically got it's not nothing yeah. he really thinks about. I mean, he's been in television for quite a long mm -hmm. time, so it just well, would come naturally. He's a full on professional. 
a lot of people talk about how he he connects with people like at these rallies Ooh. after the fact he talks to people he i mean it's very smart he he's he's making himself into like a man of the common folk despite the fact that he lives literally a hero in the ivory tower mm. the, the golden tower you know i mean come on you know but but he's really good at it He's really funny and it works. It works. It works so, on me. You know, why would they be rolling out their best when they have the most serious ops? I mean, we, when he was in office is when we got the, the COVID op. So mm. they roll out their best actor for their biggest play. Mm. I like that. Mm. I like it. Smart. Yeah, that concerns and, me though, because uh, yeah, it means there's yeah. probably not good stuff coming <laughs> in the very near future. Right, right. I will say that through these clips, he he's like coming back as his troll self, because I will say that after the election, he could have been trolling hard. He could have made that situation so much better, and he was basically MIA during that time, and he was like very subdued. He wasn't the same fun charismatic guy that you're starting to see again headed into election season um but i thought that ando's point was really really excellent um and i will tell you that i've been mulling over how they're gonna play this out right um so are they going to like get the left so close that they can taste it to like a Michael Obama presidency and a Michael Obama, Gavin Newsom. And what if they pull the same thing on the left that they just pulled on the right with Trump? Right. And then they put Trump in. So these people are going to lose their minds. And I'm just curious about they, like, I've, I've been running scenarios about how this election is going to go. They don't you've got your own. You've got your own little event 202 going on there, Ashley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they don't. They don't Love need it. Gavin or or uh, Michael. What what they can do is is do everything as they have planned, and then whenever they're freaking out and strategizing and everything like that, the whole excuse will be like, like we told y'all not to use Biden, and it'll just be it, it'll it, it, it's enough. I mean, they they can throw him to the wolves and and throw him, you know throw that car, corpse out, you know, because that that's what Biden's been this last four years as a corpse uh, there. Yeah. None of the, none of the stuff that is coming from Biden. It's coming from, from the creepy people that surround him. The Mayorkas's, the Blinkens, the Yellens, yeah. you know, Susan those, Rice. It's coming yeah. from Susan Rice. But that's always oh, the case, isn't it? Those people are just personalities. They're just masks. Well, the shadow government run it. I mean, well, I don't you know, see any. I don't see any of them as any different. I don't see Trump as any different. He's just another character. Agreed. Agreed. Um, you know what I tend to kind of try to like look at and keep my focus on is the general tenor, right? The the tone, the the speed. You know, to me right now it seems like, I mean, we saw like a great acceleration during like the George Floyd shit. Right. And then everything slowed down in a sense. Right. People talk about they're like COVID, like totally fucked with my sense of time. It's like COVID happened like that. You know, it's like four years passed in a flash, but only six months of it really fucking mattered. 
right? Because they accelerated and then everybody had to decompress, like digest, right? And I think we're looking at like 2024 is the next acceleration. You know, it's the it's the it's the fucking election season. Yippee Kaye, motherfucker. Here we go. You know, well, yeah, but they're not really waiting for uh, the campaigns to to get started as far as the front runners for each side. Because if you're if you're paying attention to the rollout of the digital control structure, like they're already well underway in the first what eight weeks of the year, getting stuff in place, getting it ready. So that when whatever the catalyzing event is that happens, they're like, we're ready to go. Yeah, I tend to yeah. agree with Jared. It's all just written and they've got the right characters waiting in the wings for the right time. And they sort right. of know. I mean, it, it's just as well as a four-year term because that's just about the right time for the public swing, you know. The so we know swing. this. We know this. All of us know this. Now, when you see all of these supposed alt-media people talking about, oh, they're just doing that for the vote or, or you know, they need you to vote this way or vote, 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 vote nonsense then you know that that person's full of shit so just keep that in mind and that that's a good way of vetting who you're listening to if they're talking about how the votes are going and what the votes are going to do because whatever is happening here it doesn't have anything to do with your vote and i know that that trump is the most popular president that we've ever had and i i see it on the streets i see people make handmade billboards for the guy He's a really great actor, but this, this whole thing. Yeah, sure. He's going to win it. He's going to win it and people are going to go right back to sleep. And, um, and that's, that's how this is going to roll out. I think, well, I don't half know the people are going to go back to sleep. The right, other half right. of the people are going to lose their minds according yep. to the media. <laughs> that's what the media says. The media says that the yeah. country is split 50, 50 right down the middle. You know, don't don't <laughs> let the door hit you. I mean, maybe it will be 50-50 yeah, yeah. whenever you get all the people that have been coming to the United States and getting their, their thousands of dollars every single week just, just for invading our country. So, you know, maybe those people will be really upset to see Biden uh, go. But, you know, they'll probably still get their checks. They're probably not even worried if they know what's best for them. So who's going to be his running mate? Who cares? <laughs> I mean, it, I, still a good question. I, I mean, it's. I think it's going to be DeSantis. Yeah, I, I I believe it's going to be DeSantis, but um, I I really? believe that for the the whole time I've said he's this. He's kind of blown you know, it like a bit, though, can, hasn't he? I mean, he's been um, connected. But, he, with but he's safe. He's safe. Well, but, and he I don't to the think that, that that Trump is going to make that decision i think that that trump's handlers are going to make that decision just like they did with pence and it's like okay yeah i'll like i'll uh, i'll let this happen because i don't think uh desantis can have another term in florida is that right like he's you know he's out of terms in florida i i, I was well i was listening to um vivek ramaswamy on some fucking podcast i don't know which probably uh dave smith or something but he was talking about how he was having a conversation with Trump, like supposedly Vivek has Trump's ear, so to speak. Right. And that he was talking about Julian Assange 
and Edward Snowden and how they should be pardoned. And I'm I'm just sitting here like as a spectator thinking, you know, I'm not going to vote, but like secretly not. Well, whatever. Yeah, I'm kind of rooting for Trump because like Biden's literally retarded. And, you know, I'd rather have a comedian than a fucking retard, you know, but <laughs> but but, uh, you know, yeah, it's, hard Vivek, to, it's hard to have a sequel to Weekend at Bernie's. Vivek supposedly has his ear and he said this shit about Assange and, and Snowden. And I'm like, if if Trump gets elected and he does not pardon these two guys, you know, I would oh, hope that he's not I going hope, to. I would hope that Ross Ulbrich would be in the list too. I, if I he mean, doesn't, we could if he hope. doesn't do it. If he doesn't do it on the first day, I, I'm, you know, fuck it. I'm, I'm out, you know? No, I mean, all of these things, they would only do it if it would placate a mass of people and, and it, a mass of people that they need to placate. If it, if it first, it's like, this is a group of people they need to placate, they'll placate them. But if they don't, they won't. I mean, everything is done in a way to placate. And, and so every now and then you'll see something happen. It always works on different things. Um, you know, Rachel always talks about the monkey paw, you know, that all these things are wishes on monkey paws. And so you get the the most fucked up version of what you're wishing for. It's like like how eventually we're going to get agorism because we wish for it. And we'll get agorism in the, the form of having to trade eggs with each other because the whole fucking system's broken. Yeah, because there's no other alternative. Yeah. Oh, and I, I hate to spoil it for you, Stella, but Weekend at Bernie's 2 was released back in 1993. Sorry, I was muted. I said, ha, 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 ha. okay, sorry, I missed that. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not a movie. Uh, clearly, Hollywood <laughs> had no problem like airing out that tired old premise again, I'm sure the democratic <laughs> party, uh, you know, will just follow that lead. So yeah. if we still have a Biden by November, which is, you know, uh, there's a lot that's, of time between now and then. Yeah. He has been Biden his time. And like, that, that's very much on the cards. <laughs> that's an oldie. I just had to Biden his time. I still hey, appreciate it. Hey, I'm, I'm riding with Biden. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> No. <laughs> speaking of riding, though, okay, and also speaking of, uh, it really doesn't fucking matter who the fuck we elect. This shit's just fucked up. You know, I'm preaching to the choir, right? I'm not going to tell you anything tonight that well, y'all don't already know. But I want to. It does I, matter. Whenever, yeah. whenever you're talking about your sheriff, your school board, those kinds of things. Sure. Those are things sure. that you can you can get activated in and do something with. Um, and they don't have their grip on every single thing. So, they so don't. That, that's where you pay attention and that's where it, everybody needs to to get more focused in that area. They don't, because, but they but they do, Ando. So well, Yes, they do, but I mean, they do in Cleveland, they do in, in, in Indianapolis, they do in the big cities, but whenever you have a city that, that says, I'm not going to abide by these bullshit mandates, then you don't have to deal with the fucking mandates. And that's important. Yeah. So well, and that's one thing. That's one thing though. So 
I'm going to point out here how how America hates good trucks. I'm not saying, well, part of me wants to say cool trucks, but cool is kind of subjective. Good trucks. Okay? And this has been a problem for decades. And nobody's done a goddamn thing about it. And it doesn't make any fucking sense. So if you'll if you'll if you'll allow me, I'll play you a couple clips here and give you um sort of the in- intro to this problem. To me, it's a problem. I'm a gardener, I'm a landscaper. I want to buy a cheap fucking truck that gets the job done but has no frills. But America doesn't like those kind of trucks. Okay? Let me uh let me just show you here. Yeah, I only give that like a five. Y'all good? Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Hilux Testing. Are Hiluxes as durable as Top Gear says they are? Today, we find out. Will they handle a roll and drive just fine afterwards? We'll find that out in a second. Can you actually drop them from the top of a building? We don't find that out today, but we find some other things out. Last time we did some normal average tests that you would do every day. That's what we're going to do again today. So I simulated the average car wreck. We'll see what can a Hilux handle a normal average, a little more, little more than average car wreck. And uh, we're also going to see how they tow with a gooseneck, an empty, unloaded, completely unloaded gooseneck. Can you flip me back over? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> now I have a, a light 30,000 pounds loaded up on the gooseneck for the Hilux to pull. That's a lot. Any bets? Any bets? Anyone? Anyone? No one? No objections? I think it'll pull it. It's an eight ton pickup pulling 30,000 pounds. Here we go. I told you to pull it. This I thing's... thought I'd seen it all. I thought I'd seen it all. I was like, we see a lot. You know, we, we I see a lot doing this. I didn't think this would happen. Let's pull it easily. I, I shipped into second gear going uphill. I was in second gear. Yeah, I told you to do it. That's 30,000 pounds. Your tires with, with kinda... no air. Dude, this is flat. This is a flat tire. What is Just once in my life, I would like to go to the internet with a question and have my question answered without falling into an enormous rabbit hole of government conspiracies and nonsense. <laughs> 
Okay, long story short, Toyota's got this new truck coming out. It's just a flatbed, plain Jane work truck, nothing fancy about it. And it was supposed to be like ten dollars or $11,000 brand new. So naturally, I wanted one. So naturally, I go to the internet with a simple question. Am I going to be able to buy this new Toyota truck in America? To which I am met with the answer, probably not. Most likely for the same reason you can't buy a Toyota Hilux, which is the other thing that's been pissing me off for 10 years inside of America. And naturally, in the back of my head, I just kind of assumed like, oh, Toyota just doesn't want to sell that truck in America for some reason. Maybe the money's not right. It costs too much to import, whatever. And yeah, it does cost too much to import, but it's because of chickens and Lyndon B. Johnson. That's why. You can hear the comment section already. Buh, if you want a Hilux, just get a Tacoma. They're basically the same thing. Buh. No, they are not for multiple reasons. For one, I've driven a Tacoma and it is literally the slowest moving vehicle I have ever driven in my entire life. That thing accelerates from zero to 60 in like three to five business days, okay? Fucking Fred Flintstone would beat that thing in a drag race. Secondly, I don't vividly remember being 14 years old watching Top Gear with my dad and seeing those guys drop a fucking Tacoma into the ocean for eight hours, fishing it out, and then getting it started in like 15 minutes. And then because that wasn't enough to kill it, they decided they were going to hit it with a wrecking ball, drive it through a building, light it on fire, and then stick it on top of a skyscraper before blowing the entire building up with it. And then the motherfucker still started, okay? Tacomas are not on the same level as Hiluxes. I don't care what you say. You will never convince me otherwise. It is the equivalent of my mom trying to convince me that store brand toaster pastries are Pop-Tarts. No, they're not. Pop-Tarts are Pop-Tarts and Pop-Tarts are fucking awesome. And you want to know why I can't get my metaphorical pop tart, why I can't own and drive my own Toyota Hilux? It's because America was too good at selling chickens in the 1950s and 60s. Yeah, that's why. Okay, so here's the deal. Generally speaking, throughout the majority of human history, chickens have always been like super expensive and seen as only something that rich people got to eat until very recently, which... Think about it for a second. It starts to make a little bit more sense. You have like cows and goats and llamas and whatever other fucking farm animals you have. And they just basically wander around and they eat the grass. Okay. That's not. Okay. I'm pausing because he's, um, he's, he's drawing a connection here and I don't want to lose the audience, but there is a, there is a reason why chickens and shitty trucks are connected in America. And it's not a good reason. It's a really it's not fucking dumb reason and it's why it's why i can't buy the truck that i would love to buy and it's because of chickens and and bad laws and it's all fucking retarded and it, it gets me upset just like this guy in the video he's fucking pissed too but i you know i'm pausing because i just want everybody to know why we're going this direction okay <laughs> sorry <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm pissed. Wait, wait, I was going to show is all about your import export issue, Mike. I'm pissed, man. I want to buy a Toyota, a Hilux. Well, you can buy it. It's, you can get it shipped over here. Like all these things any. are doable. It's just how much are you willing to pay? But it's so fucking dumb, bro. It's dumb. That's that's the United States of America, man. That's the American yeah. way. Yeah. That's why things are set up the way they are. Well, yeah, Mike. We might not have guns, but we've got Toyota Hiluxes. You know, I'd rather have guns if I had Hiluxes. But, you know, apparently in Afghanistan, you can get both. I mean, come on. Sorry. I, you know, I'm Sign excited. Up. I'm excited. 
Let me let me just yeah, show matter you. Matter of fact, in Afghanistan, you can have the United States federal government pay for both your Hilux and your gun. <laughs> <Woo -hoo. laughs> Let me just let me just give you a little more of I, I'm saying they built the best goddamn so I'm gonna take y'all, okay? I'm gonna take you from the best fucking truck ever built to the worst fucking truck ever built. Yeah. You know, according to me, I you know, that's we we could argue all day long, but anywho. Yeah. I still had room for all. Oh my god, dude! There's literally nothing, nothing, literally nothing, literally nothing, nothing. That's dead straight. Nothing. The leaves aren't bent. This thing is is literally going exactly how it went on Top Gear. You know, like they had a mechanic, but we don't even like like not. We haven't touched anything. Nothing has gone wrong. Nothing at all. Like we pulled a stick out of the grill and that was it. That, that His channel is uh, 22 Plankster. He does. Anyways, um, he's a Toyota enthusiast. I'm hauling ass regardless. So. miles through the roughest through the roughest freaking trails with no coolant the entire way like halfway down halfway through it was done wheezing out the last bit of coolant listen to me look at me right now i don't get impressed easily i really 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 don't i right now am baffled i'm dumbfounded i am legitimately blown away at what just happened what i just witnessed cody just put this thing in fourth gear and just outran the razor and the full-blown race car out of one of the roughest trails I, I could, I've been I on. I can see the, the handyman jack like this high in the bed. The Dude. window popped out, but just hung here. It's not even broken. This is the most tough. Like, this is the toughest vehicle I've ever seen in my entire life. So you can finish your outro. Watch, watch me. Watch me. Watch me. It'll like start this fire. All right. Stop in there. Um. Guys, I know, I know I'm being like a truck nerd here and I'm a Toyota guy. And partly this episode is like an homage to the fact that I, I live, I live with almost no regrets. If I have one fucking regret in my life, it's selling my 1990 Toyota pickup four by four SR five. That that's what it said on the title. Toyota 4x4 pickup SR5. And it was the simplest and best truck. And why why is it that in 2024 we cannot build as good of a truck as was built 
in the late 80s and early 90s. It's infuriating. If you actually know these trucks, it's infuriating. Again, I apologize. I know I'm not, I'm being a little bit like I'm I'm passionate here, but they fucked our trucks, man. Well, it's it's not just our trucks, Mike. Are you familiar with planned obsolescence? Yeah. Yeah. So that whole system essentially dictates that the quality of whatever widget you are producing is going to deteriorate over time. And there's nothing you can do about it. Anybody? Anybody got comments here? Stella, you said in the comments that everybody has a Hilux where you live. Yep, even if they don't have a property. <laughs> huh. All the women that go and pick up their kids from school have bloody Hiluxes. Like, they're just common as hen's teeth. No, they that, that doesn't make sense. They're really common. Um, so, yeah, Toyotas are great cars. I've had ooh, three, I guess, and Camrys. You can't beat a Camry. Got one now. Last one was a Camry too. Um, so, yeah, they're really good cars. Shame you can't get your hands on them easily. You can't, you can't. And that's why I'm saying it's one of my only, it's, it's probably my only regret in life. The guy who came and bought my shit was representing a guy in South America. He bought it just to ship it to Guatemala. And I knew, I knew in the moment, I'm like, I shouldn't do this. I wanted that money, but I'm like, this truck, this fucking truck. And it, uh, I'll say my truck was not the same as this truck. This truck is probably, no joke, the best truck ever built. Mine was similar, but not, not quite as good. Let me just show you a little more here. The window popped out, but just hung here. It's not even broken. This is the most tough. Like, this is the toughest vehicle I've ever seen in my entire life. So you can finish your outro. Watch, watch me. Watch me. Know. Watch me. It'll like start first fire. It has no cooling in it. And hey, the AC still works too. So, um, <laughs> what else could we do? I have an idea. That could possibly be harder on it. I have an idea. What? This is ridiculous. All right, there you have it, guys. As hard as I could possibly be on it. Nothing broke. Next test, final episode maybe, coming up tomorrow. But nothing is is uh, dented. Like the, the fuel tank has a little dent right there. I don't even think that's from today. But none of this stuff is, is beat up or dented under here at all. This is a two-piece drive shaft and there's no vibration or anything. Like the carrier bearing is holding up. So I'm not sure why Dodge failed so bad at that. But um, nothing, nothing looks out of place. There's literally not even like oil all over the transfer case. So, once again, not sure why every other manufacturer has problems with everything. Can I? Uh... Yeah, yeah, I paused there. I want to show you a little more in a second. Stella, I want to hear your thoughts. But it is it is a fucking good question. Why can we not build this good of a truck in America? I'm just OK, I'll, I'll just shut the fuck up. Stella, what do you what do you got to say? I've just got to duck off quickly. Sorry, I'll be back in a sec.
Oh, okay. Oh, all right. So there's also those little Jap trucks that you have to get imported if you want those too. Right. And, um, right. and they're super fuel efficient and whatever there's, man, there's been so many things that would, would end up on the market for like a year and then they would take them off and they would be in the foreign market after that. But you could only get them for one year, especially with in the RV market and just especially stuff that, that Toyota made. Um, my favorite is the master ace. Cause it makes me laugh because you know, master race. So apparently we lost uh, YouTube here. Uh -oh. <laughs> what do we do? Man, I'm yeah. so disappointed. Running it yeah. too long. Yeah, that's what Western Civ was saying. Um, that it was because it must have been copyright. Well, for all of our listeners, I feel like we should put it in the like intro song as disclaimer. Like, watch us on Rumble or Odyssey. Um, yeah, maybe at the beginning of every episode, that's worth mentioning. Mm, yeah. I, um, sorry, I had to duck off there. I thought I heard my mum yelling, and I just had to check that it, she was just okay. laughing. So that's all good. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's funny how just watching this guy putting the you know the Toyota through the paces, he's not wearing a helmet or anything. Oh, he's <laughs> and crazy. Yet, and yeah. yet, you, you guys all wear helmets while you play football. It's just funny. It's not the dichotomy. It's like it would be way more... <laughs> Way more risky doing what he's doing, and uh, doesn't seem to phase him at all. Anyway, welcome, welcome, Hello. Dan C. Hello, how you doing, brother? Uh, who are hey, you? Guys. Who invited you? Uh, and uh, what I'm, are you doing uh, here? Sure, sure. I have no idea what I'm doing here. I'm friends with Ando. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Uh, that's pretty much the one thing that that glues us all together. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I call like, Ando I the uh, Liberty Connector. <laughs> Ando's yeah. group. It's sort of like Tarzan's group, just Ando. Um, yeah, don't let me stop you. Carry on. I'll uh, find a spot to jump in. Okay. Sure. All right. Well, uh, let me show you a little more about why why it's just weird that we can't have nice things anymore, I guess. Stream is back up. Just front front why. Oh, hell yeah. Here's All right, start again so the stream can go back down. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. All right. I think it's a look. minute or something, isn't it? The maximum. Okay, I'll try to I'll try to be smart about it, but uh, just look at how overbuilt this this shit is. Okay. Today, but none of this stuff is is beat up or dented under here at all. This is a two piece drive shaft, and there's no vibration or anything like the carrier bearing is holding up. So I'm not sure why Dodge failed so bad at that, but um. Nothing, nothing looks out of place. There's literally not even like oil all over the transfer case. So once again, not sure why every other manufacturer has problems with everything. You can see the front axle here. So we, I don't know if they call this a uniball or whatever, but it's, it's like one big ball joint. So that's why we didn't have to worry about it is breaking is because the entire axle has to break off for this the ball joint to break. So um, those are insanely durable. There's several times I saw like the whole wheel kind of do this and like pivot in and it just like went right back. So this tie rod, like these tie rods here, they're not like that big, but it's not bent at all. Like none of the steering stuff is bent. Okay, I know I'm an I'm a truck guy. I'm a nerd about this shit, but dude, that's pretty this, incredible. This is this is what the, he did driving through the desert. 
I only like, showed I you expect undercarriage damage. I, I only showed you a snippet. This guy wailed on this truck, wailed on it. This is the best vehicle any human has ever created. And yet they are basically, I'm not going to say illegal, but you have to pay so much money. You know, the, the tradition continues like new Toyota Hiluxes are built so much better than Toyota Tacomas, which is what we get. And there's a reason why Tacomas have gotten just stupid big while the Hilux has stayed small. And it's it's for fucking retarded bullshit governmental reasons. They had to make these trucks bigger. It's so dumb. I'm sorry. <laughs> Any thoughts at this point before I um, continue to share? <laughs> this shit is so retarded. I'm just telling you. All right. Well, I gotta I gotta pull up the clip here, but uh, would love a little help. <laughs> well, our stream I'm is sure back I down. Know. Oh, nice. I'm pretty sure I know what the answer to the question is, but I don't want to spoil it at 57 minutes in. So, all right, all right. I'm just keeping my mouth shut, keeping my goggles on. Well, I, I think we have more, so you could go for it, Drizzle, if you really want to. Come on. Gotta let Mike tell Now you want to. <laughs> all right, all right. We'll go on. We'll go on. Let's just get a Tacoma. They're basically the same thing. Huh. No, they are not for multiple reasons. For one, I've driven a Tacoma, and it is literally the slowest moving vehicle I have ever driven in my entire life. That thing accelerates from zero to 60 in like three to five business days, okay? Fucking Fred Flintstone would beat that thing in a drag race. Secondly, I don't vividly remember being 14 years old watching Top Gear with my dad and seeing those guys drop a fucking Tacoma into the ocean for eight hours, fishing it out, and then getting it started in like 15 minutes. And that's expensive and seen as only something that rich people got to eat until very recently, which... Think about it for a second. It starts to make a little bit more sense. You have like cows and goats and llamas and whatever other fucking farm animals you have. And they just basically wander around and they eat the grass. Okay. That's not very expensive. Then you have pigs. You could literally just feed them garbage and they'll turn it into bacon somehow through evolutionary magic. Chickens, on the other hand, you have to like feed them grain and like actually give them real food that a human could technically eat. So historically speaking, they've always been one of the more expensive farm animals. So only rich people got to eat them. Then in the 1950s, after World War II, thanks to refrigeration and a couple of other innovations, America got super, super good at raising chickens. They got so good, in fact, that we could raise chickens, slaughter them in America, ship them across the fucking ocean while refrigerating them and sell them in Europe. And it was still cheaper than people could grow and raise chickens in Europe. So Europe was eating a bunch of American chicken. So they had too much cock. I guess that's one way to put it. Why? Just never thought I'd hear that come out of my mouth. Germany was spearheading this entire thing. They get together and they're like, hey, let's put a 25% tariff on American chicken coming into the European market. That way, European chicken is more competitive. And if that wasn't enough, they started a major propaganda campaign, basically saying that America fills their chickens full of antibiotics and growth hormones. So it's really unhealthy for people to eat, which 
I mean, honestly, that's, that's, that's probably a fair assessment. But regardless, America is now pissed off. So this is 1962 when this European tariff on American chicken passes. And for the next 18 months, it is the pinnacle of American politics, trying to get Europe to buy more American chickens. And it becomes known as the Chicken War, right in the middle of the Cold War. I'm not even exaggerating. There were literally American politicians that cared more about getting Europeans to eat more chicken than they did about the pending nuclear war with the Soviet Union. The Chancellor of Germany, Konrad Adnar, said that he had more conversations with JFK about Germans eating American chicken than he did about the pending nuclear war. There was a senator from Arkansas that was sitting in a NATO meeting when he stood up, interrupted the entire NATO meeting, and declared that America was going to withdraw from NATO and Europe could defend itself if they didn't lift the sanctions on American chicken. Obviously, that didn't actually happen. Despite that, the tariff ended up staying up, and after 18 months of trying to diplomatically solve this issue, then-President Lyndon B. Johnson is like, fuck it, I'm just going to put a tariff on you guys too, and he put a 25% tariff on potato starch, dextrin, brandy, and light cargo vehicles. Now, obviously, chicken is a food product, which they are tariffing, so America is going to tariff dextrin, potato starch, and brandy, which are also food products. That part makes sense, but why on earth is America going to start taxing light cargo vehicles? Well, you see, that's where the good old-fashioned political corruption comes in, because it's 1964, it's an election year, and the UAE is about to go on strike, the United Automotive Workers Union, and them going on strike during an election year is going to be disastrous for Lyndon B. Johnson's chances of getting reelected. So LBJ and the president of the UAE come to a little quid pro quo agreement in exchange for the UAE not going on strike during LBJ's election. LBJ is going to abuse his political power to make sure that somehow, some way, so many Volkswagen Type 2s, which are incredibly popular in America right now, quit getting imported, aka the love bus. You know, you've seen those. This is where they went. They went away because of this. So this is Okay, so just to summarize, the reason I cannot own a Toyota Hilux in the United States of America is because of the Volkswagen microbus. Oh, I thought it was because LBJ was a dickhead. Well, there's that too. But man, I, I don't know. I, I always interpret things differently from most people, so. You know, this, this episode is not so much... Um, I don't know problem solving it's more just problem observing um it's it's really silly problem bitching really <laughs> yeah it, the whole thing is is rather silly um that's all right it's cathartic it, yeah um i'll carry on you know i if anybody has any anything to say feel free to jump in but and uh, interrupt interrupt the clips if you must well, I was just going to say, I actually really didn't realize this issue. You know, I knew that, yes, it's corruption big, and stupidity oh oh. Um, run very deep and touch many, many things. But I actually didn't know about this. It's it's really frustrating because there's a lot of guys who would love to have a cheap, light-duty cargo vehicle. But this this law that originated with L L L G L B J L G B T Q F Y two plus X Y L B gay L B gay. Um, yeah, yeah I no, mean, it, I've heard some stories. So you're it, not far well, off. To me, to me, it's one of these things where it's um, like, it's something that people just take as like a fact of life, right? Like. We're going to get to it, but this also affects Sprinter vans, 
right? The um, the cargo vans that everybody wants because they're so good. They're so fucking good. They're a great fucking vehicle, but they cost an arm and a leg, and it's for bullshit fucking reasons, and it's because it's considered a uh, light just duty. Get, you a, get a Ford Transit, Mike. You'll be fine. Yeah, well, the, the Mercedes one is way better, but... I don't know. Let me let me just show you some more here. It's so fucking infuriating. Why light cargo vehicles gets added to the chicken tax, adding a 25% tariff to basically make it so that Germany can't import the type two. Now, light cargo vehicle at this point in time is defined as two seats or less and designed to transport cargo. So then because of that, all the foreign auto car makers like Toyota and Honda and all the other ones that make small trucks, not wanting to pay a 25% tax to import their trucks, start importing the truck itself, like the chassis and the cab and the motor all completely built in their country and then they ship over the bed separately and then they have a warehouse where they like throw a couple of bolts on and attach the bed so that way it's assembled in america and they're only going to get taxed four percent instead of 25 percent because the u.s government is this fucking stupid so that okay so the truck i owned the bed rusted out like swiss fucking cheese because it was it was a different kind of steel because they shipped it over just like he said without the bed and they put the bed on in america again just because of some bullshit fucking law and it was probably a different alloy from yes. what they yes. would use on the truck frame in other countries exactly which is why it rusted out yep all right here we go then in the 1980s, the U.S. government closes that loophole to which all the other auto car makers are like, fine, we'll just exploit another loophole. We'll just start adding more seats so that way there's more than two seats. So it's not a cargo vehicle. It's just a normal vehicle. And this is why every small to mid-sized truck, 1980s through like the early 2000s, had those tiny little seats in the back that no human could ever actually fit on. It's because they were never actually designed for people to sit on. They were just there so that they could legally say, oh, it's designed to sit more than two people. Therefore, I get taxed at 4% instead of 25%, again, because the government is dumb. Which, fuck that, this is also why the Subaru Brat had those stupid plastic seats in the back. And then they came out with the cafe standards, which is basically like trying to, you know, save the environment with emissions and stuff. And the rule was the vehicle has to be like proportional compared to how much emission that it emits, I guess. So like if a truck is really big, it can emit a bunch of CO2 into the atmosphere. But if a truck is really small, it's not allowed to emit a bunch of CO2 into the atmosphere. And this is actually why all the trucks in America are fucking ginormous lately in like the last 20 years okay i know that's like a super popular thing to bitch about like hear about hippies and college kids bitching about how american trucks are too big and it's more dangerous and they're taking up space on the road and they're beating up the infrastructure yeah it's because of stupid fucking emissions policies yeah okay you heard that right i because i've wondered to myself why why is a fucking ford f-150 so fucking huge why is a fucking Toyota Tacoma so fucking huge? They're massive. They're stupidly massive. And it's because of emissions standards. It's because a bigger truck is allowed to have more emissions. So there's this incentive. I mean, it's, it's fucking insane, y'all. Again, I know I'm preaching to the choir. All 
All right. I guess I'll go on. Because it's easier for automakers to just make the truck physically fucking larger than it is to make the emissions somehow magically lower. So that's why that's happening. So not only is the cafe standards not helping with emissions and CO2, it's actually incentivizing automakers to make trucks unnecessarily ridiculously large just so they can comply with this law. And I know what you're thinking. Well, at least the chicken tax is helping American automakers compete in the market so that they can make more money and stay in business. And that's that's just not the case anymore either because even they're getting fucked over by this law because when Ford tries to import transit vehicles, which they have made over in Turkey, they have to intentionally put extra seats and windows and shit inside of it, import it, and then send them to a factory and have all the seats and windows taken out and convert it back into a fucking cargo vehicle. Again, you heard that right, okay? Whoever brought up Ford Transit vans versus like Mercedes or what have you, no, they 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 have them built in Turkey because it's cheaper. I there. brought that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they they ship them here with extra glass mm -hmm. and extra seats so that it's considered a passenger vehicle instead yeah. of a light duty cargo vehicle yeah it's it's fucking semantics yeah. and and there are no it's it's human ingenuity is what it is well because somebody at ford figured out how to get around uh this this regulation right it's, and this yeah. this was the solution that ended up working which again goes to prove every time you try to restrict human activity mm -hmm. you are going to produce a solution mm -hmm. it never but fails it, but but every regu regulation that has to be bypassed ends up costing the consumer more money in the end you know so like yeah but nobody cares about that except the consumer and the consumer yeah. doesn't have a lobby so there's there's they really, just eat it there's really good money to be made right now doing what's called like express shipping if you can if you can take a sprinter van and take like two pallets of cargo and ship it across town you can make good money doing that like i looked into buying a sprinter van because it's a good like part-time source of income you can't buy these these vans just like you cannot buy old toyota trucks again why i regret selling mine to some guy that was just going to ship it to guatemala right you cannot buy them because they are so good and all these rules get in the way of us actually being able to buy them it's insane so um, wait 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 do yeah. we have we have some cool shit that other people want though like like you're pointing out here with sending it to guatemala you know mm -hmm. like guatemala doesn't have that so i mean there there's trade-offs with everywhere you're at who gets everything who gets everything because that's the place to be right yeah well i again i'm just bitching because like frankly this this new truck that toyota's building it's like 10, 12,000 bucks, but it would be the perfect truck for what I do, but I can't buy it. I mean, I could buy it and have it like transported and I'd have to pay the tariffs and all that bullshit, but it's more or less illegal. And it's, so the, it's the frustrating. Tariff, 
the tariff is uh, it says it's 25%, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> so the extra cost I guess is that you're getting it shipped special. It's not it's not coming over like several of them on containers. Mm -hmm. Right. They're getting put in a lot where you can, you know, that uh, the cost of shipping gets spread out among a lot of vehicles. So I wonder cuz 25% on um 12k, you know, is only 3 grand. It's not right. It's not a lot, but it's so, but it's en it's enough to where they don't bother, like you said, shipping them here to begin. Right, with. but it, right. I feel like there's got to be some way. Maybe just getting it might just be this. This guy puts out a video where it gets around all the car guys go, hey, I, I want that one, and then everyone makes enough of you know enough noise that some supplier goes, okay, I'm just gonna get a container of these. You know. Well, I think there's uh, there's more to it than that. Like it's 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 not feasible, and it's it's yeah. I don't know, man. Um, Do you so we, we, we can have the AKs, but we can't have fully automatic. We right. can have regular cars and stuff, but we can't have the Hilux. <laughs> we can have yeah, we can have Toyotas, but we can't have like the best Toyota because Andy, it's, I know one it's way good. I know one way for you to get a Toyota Hilux and a fully automatic AK. If it involves <laughs> Afghanistan, I'm out. Move to Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah. 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 Federal government will pay for it. Come on. We already learned this earlier. But no, it's it's not just the Hilux. There are other entire manufacturers that you can't get here in the United States, you know, let alone just one model. I was just about to ask that actually, Drizzle. Um, is this is it Toyota? Like, do you have other Toyota cars there? Like other models? Is it just the Hilux? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I probably yeah. There's that. Toyota dealerships all over America. Right. But okay. there were there were manufacturers, and I can't remember any right off the top of my head because I'm a little bit high. But <laughs> there were there I saw manufacturers down in Mexico that I've never even heard of before. Mm -hmm. Do you have um, Kia K I A? Yeah, we got Kia. Right, okay. Um, are you guys getting, because we're getting this a lot lately because I was looking at um, a few of the van life type vans, you know, camper van. Um, are you guys getting Japanese imports? Like, um, I don't know what they are. They're sort of like just off new, second-handish, lots of vans, live-in type vans. Mm, I don't Maybe know. it's just an Australia thing. Could be. Probably because well, they're right-hand drive. Yeah. All yeah, I, I mean, all I can it, tell from all this is that we do not live in a free market, and that the best <laughs> vehicles have a way of not coming to the United States, um, probably due to like the automotive lo lobby, you know, keeping the good ones out. Right? I don't know. Light duty cargo vehicles, they're like, oh well, that'll fuck with our, um, you know, U.S. domestic truck sales. Well, I mean, if you if you really want to get into it, you know, one of the best uh, passenger sedans ever manufactured in the history of automobiles was forbidden from mm -hmm. being imported into the United States for a while to what? the point that now it's no longer forbidden. But like Nissan just really doesn't want to send that model over here. It was a Nissan. Yeah, it was the Skyline. Huh. Okay. Well, 
you know, another one is the um, the Japanese like micro trucks. I forget what they call them exactly, but like these um, very little fucking flatbed trucks. It was like a forward control type of, um, you know, you, you literally couldn't license them. You couldn't make them road legal. But they were such good vehicles. You know, you'd get like 60 miles to the gallon with like this tiny little diesel motor. And it was a great kind of farm type of truck. But no, can't have that. Again, I don't know. Trucks, this is just like a microcosm. This is just an example of what's going on. Like, I know that the Skyline engines do make their way over here and people put them in to other, you know, cars. I, I know a guy who had a uh, 270Z <clears throat> with a uh, Skyline engine in it. Uh, I'm not sure what, the, can the engines be imported? Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. like you could, you could, if you Once wanted to, say, you right? could have, uh, at the time that they were like expressly forbidden, you could have imported it piece by piece and build it yourself in your garage if you wanted mm -hmm. to. It was just a fully produced model from Nissan, could not be imported into the United States. Right, right, right. Yeah, the same person told me he saw a Skyline for sale in the US. But the VIN was from another model. So he he really, really, really wanted to do it, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. Just you know, I mean, like it's probably never going to come back on him, but you never know. You know? Could have been could have been boosted. You never know. Yeah. Well, let me let me show you a little more here. Um, we're gonna go again, like to me, like we're gonna go from the coolest truck ever made, the best truck ever made, to the worst truck. Um, and we're almost at that transition point, but I just want to finish this out. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a really harsh criticism of Elon, Mike. Come on. <laughs> no, we're not even talking about the cyber truck. Uh, just so you know, we're talking about the mail truck. This is why all the transit vans and shit that are super popular are really fucking expensive. And this is why my work that I work at to be an electrician can't ever find a goddamn transit van to use as a work truck because A, they're getting way more expensive because we're having to import them with extra seats so they're not cargo vehicles because somehow that saves money. And then my boss is desperately trying to compete with all the fucking millennials that want to go live in a van and start an Instagram so they can have hashtag van life in every fucking picture they post. This policy is literally helping nobody. Nobody on the planet is benefiting right now except for maybe the government so that they can get more tax money over fucking nothing okay potatoes dextrin all that other shit all that shit's gone they're not tariffing that anymore that tax went away it's just on cargo vehicles now and it's for no reason and you're like oh this fucking fat electrician guy is just misrepresenting the entire situation because he's angry that he can't own a Toyota truck that he wants. No, that's not it. In 2003, the Cato Institute researched the entire thing. This is 21 years ago, by the way. They did all the research and they came to the conclusion, and I quote, the chicken tax is a policy that is in search of a rationale. There's no fucking reason for this law to exist other than to fuck people over. I have literally spent the last three days of my life successfully wrapping my entire brain around this issue and come to the conclusion so fucking stupid that it's driving me insane. This is literally the epitome of government intervention. What's the problem? Oh, Germany's not eating enough American chicken. Don't worry, the government's going to step in and help. Fast forward 70 years. Guess what? Germany's still not eating enough American chicken, but you're not allowed to own a Toyota Hilux either. Oh, good. Yeah, okay. That pretty much sums that up. 
<laughs> I mean, your tax dollars at work, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think people are at their wits end. They're starting to realize like it's these little issues like why can't I why can't I own the truck I want to own? Oh, because of some chicken tax from 70 years ago. I mean, what? Like come again, you know? I know. I, I guess there's like not much to say. Again, I'm like preaching to the choir here. You know. Yeah, just to say that I did not know about this issue, which I mentioned earlier, but it just doesn't surprise me, right? There's mm -hmm. so much corruption, so much stupidity, so much sticking it to the little guy <laughs> that it just doesn't surprise me. And then the other thought was like, well, but I'm sure that there is vested interest in making sure that we don't have what we need. You know. Bingo. Yeah. Well, vested interest might be the name of the game. Um, because that pretty much takes me into the next thing. But anybody <laughs> else? Uh <laughs> it's a fun game to see yeah, if what yeah. you're talking about is related well, on this show. We're now we're gonna talk about the most probably the most uh prolific truck in North America, the mail truck, which I bet you didn't know the mail truck that, you know, your friendly everyday neighborhood mailman drives was built by the same company that builds the B2 bomber and the A10 Warthog and many other weapons of war. You're throwing lots of pronouns around. Say again? Yeah, you're throwing lots of pronouns around. Yeah. <laughs> the mail man. The postal carrier. Anyway, hit it. I, I find that I'm generally overall hostile to mail workers. I'm not really sure why I'm thinking mail workers. <laughs> we're making we're making gender the postal jokes. carrier. Letter carrier. Um, yeah. and I think I always expect when I go there for them to give me attitude and never help me. But the last several times they literally are like really nice to me and they actually help me with my issue. Um, so I feel though the people that deliver in our neighborhood are not like that though. They're not friendly. So I fully thought I like had shared this, um, screen and played it. So I appreciate y'all <laughs> keeping the, the conversation going. I was confused. I was like, I'm playing this and people are talking and nobody seems to know. But um, yeah, here we go. My bad. Every single time I try to make a funny, lighthearted video, it gets completely unhinged. <laughs> Today we're talking about Northrop Grumman's most iconic vehicle of all time. <laughs> Every aviation nerd just sat forward in their chair because if I don't pick their favorite Northrop Grumman plane, they're going to roast me in the comments section because if you don't know, Northrop Grumman is a defense contractor primarily known for making warplanes, and they've created some of the most iconic and effective warplanes the world has ever seen. Some of those planes include the F-4F Wildcat, the F-6F Hellcat, America's Gun with Wings, the A-10 Warthog, the B-21 Stealth Bomber, and its replacement, the B-21 Raider. 
But all of these pale in comparison to Northrop Grumman's most iconic and durable vehicle of all time, a vehicle that was designed to perform its tasks swiftly despite snow or rain or heat or gloom of night, the LLV, the Long Life Vehicle, a.k.a. the Mail Truck. You're not serious. You've got to be shitting me. I shot down three megs in one of those. Yeah, the same people that made like half the planes in U.S. military history also made your friendly neighborhood mail truck. I can only imagine that the U.S. Postal Service put out a memo like, hey, we're looking for a vehicle to help deliver packages. And the U.S. government was like, oh, package, payload, potato, potato, same thing. Call up Northrop Grumman. They're really good at delivering that type of stuff. Okay, Northrop Grumman's used to putting warheads on foreheads. Now they're putting parcels on porches. It's the same thing. Now all I need is for Lockheed Martin to start making action figures and my life will be complete. You put munitions, chips, and toys? Standard issue is insufficient. Okay, all jokes aside, I'm actually legitimately upset that this thing is named the LLV. I mean, it's made by Northrop Grumman, the makers of the F4F Wildcat and the F6F Hellcat, and you didn't name this the Male Cat? Are you fucking kidding me? Did you forget to do the ad? No, I did the ad. Thanks for finally being in a YouTube video with a shirt on for B. And then I asked myself one simple question. Wait a minute. Why on earth is a defense contractor making this little tiny car when an automotive contractor probably could have done the same thing better and probably cheaper? And per usual, to absolutely nobody's surprise, it's because once again, the government ruins everything. Yes, we do. All right, so let's take it from the top. Once upon a time in 1775, the United States Continental Congress says, hey, delivering mail is super duper important because we don't have email and phones and telegraphs yet. And delivering letters is the only way that we can communicate. So we need to establish a post office. And we're going to take one of our smartest founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin, and make Mike. him the first postmaster general to figure this entire thing out. Then the It's simple. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's simple. The United States is got it's got this lobbying problem. And one of their big lobbies is the military industrial complex. Companies like Northrop Grumman. And so they say, hey, how about you make these mail trucks for us? And it's another good way to launder money to Mailthrop Grumman. Mailthrop Grumman, in turn, lobbies or it lobbies and funds congress people who in turn vote for all the shit that gets us in perpetual war and ta-da here you go you got the fucking truck and by the way i i'm really glad that you skipped through all the bits where this guy shows off that he's a cuckold yeah yeah i try to keep it concise i know sometimes yeah, I, we you know go long i appreciate but, it his, his yeah. girlfriend comes out and he's like i'm glad you got a shirt on this time like what yeah. the fuck dude yeah. yeah let's keep on point um yeah so you might not be surprised those of you who know if if you know the name lysander spooner that's where my mind started to go when i started hearing about um this guy talking about the mail, you know, the, the post office and the uh, artificially enforced monopoly on the post office and how this guy, Lysander Spooner, uh, who's who's quite a hero in our circles, right, in our libertarian anarcho sphere, uh, he he attempted to take on the post office. 
But to be honest, it's almost, from what I can tell, he he brought their attention to a weak a weak link in their armor, right? And they just shirted it up. It's almost like his efforts were counterproductive in fighting the post office, right? It only made the post office more militant. Okay. Y'all y'all catching what I'm laying down here? I'm going to skip ahead and show you just a little more of this because it's it's relevant. Um but then we'll go to Lysander Spooner. Usually because there is an exception that if you have something of vital importance that needs to be like overnighted to somewhere immediately, you are allowed to use FedEx or USPS to ship that if it's of vital importance. And I know what you're thinking. It seems like there's a pretty big gray area there. I mean, who sets the criteria as to whether or not something is important enough to violate the U.S. Postal Service's legal monopoly and be able to use FedEx or UPS to send a letter or an important document? Well, obviously, that would be the U.S. Postal Service's in-house federal law enforcement agency, the Postal Inspectors. I, I'm not shitting you. The mailmen have their own federal law enforcement agency. I had I had no idea. Now, typically the postal inspectors are doing really great things like making sure that people aren't sending bombs or drugs through the mail or investigating people that have had their mail stolen, which if you didn't know is actually a federal crime. And back in the day in 1775, when the post office and the postal inspectors were founded, Congress levied the death penalty for stealing mail. And while that's all fine and dandy, once in a while, the postal inspectors get a wild hair in their ass and they decide that they are going to enforce their legalized monopoly. For example, back in 1993, a big company called Equifax was using a private courier to deliver all of their mail, not just their packages. And because of this, the U.S. Postal Inspectors launched an armed raid of their company headquarters, determined that their mail wasn't important enough to be overnighted and that they were legally required to use the United States Postal Service and then gave them a $30,000 fine. Yeah, if you live in America and you run a business and you decide that you don't like using the United States Postal Service and you're going to exclusively try to use like FedEx or UPS or something, there is a greater than 0% chance that armed mailmen in body armor will show up to your headquarters and raid your business, tell you that's illegal, and then give you a fine. Okay, do I want to talk shit right now because that seems absolutely insane and ridiculous? Yeah, a little bit. Am I gonna? Absolutely not because they know where I live, okay? I didn't know they existed until yesterday and already Special Forces Mailmen is on the top of my list of people I'm not gonna fuck with. So, so not only... Are you not allowed to own a Toyota Hilux? You're not allowed to ship letters without the U.S. government inspecting every one of those fucking letters. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. Where, where else do they? Uh, where do? Where else do they do that, Mike? Where can you think of uh, in life that something like that might happen, where a letter that you send to somebody else gets intercepted in the process and you know inspected for what's inside during wartime he's talking about jail prison yeah i'm talking about yeah. prison oh, okay mm -hmm. well war as well um <clears throat> i don't know if they i i don't know if they're opening every single letter or using some kind of like special laser thing to read all the text off the page though i'm sure they have the technology and they probably are doing that 
Um, <clears throat> I do know that they they were without a warrant using like they don't need a warrant to check who's sending letters to and from somebody, and they did use that in the past to track uh, whoever they considered to be extremist groups and to see who was corresponding with one another before email and all that, uh, you know. And they would build these like webs just using that and, and tracking metadata on. Uh, phone calls and things like that is basically just an extension of what they were already doing using the post office, you know, because like the 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 address on on your envelope is essentially metadata, you know. So, so that I can well, that. now that they have an AI in their arsenal, um, things are going to get a little bit crazier whenever it comes to the institutions that they control. One thing that I want to mention, because I don't know if we're going to get into it at all, but you know how Elon Musk is is basically just a welfare whore and um, and ends up getting on the end of every single government contract for shit all the time. But there's another tycoon out there, and that's Jeff Bezos. And when you look at Jeff Bezos, he would not be anywhere without the US Postal Service. Well, it's kind of interesting, actually. Um, Amazon seems to be nipping at the heels, right? As far as- Nipping at the heels, they're making them open on Sunday. Wow, right. But they also have their own fleet, right? Like they're-, they're No. They're, well, they've, they've got their Amazon delivery vehicles, and then they also use the USPS. Um, the, well, yeah, this, it used to be exclusively your Amazon packages went through USPS. So this, right. is, this has been a slow progression over time. Uh, but you're right in that they're, they're basically forcing the Postal Service to step up their game because they're about to be supplanted by Amazon. Mm. So maybe, maybe the argument could be made that Jeff Bezos is the new Lysander Spooner. He's not. I'm just he's saying. He's rocking like, the boat. <laughs> the argument, the argument could be made. Um, you know, for those that do not know who Lysander Spooner is, uh, let me let me give you a little intro here. He was apparently optimistic enough about the possibility of making change happen within the system that he kept trying it. Um, and perhaps there's a lesson there that we might uh, return to at some point. You're listening to The Corbett Report. Welcome. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. It is the 24th of January, 2013. And today I'm honored to be joined on the line by Gary Chartier, who is a professor of law and business at the uh, La Sierra University. He also is a contributor to the uh, Center for a Stateless, Stateless Society, where he's a senior fellow. He's also a contributor to Bleeding Heart Libertarians, and he has his own blog at liberallaw.blogspot.com. Uh, Gary Chartier, it's great to have you on the program today. Thank you for joining us. It's a real pleasure to be here. Well, uh, today I wanted to talk about Lysander Spooner, and as people out there may or may not know, it was just recently his 205th birthday last Saturday on uh, January 19th, which is probably not a date that most people have marked on their calendar, but I understand that uh, you might be something of an expert on the subject, not only be because of your background and your, uh, your education, but also because I understand you have a cat named after Lysander Spooner, so you are uniquely qualified to talk about him. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> but okay, let's so let's it's such a huge topic to start talking about the life of such an important thinker. But um, let's start with the big question. Uh, it has been 205 years since Lysander Spooner was born. Obviously, he's long dead. Why should we be remembering him at this point? What was his historical legacy? Well, I'd say that Lysander Spooner deserves continued attention because he was an incisive legal and political thinker and one of the real founders of American individualist anarchism. Uh, Spooner was a, uh, a practicing lawyer uh, who was interested also in uh, uh, kind of big picture constitutional issues that he didn't necessarily ever get to litigate. We'll perhaps talk about that a bit more later, uh, whose increasing realization that the system established by the Constitution was fundamentally flawed led him to move from a, a kind of radical uh, libertarianism that still took the state with a limited amount of seriousness, all the way to a full-blown anarchism, which he articulated in some very passionate and uh, and well-argued uh, polemics over the course of his career. Well, then let's let's talk a little bit about his life. And of course, it's always a bit, uh, I always get a bit nervous when people start to read too much into someone's biography as that relates to their thinking, because sometimes I think we have a tendency to conflate the two. But certainly, Lysander Spooner did have an interesting upbringing with his father that might have contributed to some of his uh, free thinking ideas and his, uh, his libertarian spirit. Let's talk a little bit about his early life and uh, the background that he came from. Well, you know, there's a lot, obviously, to be said uh, about uh, about Spooner's biography, um, and I guess, indeed, uh, with you, I don't want to I don't want to draw too much uh, uh, from what we might say about uh, about his uh, his earliest life, and there may be things you want to you want to to highlight there. The, the two biographical things, I guess, I'd really want to highlight, but I'm very happy to to turn to anything that uh, that seems more important to you. Uh, first of all, something that biographically clearly did play a huge part in uh, in his thing it has to have been his experience as a competitor with the U.S. Postal Service. Uh, Spooner uh, created something called the American Letter Mail Company, uh, which he demonstrated practically was capable of outperforming the Postal Service as a contributor to uh, to mail delivery in several major cities. Uh, the, the ultimate result of this was that the U.S. Congress deliberately put him out of business, uh, creating a legislative uh, uh, requirement uh, that made competing with the Postal Service uh, impossible. Possible. And of course, we continue to see that today, uh, the, the legacy there in the uh, Postal Service's uh, limits on, uh, on first-class mail competition. Uh, the other thing uh, in his biography, and again, we can dwell on either of these in more detail, but the other thing in his biography that I'd really want to highlight would be his um, uh, involvement in the abolitionist cause. And this was not just a matter of framing constitutional arguments against uh, slavery, which he did with great passion, but he actually uh, was involved in some more radical stuff as the um, um, uh, crisis involving the uh, um, uh, prosecution of John Brown continued after Harper's Ferry. Uh, Spooner is actually involved in efforts uh, to plan for the kidnapping of the uh, governor of Virginia to uh, trade for the arrested John Brown. Uh, so he was, he was very much an on-the-ground uh, uh, abolitionist activist of uh, a really radical nature. I think that opposition to slavery was, was clearly one of them. All right. Pause in there. Um, dude sounds pretty radical, right? Uh, the unfortunate thing is, I think he directly caused 
the increase, like I said, the increased militant nature of the post office, you know, just by even attempting to to challenge them, to compete with them. You know, it's kind of like, is it really even worth trying to to fight these powers? Because every time you do, you just end up making them more powerful. Right, right. We talked about this uh, in a private conversation just a, a yesterday um, that whenever whenever they did all their shit in 2020, they uh, they learned what we would do to react to it. And so they were more they're going to be more resilient to it the next time. So that that's what we're always looking at. And that's that's kind of what he did. He kind of accelerated them being resilient to somebody's shit. <laughs> but, you know, maybe maybe that is the solution, right? Like, in a sense, like you have to challenge them. They they're they're going to beat you. But the more they overstep, the more they I, you have to be consistent and, yeah. and continue because because you can't break them at this point uh, they were breakable about... during that time but in a sense you're proving their illegitimacy when when they have no choice but to legislate you out of business you are well yeah that's that's what lysander or legal man would say is that you're proving their illegitimacy but yeah. it, it, at this point does it matter that they're illegitimate i mean they're still gonna fucking kill you they're still gonna throw you in a cage they're that's illegitimate what i was gonna say if uh, oh. you guys know you guys know about like bug bounties, right? Like uh, if you're if you're kind of a hacker, you can go find find a bug in someone's software that allows you to hack it. You tell the company and they'll pay you out, and then they go and patch the security hole. You know. Um, similarly, I mean, what's consistent throughout Spooner's work? I, I ran away to go find a book I had lying around because I hadn't read him in a long time. What, what's consistent throughout Spooner's work is that he does point out the like, in, not really the inefficiencies, but the illegitimacies of state power. And when you do that, they they have nothing to fall. They can't fall back on. Well, they can fall back on the the rule of law, but. All that means is they're going to become more violent. So they're going to become more militaristic. They, they're they, going they, to use that power because it's yeah. like, oh, the illusion has been perforated. So if the people they can't, are going to keep themselves in line, we have they to can't, force they can't them fall, into line. You know? They can't fall back on rationality or, or logic. Right. Um, yeah. 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 They have to go to force if they don't get their own right. way. Right. A bunch of toddlers having a tantrum. I mean, there's been a few uprisings, hasn't there? There's, there was one that I was reading about not long ago, and I think it was, I don't know, 1930s-ish uh, in Washington, D.C. Do you know about that one? It was interesting. Mm -hmm. It was after the war and um, – oh, it was after World War One, so it must have been in the 20s, I guess, um, where the soldiers wanted some money that the government had promised them and the government just weren't giving it to them, the, the returned soldiers. And um, so there was, a, there was an uprising and – I think it was MacArthur. So I don't know, whenever he was. Um, yeah, basically the government just came out and, like, they set up a camp at um, whatever you government houses. <laughs> and um, then they just went out and just burnt everything, burnt the camp, shot at the people, 
Like it was pretty wild. The government just, yeah, it was this pure force that just dispersed the whole thing. So, um, and look at what they've got now, you know. (laughs) We've had a a few good comments, and I wonder if anybody has um, comments on these comments, but somebody said Smedley Butler. I think he might have been uh, involved in this in this uprising that you're referring to, Stella. Ah, yes, um, that rings a bell. He was yes. he was like the most decorated war hero this country's ever seen, and he got converted into a full blown anarchist. Um, anybody who knows more about Smedley Butler uh, than I do, I'd love to <laughs> hand it over here, but. Yeah, that that name. I think I might have. Uh, I saw something about him. I sorry, I only come across these characters sort of once, and then I move on. But um, not part of my history. Does but, um, Does anybody know? I mean, Ando, are you familiar? Yes, I, I know he wrote a book called War Is a Racket, and I know yep. that he, you know, he uh, he spoke out basically played out how all these systems work. In fact, something that I just mentioned earlier was, you know, that that military contract the track between Northrop Grumman, uh, North, fuck, I hate words like this, Northrop Grumman. Yeah, it's it's so gross. Just, it does not roll off the tongue. Anyway, uh, Northrop Grumman and the U.S. Postal Service, things like that. Yeah, they pat each other's pockets, working in a, uh, a whole fucked up way of ways and turn on the meat grinder and in the meat grinder is people like us. So yeah, that's Smedley Butler in a nutshell is let's uh, brothers and sisters dying for corporate profits. I think it'd be worth diving in here. Um, You know, I'm pretty much out of material that I brought, but Smedley Butler is certainly worth, you know, I, I do want to go back to um, the last clip I shared about Lysander Spooner. We'll get back to it. But uh, a little intro into who Smedley Butler was is probably worthwhile. That would be awesome, actually. That'd be really good to dig in. He, he sort of sounds more like um, a Simpsons character. <laughs> hmm. Well, here we go. Before we get just into it today, you just clicked on a video all about business. And if you love business, then who doesn't? Then you might like my new channel, Business Blaze. It's a business-themed channel, and we cover topics like why the £50 note in the UK is pretty much just for criminals, and what exactly happens at Enron, and much more. But this isn't a channel quite like today I found out. It's facts, but it's also got a healthy dose of silliness mixed in as well. If you want me to just give you the facts straight, and you hate fun, well, Business Blaze is probably not for you. But if you like facts and fun together, well, you're probably going to like it. There's a link to a recent video below, and let's get into today's video. In 1933 and 1934, an alleged plot to overthrow the government of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, by Wall Street bankers may have happened. While contemporary newspapers called it a gigantic hoax, others, including the House's Special Committee on Un-American Activities, found the allegations credible. You decide. 
During the campaign of 1932, FDR's promise of jobs for the unemployed frightened businessmen who feared he would turn their capitalist nation socialist and engage in what they viewed as reckless government spending. To add insult to injury, one of Roosevelt's first economic acts as president was to abandon the gold standard in 1933. Conservatives were outraged. As Senator Henry D. Hatfield wrote, This is despotism. This is tyranny. This is the annihilation of liberty. The ordinary American is thus reduced to the status of a robot. The president has not merely signed the death warrant of capitalism, but has ordained the mutilation of the Constitution unless the Friends of Liberty, regardless of party, band themselves together to regain their lost freedom. Some joined together to form the American Liberty League with the intent of showing the value of encouraging people to work, encouraging people to get rich. Members included some of the wealthiest and most powerful people in the country at the time, such as Irénée Pierre and Lamont Dupont, John W. Davis, former presidential candidates and lawyer to J.P. Morgan, Alfred Sloan of General Motors, and Al Smith, a prominent New York politician. According to those who believed there was a plot, several members of the League, fearful of the socialistic and communistic, in their mind, reforms FDR intended, they planned to overthrow his administration. The plotters included a DuPont, a former presidential candidate, a former governor of New York, Wall Street bankers, and a director of Bethlehem Steel. Two members of this Wall Street putsch were Gerald McGuire, a well-connected bond salesman and commander of the Connecticut American Legion, and William Doyle, also a former American Legion commander. At this time in the US, in the midst of the Great Depression, fascism was not seen as an entirely bad thing by a number of Americans. In fact, one historian has noted, the success of Huey Long, the popular and powerful governor of Louisiana, seemed evidence that fascism could come from within and with the acquiescence of the people. In fact, advocates of the right-wing style government believed they had a ready militia just waiting for them in the posts of the American Legion. As one Emily Marshall wrote in her The Forgotten Treason, The Plot to Overthrow FDR, the impoverished but well-trained veterans of the First World War were the ideal candidates for a fascist militia, and through the American Legion, they were already organized and uniformed with nearly a million members. So this brings us to General Smedley Butler. Without a doubt, Butler was an American hero joining the Marines at the age of 16. He did a stint in Cuba in 1898 and was noted for outstanding heroism during the Boxer Rebellion, later added not one but two Medals of Honor, and pretty much continued to shine throughout his career until rising to the rank of Major General after a few decades of serving. No lapdog to the establishment, Butler frequently came afoul of the powers that be. For example, in 1932, he defended the Bonus Marchers, a protest of 20,000 impoverished World War I veterans camped out in Washington, D.C., trying to obtain benefits. Butler was very popular with the veterans and was frequently asked to speak to veterans' groups. In an address to a conversation of the American Legion in 1931, Butler stated, I spent 33 years being a high-class muscle man for big business, for Wall Street and the bankers. In short, I was a racketeer for capitalism, purifying Nicaragua for the international banking house. In 1909 to 1912, Mexico for American oil interests in 1916, the Dominican Republic for American sugar interests in 1916, Haiti and Cuba for the National City Boys. I helped in the rape of half a dozen Central American republics for the benefit of Wall Street. Butler Makes me so damn mad a whole lot of people speak of you as tramps. By God, they didn't speak of your tramps in 1917 and 18. No. <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you something. I've been all over the world. 
I've seen you fellows on the streets in Washington. There isn't this well-behaved group of citizens in the world that's sitting right in this camp. Take it from me. This is the greatest demonstration of Americanism we've ever had. Pure Americanism. Willing to take this beating as you've taken it. Stand right steady. You keep every law. And why in the hell shouldn't you? Who in the hell has done all the bleeding for this country and for this law and, and this constitution anyhow but two fellas? Many Marines have demonstrated their courage on the battlefield in many wars. But Smedley Butler displayed a courage that is unprecedented in U.S. history. By maintaining his oath to the Constitution, he became the sworn enemy of the very people he fought for, becoming an even greater hero. Who was Smedley Butler? Besides being twice decorated with the Medal of Honor, how did he display even greater courage and preserve the U.S. Constitution, preventing a coup installing a military dictatorship? Why was he hated by the large captains of industry and politicians alike? Hello, I'm Colin Heaton, former soldier, Marine Corps scout sniper, history professor, historian and book author. And we will answer these questions and other issues on this segment of Forgotten History. Born on July 30th, 1881, Major General Smedley Butler was the eldest son of a Quaker family from Westchester, Pennsylvania. Butler came from a line of civil servicemen. His father, Thomas Butler, was a Republican representative for the state of Pennsylvania in Congress, and his maternal grandfather, Smedley Darlington, was also a Republican congressman. Butler served in several major world conflicts, including the Spanish-American War, the Boxer Rebellion, the Philippine-American War, and World War I. He had been appointed commanding officer of the Gendarmerie during the 1915 to 1934 United States occupation of Haiti. During his time in service, Butler became known for his bravery and relentless leadership in battle, and he was awarded with several distinctions, including two medals of honor. The first was for his actions at Veracruz, Mexico, on April 22, 1914, and the second for his actions on November 17, 1915, in Haiti. For his actions as a 37-year-old Brigadier General in France during World War I, he was awarded an Army Distinguished Service Medal, the Marine Corps Brevet Medal, a Navy Distinguished Service Medal, and the French Order of the Black Star, akin to a knighthood. From 1924 to 1925, he was appointed as the Philadelphia Director of Public Safety. As the mayor, W. Freeland Kendrick, wanted a military man to root out police corruption and attack organized crime related to prohibition, gambling, and money laundering. After the short-term position was completed, Butler took time to reflect. He became disillusioned with the many wars America had fought on behalf of big business interests. His insights provoked great controversy and political retaliation after he published his book on the subject, putting his experiences and beliefs out to the public. After Butler retired from the U.S. Marine Corps in October 1931, he made a nationwide tour in the early 1930s, giving his speech, War is a Racket. The speech was so well received that he wrote a longer version as a short book published in 1935. His work was considered in Reader's Digest as a book supplement, which helped popularize his message. Butler discussed how business interests commercially benefit from warfare at the expense of the soldier and citizen. Butler recommended the following three steps to disrupt the war racket to save American lives in the future. Making war unprofitable, Butler suggested that the means for war should be conscripted before those who would fight the war. Quote, 
it can be smashed effectively only by taking the profit out of war. The only way to smash this racket is to conscript capital and industry and labor before the nation's manhood can be conscripted, end quote. He had another quote that was quite substantial, quote, let the officers and the directors and the high-powered executives of our armament factories and our steel companies and our munitions makers and our shipbuilders and our airplane builders and the manufacturers of all things that provide profit in wartime, as well as the bankers and the speculators, be conscripted to get $30 a month, the same wage as the lads in the trenches get. Another quote, the trouble with America is that when the dollar only earns 6% over here, then it gets restless and goes overseas to get 100%. Then the flag follows the dollar and the soldiers follow the flag, end quote. Butler then delved even deeper into the evils of warfare to support corporate profit. His main insights came to light after President Woodrow Wilson threw the United States into World War I to protect the business interest of his financial and political benefactors. Quote, I helped in the raping of half a dozen Central American republics for the benefit of Wall Street. The record of racketeering is long. Looking back on it, I feel I might have even given Al Capone a few hints. The best he could do was to operate his racket in three city districts. We Marines operated on three continents. I spent 33 years in the Marines, most of my time being a high-class muscle man for big business, for Wall Street and the bankers. In short, I was a racketeer for capitalism, end quote. Smedley Butler also believed that acts of war should be decided by those who fight it. He also suggested that Congress pass a limited referendum to determine if the war is to be fought, is it worth it to the nation as a whole, and is it in the nation's best interest? He also... All right, <clears throat> I'm pausing. You know, I almost think... Um... If I'm doing my job right, I'm leaving y'all speechless. But if anybody has anything to say. Very, very pregnant pause here. Um, very, very pregnant. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I already knew about this guy. Um, right. A lot of people do, but a lot of people don't. I, I think uh, when when you get his background, it 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 he's one of those people that whenever he says something, he's got a lot of credibility based off that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, it, one of the best warriors of all time says that war is bullshit. There well, you go. and uh, Drizzle Drizzle brought up in the comments, he he was supposedly a Quaker, and yet. Uh, a very effective soldier, which is a bit of a conundrum, a bit of a uh, oxymoron, if you will. Well, I mean, my question is how how did he end up in the military if he was born as a Quaker? Because I grew up around Quakers, and I can tell you that every single one of them would not have gone into mili military service. So I don't know how that works. It's a good question, and there's really, as far as I know, Drizzle, not a not a satisfactory answer. Uh, um, would it be the case that maybe he's not like a practicing Quaker, if there is such a thing? I don't know anything much about them. That or he, um, you know, I, I think that in his mind, he made the, I don't know, the, the dark 
agreement, the 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 justification that uh the dark killing, yeah yeah that killing a few is better than many more dying right which is always uh, the, that's that's always the argument that's always <laughs> that's the justification for war better that we kill a few than than many more you know yep do you know who said that recently as well david keith and if you know anything about the geoengineering world, <laughs> you'll know who David Keyes is. And Did y'all happen to catch Janet Yellen explain how this whole machine works? No. In so many words. I could send you the clip. Uh, yeah, I'll, please, I'll please do. The, uh, through the telegram. Um, cool. But, yeah. Well, um, I think Smedley kind of hits it on the head when he says if he can take the profit out of war, it's pretty much got it beat. Mm -hmm. well i think i'll play a little more uh ando send me that clip uh but yeah let's let's carry on here so believe that limitations should be imposed limiting militaries to self-defense for the united states butler recommended that the navy be limited by law to operating within 200 miles of the coastline and the army restricted to the territorial limits of the country ensuring that war if fought can never be one of aggression only defense in an introduction to the Reader's Digest version of his book, correspondent Lowell Thomas praised Butler's moral as well as physical courage. Thomas had written Smedley Butler's oral autobiography. It contains this summary, quote, War is a racket. It always has been. It is possibly the oldest, easily the most profitable, surely the most vicious. It is the only one international in scope. It is the only one in which the profits are reckoned in dollars and the losses in lives. A racket is best described, I believe, as something that is not what it seems to the majority of the people. Only a small inside group knows what it is about. It is conducted for the benefit of the very few at the expense of the very many. Out of war, a few people make huge fortunes, end quote. Butler confessed that during his decades of service in the Marine Corps, quote, I helped make Mexico especially Tampico, safe for American oil interests in 1914. I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the National Citibank boys to collect revenues in. I helped in the raping of a half a dozen Central American republics for the benefits of Wall Street. The record of racketeering is long. I helped purify Nicaragua for the International Banking House of Brown Brothers in 1909 to 1912. Where have I heard that name before? I brought light to the Dominican Republic for American sugar interests in 1916. In China, I helped see to it that Standard Oil went its way unmolested, end quote. Butler's book and revelations were explosive and the large corporations that benefited most from global conflict immediately had their knives out for him. He was lured into a political ambush by the leadership of the American Legion, but he saw through it. Butler was well known for his advocacy for veterans' rights and was a vocal opponent of how the government treated veterans. He was especially incensed after the Washington Bonus Army fiasco in 1932, which he opposed. There were many in business and industry who felt that the White House, principally Presidents Calvin Coolidge and Herbert Hoover, and later Franklin D. Roosevelt, were restricting big business and they wanted their monopolies. This was especially true of the feelings they held towards Roosevelt for his taking the U.S. off the gold standard and his starting to lean towards eliminating business with Nazi Germany and Japan due to their political positions. Leaving the gold standard was a major problem for many high-ranking officials. 
businessmen and bankers in 1933. Although there were several recognized issues with money backed by gold, such as dependency on gold production and short-term price instabilities, many bankers were fearful that their gold-backed loans would not be paid back in full by the president's new policies. Butler saw these issues no different from Woodrow Wilson declaring war against Imperial Germany and Austria-Hungary in 1917, because if the Allies lost that war, billions of dollars would be lost that were held in European banks, and Wilson owed a lot of political favors. In addition, FDR's social projects, such as the Tennessee Valley Authority Act of 1933, smacked of communist-style socialism and required the wealthy businessmen to compete with the federal government on bidding their projects, if there were any bids at all. The plan was to bring Butler in to lead a 500,000-man private army and lead a peaceful march into Washington, D.C. in a show of force to replace Roosevelt in favor of a nationalist government run by the military, leaving FDR as a figurehead. Knowing that this was perhaps the most serious violation of the U.S. Constitution, Butler declined, and he was hauled into McCormick-Dixton Congressional Committees on Un-American Activity in November 1934. Ironically, those whom Butler accused of plotting to overthrow the government called him a liar. Those he accused included the DuPont and Rockefeller families, Prescott Bush, the father and grandfather of both presidents, Robert Sterling Clark, an heir to the Singer sewing machine fortune, Gerald C. McGuire, a bond salesman, and Robert Doyle. McGuire and Doyle were prominent members of the American Legion. All right, pause in there. I feel like somebody's got to have something to say. Well, that that's kind of an important thing right there where you're pausing. So what what's happening here is is this guy is showing you a little roadmap of of who's who's working, like who's at work. Whenever you see the bushes at work, you should pay attention because the bushes are big players. The Bush, the Bushes and the Clintons have been business partners for a long time and don't let anybody ever think you think that they're rivals. We almost had um we had 12 years of their regimes, right? What wasn't it something like that? Uh no. Yeah. Uh eight. no, so, it was 20 years. 20 years of the regimes. Yeah. And we almost had 24. Is that right? Uh, it just depends on how you count it, you know? Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, if, if you really want to look at it, uh, the eight years of Reagan was basically more Bush regime. You're right. Yep. Yeah. So they, they, they've been major players during this whole thing. And they were actors in a way, but at the same time, they're players, you know, like uh, like Obama's in in Biden's ear. Obama is something. He's he's something that is happening. You know, there are certain ones that are just a carcass, a, you know, a sock bucket and puppet. And then there's certain ones that are actually doing shit. Any other comments? Uh, what's right. old is new again. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. You know, yeah. guys, you know, like with this forum, you know, I always, I, my, my approach is I want to appeal to the person who is learning this shit for the first time. So if there's ever a moment where you're like, we already know this shit, like 
just keep that in mind. There's always somebody who doesn't know this shit. And I think it's worth kind of, you know, spelling it out in different ways at different times. But again, like to me, it's funny to go from like, why, why can't I own the best truck ever made to, to Smedley Butler and Lysander Spooner? You know, it, it makes sense to me. It's not easy to fucking illustrate necessarily. That's why I use well, all these clips. But well, are we common... eventually going to make our way to Killdozer? Because, like, I feel that's where we're headed. You know, <laughs> I wasn't planning on it, but uh, if you think it applies, you know, maybe so. Make your case. You know, all all roads lead to Killdozer. <laughs> well you know so maybe there's the argument actually killdozer as a metaphor you know because i i keep coming back to this thought of like when you pile on all this bureaucratic nonsense and people start to wake up to the fact that it is in fact nonsense what what is the inevitable result fucking killdozer you know because what well, what else can yeah, we do? That would you know, be the extreme example. But but, but if, Smet, if there's Smet, like enough people, they just withdraw their power from the system and the system collapses. Yeah, you know, but we've got like we've we've got Lysander Spooner and we've got Smedley Butler, and they tried. They tried, but they failed. Yeah, yeah. And 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 whether people withdraw their, you know, they, I I would say like even a critical mass. Like if, if a million people withdrew their support of the system, let's say two million, how many people? Uh, there's 300 million people that that vote in this country, 300 million or something like that, right? Is that right? These last. No, we only oh. have we. No, it's like it's like uh like 150 oh, million. million. I, I think it's it's less than half of our population, and our population is is a little shy of four hundred million. Okay, okay. Well, it's probably like five hundred now, thanks to Biden. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> well, anyway, yeah, yeah. All, all these people vote, whatever the fuck that is. But you know, if, if a million, two million, five million, you know, all these people like withdraw the support from the system, the system's still gonna the gonna plug on um well that's that's it actually um you know half of the american population does not vote so half of the people have withdrawn the other half keep voting and keep giving their moral consent and apparently that's enough it uh how many people dodged the draft in vietnam you know i don't know like, do you that's... think it was enough to cause a serious uh like shortfall in how many soldiers they would need to keep it going because what do they do if they couldn't get able-bodied young men they start raising the they start well they start getting women in there and then they start raising the age you know so now we're taking you know men in their late 30s early 40s um they started sending people with severe mental problems out there they'll find the numbers and they if, they know, recently lowered the uh the iq standards or the the testing standards they're they're like just been out of necessity well yeah they're like uh yeah well you know we'll take we'll take you you know you might be kind of slow but we'll we'll fucking take you 
because they cannot reach their recruitment numbers. Right. And and that's just with that's just one example from history of people opting out, you know, and with as much difficulty as came with that, you know. Um, well, I think people I, are also doing that. I was just going to say, you know, I, you know, Israel disgusts me because if you have to make your women fight, go fuck yourself, man. Whatever you're fighting for, if you got to put your woman, your women, I should say, on the front lines, you are fucking dirtbags. Sorry. The thing is that as time progresses, they get more and more technology that um, is on their side. So therefore, um, you know, voting has no, it really has no weight, does it? Because if they don't get the numbers, they create the numbers. Um, they make sure that they get the numbers somehow. And uh, if they don't have enough money, they just print it. You know, I mean, like the, the non-compliance should have been stronger a long time ago. I'm not sure. The only alternative really now is <clears throat> an alternative system, I guess, is just being non-reliant. Non-compliance is a little late non-reliance might be where we're at right i wanted uh, where i was going with that was that i think that's we're in the throes of that right now like maybe globally with people not not going you know after the occupations that would be to their full potential you know like um I don't want to say people are going galt, but, you know, people are taking lower responsibility jobs just because they can and they don't want to take on a huge amount of responsibility and, and do the crazy entrepreneur working 80 hours a week thing to, to really make it rich because they're just fine scraping by. They don't, you know, or, or a lot of people don't have dependents these days and so they don't need that much money, so they're not really – you know, trying that hard. And I think that's the essence of the competence crisis, even more than just, I think that maybe I, maybe I'm boomerang, but I think the kids coming up today are not just not as intelligent as yeah, generations I was, yeah. past. I was just you know. going to say they're making, well, it's part of the objective is making people into docile, lazy blobs. They're just, you just sit there and play your games or whatever, and we'll run the world basically. I mean, in extreme, because people are being, you know, they're, they're losing their spark for life too, and largely due even just to things like the food, the, the chemicals, the poisons. Um, it's just dulling people's drive. Um, and and then you've got the the other I've things the like you know, video games and government payouts and welfare and all that sort of stuff as well. So, you know, you don't really need to survive to go out. You just got to cruise down the supermarket to survive these days. So. Why would anyone have that drive? You know, it's like a whole generation that has to has disappeared. Um, it all, and they, it you know, all largely engineered. It all comes back to chicken, maybe. I don't know. Well, uh, the common denominator between you. This is nineteen sixty four was when the chicken the chicken it all comes down to that like two year stretch between like sixty was it sixty two it was like four years, sixty two to sixty four. Also, 65 was uh, the Immigration and Naturalization Act. I mean, it all seemed to happen right around that one slice of history, around one president, one or two presidential administrations, really. Well, it's, you know, it's kind of interesting because you could make the same argument for like 1912 to 1914. Um, you know, the 
I would say you could also make the argument for our present time period. Right. So it's actually kind of interesting that we're talking about this chicken act that was in like the 60s. Well, I I guess started post-World War II, but um and and going all the way back to Smedley Butler who was talking about shit, you know, in 1912. So let me let me carry on here with Smedley Butler and then we'll wrap we'll, we'll come on back to Lysander Spooner, who was actually just a hair earlier, but yeah. And had amassed a fortune in their Legion account that was not used to help veterans. Instead, they were using that money to try and organize an army of veterans that would serve their purposes, and they had help from Bush and others. Butler gave his testimony and provided his evidence, including the testimony and written notes of Philadelphia record writer Paul Comley French, who agreed to meet with McGuire as well. During this meeting, McGuire told French that he believed the fascist state was the only answer for America, and that Smedley was the ideal leader because he could organize one million men overnight. Later, it was stated that everything Butler testified to under oath was verified to be accurate, but Butler had the evidence. Quickly becoming known as the White House coup and the Wall Street putsch, many major news sources owned by these big business groups derided Butler's claims, as the committee's final report was not made available to the public. It was considered too explosive. In essence, Butler had exposed the fact that big business dictated American foreign policy for financial gain. They owned the politicians all the way to the White House, and that we, the people, paid for it with our lives. Those implicated laughed off Butler's claims. Evidence of the validity of Butler's testimony was not released until the 21st century, when the committee's papers were published in the public domain. No one was ever prosecuted in connection to the plot. What is now known was that Major General Smedley Butler, a critic of unrestricted capitalism, was also a staunch opponent of militarized socialism. Once again, becoming a hero when he stood up to the wealthiest and most powerful men in the country who wanted to overthrow a president. Butler also made many enemies as he was also opposed to Jim Crow laws and a segregated military. He felt that black and Native Americans should have all the rights of whites, and that should include no discrimination in society or the military. Smedley Butler died on June 21, 1940, his reputation as a warrior and patriot intact, as was his legacy of service to the nation and the Constitution. We hope you enjoyed this segment of Forgotten History. Please click like and subscribe. All right. Uh, any comments? Yet again, don't tempt me with a good time. <laughs> so I was just typing in the comments, imagine a fascist regime run by Smedley Butler. <laughs> I was going to say, sound like a populist. Well, he, yeah, he's a like in a way nationalist because I mean nationalist has become a bad word over the last eighty years, but uh, but nationalism really means more babies, more jobs, and more for the citizens. Not this, not this bullshit that we're seeing right now, where you know people people cross our imaginary line and and get a check for uh, it's like the the whole fucking monopoly check. You know, when you, you pass go, you get 200 bucks. Remember that in the game? Well, yeah, they're doing that with illegals now. So Exactly. Yeah. They're trying to they're trying to kill nationalism. They're trying to kill they always um, have. Cu culture. Yeah, exactly. It's just another. Yeah. The same playbook. 80 to 100 years or so of, of, of doing that. Yeah. But it, if Smedley were in charge of it, it I mean, it's, he sounds like he sounds like. Uh, an extreme 
liberal in a lot of ways. Um, and, and that's what, uh, that's something that they, they like. And so, well, so, so did, so did Lysander Spooner. Yeah. Oh yeah. They use all this stuff. I mean, like there's, there's, uh, yeah. Liberal authoritarians. Always fun. (laughs) Well, Lysander Spooner was, uh, supposedly like full-blown anarchist but he was he was a rabid rabid i should say uh abolitionist which i say you know good for you well i mean and being an abolitionist means stealing property from somebody (laughs) i mean no i mean legitimately it does i mean like that they they paid for it fair and square so like there has to be something and if you can't come to an agreement that that's the thing it's like there there was not an agreement made and this is why a fucking war happened supposedly according to all these douchebags not really that's not really why the war happened but an agreement has to be made if you're taking something from somebody who paid money for it uh, I also <clears throat> I think that his uh, his abolitionism kind of stemmed from the principle of just natural rights for the sake of freedom. Yeah, like it was yeah. it was just the natural state of of man to be free in his opinion, and that um, freeing the slaves would be a natural extension of that. And also, right. I mean, he was a critic of the war, and he rejected the popular history that the war was even about slavery at all you know he he's he was i had it a second ago but uh he the way he put it it was it was just for them to get even more citizens that they can conscript to keep their war machine going so by freeing the slaves you have now more bodies that you can throw at other wars for money you know Well, um, haven't heard from Drizzle or Ashley in a minute. I, you know, I'm happy to open the floor up. If there's nothing to add, though, I can carry on. No, I think you guys are doing a good job. All right. All right. Here we go. The things that led to his uh, his own increasing radicalization, but there would be other aspects of his biography you, you'd want to highlight. Uh, but well, in fact, you bring up two of the three main areas of his life and thought that I really wanted to hit on today. So why don't we start with the American Letter Mail Company and let's set the background for people about where he came up with this idea and why it, it was so important and what his success and subsequent, I suppose, failure at the hands of the state really teaches us about about what he learned in that experience from uh, from trying to go against the state. Well, um, so uh, Spooner uh, at this point is uh, is in the Midwest. Uh, he's uh, uh, this is um, sometime in the early 1830s. I'm not remembering the exact date, but uh, in any event, uh, he has uh, uh, been involved in uh, a fairly unsuccessful uh, land speculation effort uh, here. And uh, you know, I think he's uh, you know he's a young lawyer who's looking for uh, looking for ways to succeed entrepreneurially, and. Um, he's able to demonstrate, I think, re- really successfully that that service linking, I believe it's six cities, 
um, uh, can uh, can dramatically outperform uh, the uh, the U.S. Postal Service, and this is this is a going concern. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people will be aware that it is regularly claimed uh, that a functioning postal service is just the sort of thing that we need a state to provide. I mean, it's an odd sort of notion. Uh, postal service is not, in the traditional sense, uh, economic sense, a public good. Uh, it's possible to uh, exclude non-payers and certainly to make it go as a, as a market concern. But people often think that somehow uh, we're going to lose out if we don't have a state-driven uh, postal service. And what Spooner did was to show that a, uh, a clearly profitable alternative to what's often seen as a central state activity uh, could be managed uh, clearly with limited startup capital by a guy without previous experience doing this sort of thing. Uh, and obviously, this is in part a testimony uh, to his own uh, uh, intelligence and pluck, but it's also got to be a comment on uh, the, the real uh, possibility of outcompeting the state on its own territory. And if, so, of course, what was the natural reaction of that? Of course, the state moved to to shut that down and outlaw a competition to show that uh, that that in the end, I guess the the upstarts will never win. Exactly, they won't win. Not because they're better, uh, or not because they're not better, but because they uh, simply can't respond to the state's overwhelming uh, threat of force. And uh, uh, so, really, uh, really a problem. Oh, and uh, you know. This, this is typical of the, the early Spooner. That is, he's interested in taking on the state in its own, own territory. Perhaps this was the, the third thing you were thinking of, uh, having to do with bar admission. And, uh, you know, as a uh, uh, as a young lawyer, uh, he worked to uh, make it the case that educational qualifications didn't serve as a as a barrier to uh, his uh, his bar admission. He studied, uh, uh, you know, in a law office and then succeeded in, uh, you know, meeting uh, meeting bar requirements and convincing the uh, legislature uh, that indeed uh, he shouldn't be ruled out as a candidate because he hadn't met uh, really some fairly arbitrary uh, licensing rules. So he had lots of experience taking on the state in ways that I think made clear to him that there was all sorts of arbitrary uh, sort of regulatory foliage that the state had uh, allowed to uh, to grow up around people's exercise of their freedom. Uh, and his initial strategies really were ones in which he tried to uh, uh, sort of work within the system. Uh, it, what's clear is the time went on. He wasn't comfortable doing that. But, uh, you know, for, for a long time, um, he was apparently optimistic enough about the possibility of making change happen within the system that he kept trying it. Um, and All right. Pause in there. Um, golly, you know, we're, we're, we're hitting a lot of things here all at once. But, you know, Ando, you and I, like you said earlier, we had our little private chat. Um, I, I'm wondering what, what thoughts you have, if I can just, you know, hand it to you, uh, uh you, about you know, well, about this debate between, I don't know, I guess, um, right wing government versus full blown anarchism. And, uh, I know that's a bit. I mean, it, of, it, it yeah. depends, you know, it's it, anarchism doesn't get anything done. It, it's it's a wedge. It's revolutionary. It's meant for 
it's meant for disruption in order to take control by authoritarians of either right or left. And so what what you'll always see is is anarchist agitation before there is a a left wing revolution. And what happens is you get what you got right now. Now, um, whenever you get the the strong man that wants children to to be born and in a society where the trains run on time, it's probably better. And uh, and I think that a lot of people need to wake up to that at this point. Well, that is that is a funny alternative that's being shoved in our faces. Thank you, Tucker Carlson. But um, you know the fact that yeah, the New York City, you know, subway is a cesspool of crime and fucking open air drug use, and you know, and in Russia it's beautiful and elegant, and it runs on time. And uh, but it's not to yeah. say that it's not to say that they're right and we're wrong. It's to say well, I mean, that if, something, you something's ever, going something's going wrong here. Certainly, have you ever rode any public transit? You don't even need to to go to the main cesspool, which is the the uh, the New York City subway, right. which is just you know it, it it's everything that's wrong about multiculturalism. Has it you, um, gotten worse lately? I mean, obviously it's gotten worse lately, but hasn't it always been? A cesspool like the New York subway. I mean, from my well, perspective, it, all, all pub, public transit is is going to be bad. And it, you know, um, but in New York, it's like the epicenter of it. From my sort of when impression. I'm in when I'm in Salt Lake City and I'm going north, it's pretty good. Whenever you're in New York and you're going just about anywhere, you know, it 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 it's bad until you get like kind of kind of deep way uh deep way east you know you gotta get deep east or deep west you know the suburbs mm. so in the inner city the multiculturalism doesn't work it's it's a failed experiment it's it's bad it's bad for people it's bad for everybody around it it always contains exploitation and it's exploitation mainly of the people that work it's mainly of the people that provide so like i mean I, I don't understand why we're trying to fucking preserve multiculturalism because it, it's a fucking disaster it also um i wanted to add <clears throat> it comes down not to the economic system you know it's not the economic system's fault if the train station looks like garbage it's, it comes down to the political will of the local authorities because um uh, San Francisco. Remember when uh, Xi Jinping, I think, or was was it was it him? Uh, yeah. Visited, and it took them two weeks to clean all the human feces and the needles and the homeless people off the streets. It was clean. Two weeks. You know, that's all it takes. You can clean up any problem in a very short period of time as long as you have the political will to do so. Because they're just going to throw their guys at it. It's not it's not about, you know, can we maintain this? Do we have the funds to? They don't have they simultaneously don't have the funds to do anything because of the debt and they also have bottomless funds to do anything they want because of printing the money and just it being handed to them. So that's really really what it comes down to. Yeah. Spot on. Yep. 
totally agree with that. They can do what they want to when they want to if that's what suits the narrative. And what happened after Xi Jinping left uh, San Fran? Did it all go to shit again? Um, what did they do with those people? Yeah, Where I think it's actually gotten worse now. Mm-hmm. Where did they? Because they're still not that- doing anything about it. Because the magnifying glass is gone. Nobody's watching San Francisco with a critical eye anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, we. Go ahead, Mike. No, 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 Ashley. Okay, so I just wanted to say that, um, and I think we may have touched on this before, but I asked somebody who is was living in the Bay Area or like near the Bay Area had spent a lot of time there what exactly they thought happened in this situation with cleaning up for Xi Jinping. And because we were like, did they kill these people? Did they put them in a camp? Where are the people? But according to this person, she said that it is actually really common practice that they will give the people that are living there some kind of a notice, like whether that's a week or two, they'll put dumpsters out there and they'll tell them like by this point, we are coming in and just cleaning everything up and that basically those people just get shuffled down, you know, just down to the next homeless encampment in the city. And they're just not there anymore, but they're just shuffled basically. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. We we've covered it a bit and I've, I've looked into it a lot, like personally, um, you know, I've interviewed some homeless folks. Uh, it's, it's the kind of thing where, okay, so I interviewed this guy who claims that he got stuck because of COVID. And I believed him. He he says he was heading for Alaska, him and his wife with a kid. You know, I met the kid. I met the wife. The kid was like less than a year old. And um, they were heading to Alaska. He had a, a job on a boat right? Fishing. It's not easy, not easy work, but COVID hit, they couldn't cross the border. So they got stuck and now they're homeless and a bunch of people got fucked by COVID. And there's a whole lot of homeless people and they keep basically like you were saying, they keep getting pushed, you know, out of sight, you know, clear to the street here, but they just go, a handful of blocks down the road. And the only reason this shit's happening is because of NGOs lifting, you know, giving them support. And I don't know, like a whole bunch of government interference that's caused people to get into these situations. Yeah, it it almost reminds me of like migrant crisis 1.0 because it's even if you take out the migrants that have been bused here there it's almost like migrants within our own country and so the crisis has been deliberately created we know that and we know that there's probably a lot of as we say all the time these multifaceted purposes but we know or at least we believe very much that they're looking to turn san francisco it basically i mean it's like batman right it's it's chaos in that place um with 
I think, because they want to clear it out. They want to make it so, um, you know, it's like what they did in Lahaina, right? It's like they, they're they burning it down, but just in a different way. And they want to make it basically in, inhabitable so that they can install their surveillance system. So I think that's part of it. Um, then we talked about just you know, we've talked about these things before, but the demoralization campaign, look, this used to be a beautiful city that people would want to come here. You know, it was on full house (laughs) or whatever. And now you have a map that was created where people can literally document the human shit that they see in the street. Now, I, I think that app and the map are not like being used anymore, but that's not the point. The point is, is that it ever happened to begin with there. And then I think it's the same thing that's happening in New York. And we know that they're going like they're letting crime happen. It's like right in your face, blatant, ridiculous crime. And they're going after the people that are defending themselves against it. So it's sending a message to the people that live there. And even like was it in the last week or two that two cops got beat up by migrants and they just let them go? And I, yeah. I, I'm not a fan of cops, but it's just yeah, it's almost a month ago. Their culture, you have to accept. Yeah, it's it's a completely you're muted, Mike. It's a completely controlled demolition. Um, none of this is unplanned. They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly when they're rolling stuff out. And that's why they always have four different scenarios because there can be four different directions pretty much where things can go. So if plan A doesn't work, plan B will. And if not, C, D, whatever, one of the four will work. You and know, I, they're being operated at different times throughout the globe as well. And and eventually we're all going to syncopate into complete lockstep. And that's, I guess, when it becomes the one world. I I'm not sure if it's true but i heard that the shooter or one one if not multiple of the shooters at the um kansas city parade shooting that they were given like bail you know and and it's funny it's kind of unrelated and i have no point in bringing it up except that there was a mass shooting in indianapolis at the waffle house that i go to about uh a week ago and six people were shot one person died but it was it was gangsters oh at the waffle house i went with you yeah no actually 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 no no should have gone to the crumpet house (laughs) we don't have those (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but i'm saying i'm saying they're calling it that they're calling it a mass shooting it was like kansas city where it was just just assholes shooting at each other and a bunch of innocent folk get you know caught in the crossfire but they call it a mass shooting instead of some fucking gangland bullshit well, one of well, yeah, it's because it fits the narrative mike you know it's when they're when they're putting out the propaganda they have to do it in such a way so that the story remains at least somewhat consistent for the people who are actually watching right because they have to be able to follow along to a certain extent so random things can happen violence can happen in the city it's always going to get pigeonholed in a certain direction regardless of what the actual reality is that's just how well, the news being, works. 
<clears throat> by calling them mass shootings, they're finally admitting to who does most of the mass shootings. You know, because the narrative was always, oh, it's the, you know, lone incel, lone gunman who, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then <clears throat> it was always pointed out, well, most mass shooters are gangbangers or just, you know, some guy. And now I think they're finally putting themselves, because maybe they want to try to hide it in the statistics or whatever, like, because when you say gang violence, everyone knows who it is. But they are giving up on one of their propaganda narratives by calling them mass shootings, you know, because they can no longer blame mass shootings as a, uh, you know, white, crazy lone gunman thing. Yeah. And uh, that's a really good point. And I think that it actually gives some credence to my theory that almost if you hear about a mass shooting in the news, like if it makes it, if it's a big deal, then that makes me think even more that it's that that shooter has been activated every single one, because whenever it doesn't serve the narrative, you don't hear about it and you don't hear about all the crime and the shootings and like the, the incredible, like they have the gun laws in Chicago and they have an incredible amount of violent crime and shooting every single week, every day. You know, think, think about it. We had, we had the, uh, Kansas city thing. And then like immediately that gets brushed under the rug and and they give us this shit about the um the kid that got you know beat to death in the, the public school bathroom. It turns out that whole story is like you know falling apart. It's like not not what they told us. Um but, but that just, really you know, happened. That really happened to a white kid yeah. by a bunch of black students in Las Vegas like almost a year ago. But they move on so quick. Yeah. One thing, one thing after the next, you know? Yeah, if it serves a narrative. Yeah, and this is a good rule that I, I really like. It's from Legal Man, and Stella had mm -hmm. mentioned Legal Man earlier tonight, too, because he does a lot of coverage of Lysander Spooner. But um, he calls it the 179-degree club. So if something is in the news for more than an hour then then you know that it's part of the narrative and and that you need to look 179 degrees in the other direction for what yeah. is the real truth <laughs> especially when Absolutely. the news is coming out of las vegas um because the what happens in vegas stays in vegas also applies to mass shootings um and there's quite a few that no one ever hears about you know and i <clears throat> whenever i was there uh, the cab drivers would always be quick to catch me up on what the latest shootings were, you know. Uh, one time I was at the Bellagio, a guy picked me up, um, I was going to it, and the guy was like, oh, go to the Bellagio. Hey, you know, there was a shooting, like, right out front last night. I'm like, huh, I didn't hear anything about it. He's like, yeah, they don't really uh, report on it, they keep those quiet, but, you know, and he gave me the lowdown, like, seven people got shot just right out front, you know. Happens all the time. So well, if you're hearing about something that comes out of Vegas, then you can be sure that it's something they want you to hear about. Well, I was trying to I was trying to remember the one that um that I was forgetting, and it was the Joel Olstein church. We 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 covered it to some extent. On, yeah, that went away pretty quick, didn't it? It went away real quick. Yeah. And wasn't it like a tranny and yep. a fucking and a fucking illegal immigrant? Or am I crazy? I think I it was an ugly woman. I don't know if, she, yeah, I don't know <laughs> if she was illegal. 
I'm not sure about that. It was, was definitely not, not about... born in this country. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 But but tranny though, right? Like, yeah. Was that? I mean, well, it, shit. That, that shit. That, even oh. that was like contentious because it, I I think it was a woman that had previously identified as a male in order to probably run sort of con some sort of con. I'm not sure though. I mean, mm. it, it it's it's like the deck is shuffled, and I no, you know no. it's like I don't know if it was a man that was pretending to be a woman or a woman pretending two to be days, a man at this point. Two days later, nobody was talking about it. There was no updates. Right. Yeah, I don't just think, out of you know? just out of interest. Um, obviously, you guys know about Port Arthur, which happened back in 1996. Did you ever hear about the Lint Cafe siege? of the um, jihadist, which, uh, about just on, it was the 10th anniversary actually this year in Sydney. It was pretty major. It was at a Lint Cafe. A couple of hostages were killed. We had the SWAT team and everything. Like we never really have that stuff. So, it's, I mean, the, <laughs> that, that guy was like, yeah, I mean, there was a history with that guy. He was, There's no way no. that was organic, if you know what I'm saying. No, <laughs> we, get, we get nothing as far as world news is, is concerned. Like if, right. if you're talking like just the regular news media, if it happens outside the borders of the United States, it's probably not important. Right. Okay. Yep. Now that makes sense. Well, unless it's, uh, you know, Ukraine or Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it fits the narrative. Hmm. Right. Because it's all, it's propaganda. Yeah. Towards a narrative. So if it's just news in Australia, then definitely not covering it. Yeah. Although was there another major shooting in Australia besides Port Arthur? There's been a number of them, actually. Melbourne's had a number of them. Hoddle Street Massacre and um, a couple of others. Um, oh, and did, then, of course, there's the one that we covered. Remember just, what, last year, the year before? December of the year before, so 22. Uh, in Queensland, you know, that was very sus. The Train family. Do you remember that? Oh man, we we did a uh, oh wait a, wait somebody killed on it. like a whole family. The these young police rookies were sent in. Oh yes, to, yes yeah, yes, and the yes. whole like it was a you know it was a massacre. The police were sacrificed. They used those words yes. literally. Yes, yes, um, yes. There was a I really do. weird fire. All sorts of weird ass shit. But anyway, that's. Yeah, it's all – we're following your footsteps. I mean, we're just like the little – we're like your little sibling that sits in the corner and blows bubbles, you know, <laughs> when when we're when we're useful, I guess you'll come and get us. But Yeah, yeah trial, trial balloon too, right, because I we definitely think that they yeah. were running different operations in different countries during COVID times to see how people responded to, you know, there was this bell curve of lockdown protocol basically – um, Definitely. Yep. Yep. Different different experiments in different pockets, which probably was very well researched to suit a demographic. Perhaps I don't know. It, I mean, they did go into it pretty in great detail, didn't they? Several times. Yeah, and I think just gaming the population just to see the the reaction, knowing you know what what is this? Like you said, yeah. What is this demographic like? Just like mm. with the South the Southeast versus the Northeast or different places, even within North Carolina that had these really different policies on COVID stuff. Yeah. It just feels like 2020 and the COVID thing was pulling the rug out 
And now it's all, you know, pulling the tablecloth and, and the destruction yeah. of all the flying cutlery and plates and glasses is all in really slow motion. That's sort yeah. of what, where we're at now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Did um did y'all happen to see this cop freaking out because uh, of an acorn? <laughs> I saw some really good memes. <laughs> yeah. All right, let me let me just. Uh, this is this is too good. Shots fired! Shots fired! Shots fired! Shots fired! What? What? Oh, wait, right there. Hi everyone, Donut here. Welcome to the most highly ever on this channel requested video. I have never received so many emails or so many DMs in my entire life. So here we are. Let's talk about Cop versus Acorn. You may have seen this one already, but we're going to go over it anyways because so many people requested it. A police officer ventilated a poor innocent police car because of an acorn. For those of you who haven't even heard about this one yet, which is probably like five or six of you, I'm not making this up. It's no joke. You know what else is no joke? Betting on the UFC fight tonight with our sponsor for this video, my bookie. UFC 298 is going down tonight. The feather win and get paid. If you're a new customer, you get a Fifcaloosa County, Florida, to be precise, November 12th at around 9.30 a.m. The body camera footage from the two officers who were involved in this shooting. Yes, both officers fired weapons. The body camera footage from the two officers who fired their weapons has been released. There is a 44-page report about this that I'm not going to read in its entirety because police reports are boring as f Instead, I'm just going to try to summarize it as best as possible and not bore the shit out of you. But don't leave yet. Stick around for the memes. Let's get started. Okaloosa County Sheriff's deputies responded to calls of a vehicle that had been honking its horn and disturbing the peace since 3 a.m. At a separate location, they get a call from a woman stating that her boyfriend was refusing to return her car. Turns out the disturbance was the boyfriend in the girlfriend's car. He was allowed to take it, but refused to return it. Uh-oh, looks like we got some domestic violence on our hands. While on scene, the female half showed officers some pictures that the male half had sent her. These pictures were the male half holding a suppressed firearm pointed at her car. He was holding the car hostage. Shortly after the male suspect walked up on scene, the sergeant on scene who was involved in the shooting told other deputies, hey, go ahead and pat him down. They pat him down, and then shortly after that, the sergeant said, hey, let's just go ahead and detain him in the back of the police car. He's probably going to be arrested, but go ahead and detain him. Before you place someone in the back of a police car, you want to search them. Now you can actually go in their pockets and get all up in there. Squirrels are in my roof again. You know, the ones that caused this shooting in the first place. You see my dog? I'm not in you. There's squirrels in my roof. All right, so now the suspect is searched, cuffed, and placed in the back of the police car. The deputy who starts firing these shots in the first place starts walking back to the car. And that's when everything went down. Now I'm going to read a line to you from that 44-page report. As Deputy Hernandez was approaching the passenger side rear door of his patrol vehicle, an acorn can be seen striking the top of his vehicle. And then in the report for seven pages, it goes into frame-by-frame -frame details of what was happening in the video. Again, I'm just going to summarize some of it. It's pretty long. And if you want to read the entire 44-page report or just skim over it, whatever you want to do with it, I'm going to leave a link to it in the comments and description below. Acorn strikes the roof of Deputy Hernandez's vehicle. Deputy Hernandez continues to raise his right hand while he appears to begin to fall to the ground. Deputy Hernandez yells, shots fired. He is still falling and it appears he is beginning to fall slash roll to his right side. He is still on the grass and his forward momentum has moved him past the rear of the vehicle. Deputy All right, I'm stopping because uh, <laughs> this motherfucker did two barrel rolls. 
He did two barrel rolls. <laughs> he goes, he goes, shots fired, shots fired. And he and he proceeds to do two barrel rolls. Yeah. Amazing. I'm just saying. And he I'm did taking... he emptied his whole clip just like he was trained. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, no. should should we just show the rest of it real quick? Yeah. He well. yells, shots fired for a second time. Around this time, he does two combat rolls. <laughs> The rolling help. Uh -huh. It helps. Sergeant Roberts can be heard asking, What? Deputy Hernandez raises up his SIG P320. I'm surprised it didn't go off accidentally during the combat rolls. Sergeant Roberts asks, Where? And Hernandez says, From the car. <laughs> Don't worry, we're going to watch the video here in a second. I just want you to know some of the facts going into it. He fires a shot into the car, then falls backwards and keeps shooting in the vehicle. He then yells that he is hit and continues fire. The female, the sergeant, starts firing into the vehicle. <laughs> Also, and let's go ahead and play the footage. This is the raw footage up on my Donuts Raw Police footage channel, and we are just gonna skip past all the talking because I just explained to you everything that happened. All right, dude's in the back of the patrol car, already been searched, handcuffed behind his back. Here's the violent tree with the violent squirrels in it. Shots fired! Shots fired! Real quick, mind you, no one, no one had fired any shots. <laughs> he heard the acorn hit the car. <laughs> shots fired! <laughs> oh my lord! He wasn't hit. I'm hit. And it I'm states hit. later in some interviews that his legs gave out on him, probably due to adrenaline or whatever he was experiencing, and he thought that he was hit on the leg. That was the entire magazine from his SIG P320. And yes, the dude is still sitting in the back of the patrol car. Yeah. Uh, so, so this cop, this cop puts like 20 rounds, maybe more, <laughs> into this into this fucking car, and the I, poor I, guy, I, the poor guy inside of it manages not to get hit. You know, he must have been laying down, but like, <laughs> I can already tell you what happened here. It was is because when the call was made, they said that they showed the picture of the guy holding holding the a car hostage with a suppressed weapon. A suppressed and so the, weapon. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and so when yeah. the acorn hit, and now cops are fucking stupid, and they're and, and scared, really fucking freaked out whenever whenever something's not normal. You know, it's right. like. Right. And like, oh, oh, you know, if somebody shoots a gun, it's going to be loud. Well, this time it's quiet. Oh, my God. So, you know, here are the acorn and freak the fuck out. That, that's the yeah. end of the story. Yeah. Luckily, story. luckily yeah. no one was hurt. No one yeah, was hurt. seriously. Yeah, thank <laughs> God. This fucking idiot you lost also, his career. You yeah, well, good, go, good. Like, what a pussy. You can hear him at the end. He's like, that, like that is a panic attack. He was like completely <laughs> out of control of, of his like body at that point. Yeah, I think uh, at this point they should possibly be revising the psychological test for entry. They are. Uh, they're making it so that you can have a lower IQ now uh, yeah. to get into mm, the service. Here. Yeah, they same need same to troll yeah, the yeah. cops as part of their like initiation ritual they need to like slip them a fake gun somehow when they're not paying attention and then just have a guy sneak up on them and see how they react you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well i wouldn't want to be that guy you know 
unless I knew that they were holding blanks, you know, I'm like, don't shoot me, bro. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's interesting because after the COVID business or the nonsense that went on here, a lot of police left the force, the real ones, um, left the force. And uh, I remember reading probably around about 18 months ago, maybe two years, uh, there was they were already advertising for, they needed to fill about 44,000 seems to come to mind, jobs nationally in the in the force. So Well, here, here they're just, they're just recruiting the fucking illegal immigrants. Yeah, well, that's starting to kind of happen here yeah. a bit too. I've been Don't noticing worry. it even in my little town. Don't worry. Your your local cop is going to be some guy who has only been here for three weeks. Mm. So, I've seen some right. uh, I've seen some UK <laughs> footage, which is And his quite... vote's going to count twice as much as yours, Mike. <laughs> so, Mike, remember the old days when we talked about anarcho-tyranny and how, uh -huh. how we wouldn't do it to each other, and so they start importing in order to get what they need. Yeah, I've yeah. seen um, I've seen a little bit of footage of you in the UK and nearly all the security people in that um, are not white English people. Um, and yeah, just as exactly as we'd expect because we know what's going on um, and everything's being severely diluted as many facets as usual. Well, let me just uh, let me just finish up here with the acorn cop because it's too fucking funny. Um. <laughs> Shots fired! <You> know. <laughs> what? He wasn't hit. And it states later in some interviews that his legs gave out on him, probably due to adrenaline or whatever he was experiencing, and he thought that he was hit in the leg. That was the entire magazine from a SIG P320. And yes, the dude is still sitting in the back of the patrol car. In the car! I shot through the car! Oh! I'm not sure why he turned into Arnold Schwarzenegger right there, um, but those were some badass combat roles. It looked like that patrol car was just a super badass Elden Ring boss, and he got out of there really quick. <laughs> the shots fired. Get to the chopper. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I yeah, I know this really has nothing to do with anything, uh, but it's funny, you know. I, you know, it's the Stanford prison experiment. You give a guy a badge and a gun and he's going to act like an asshole, you know? Generally. That's why I'm like, you know, people go back and forth on the police. I'm still pretty much like, fuck the police. <laughs> you know, like people are like, oh, don't say all cops are bastards. Well, uh, well, let me ask you this. Um, Pre-2020, I guess it depends on what it is, but if something was really wrong, would would you have called the cops, whereas post-2020 now you wouldn't? Is that a fair to assumption? Me, to, to me, it fully depends on whether or not I benefit or don't from calling the cops, right? Like Rob, you know, crazy Uncle Rob, he says all the time, he's like, just deal with it on your own. Don't mm. call the cops. That's the thing. That's why I'm asking because so many things have mm -hmm. come out lately where, 
you probably would have been better off had you not called them. And the yeah. the victim here's, becomes the perpetrator. Here's a good moment to re remind everybody that we don't give advice. Nope, for sure. <laughs> no. Spe <laughs> specifically legal or health medical. Or medical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or anything, really. <laughs> Listen at your own risk. Yeah. Um, I I, I think think about every situation as unique. Think about your situation. Sometimes right. sometimes adding another idiot to the situation can help. Most of the time, adding another idiot to a situation doesn't. So, Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, because of the services that they are or whatever, you have to, right? I don't know what else you would do. I'm going to give you an example. Um, I even saw somebody back in the day in the liberty movement say, unless you're willing to get whoever killed that you're calling the cops on right. or calling the cops about, then you shouldn't call the cops. Right? right. Well, one night I was in a city nearby and, um, we ended up out. I'll, I'll do that. See if that helps. Um, and I was driving home and the car in front of me stopped and the dude was like, just out at a light. And I thought, Maybe this guy's dead from an overdose or something like that, right? So I called the car. I called 911. Who else? It's a stranger, like, that's passed out in their car in the road. So, like, what else can you do? So I called the cops. And he actually woke up before they got there and drove off. <laughs> Ooh, lucky. <laughs> well, yeah. You ever see that video of um, somebody literally freezing to death? Like, I think it's in New York City. It was like a homeless person who died and like hundreds of folks just walked past him, you know, like, so I, there's a fine line. But yeah, if you call the cops, just keep in mind, you're calling people who literally are paid to, to carry guns. Well, they're yeah. enforcers of the state. Like, right. that's their primary role. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's what most people forget about uh, when they they try to bring the police into a situation. They are enforcers of the state first and foremost. That is always going to be their primary objective in any situation. Exactly right. You got to the old the psyche is the psyche is are they there to help me? They're there to protect me. But no, exactly what Drizzle just said. Primarily, that's what they're there for. The state. In force. Well, I, I think we should maybe carry on with this Lysander uh, Spooner thing. And uh, I don't know. If, if anybody wants to say anything, feel free to cut it off and uh, just shout um, your... Yeah. <clears throat> I did find I found that uh, paragraph I was talking about. Okay, uh, cool. I cool. think it I think it sums up Spooner's uh, position pretty pretty well. Um, takes it'll take about a minute and a half to read. Yeah, that's go right. ahead. Okay. So he says uh, the pretense. Uh, this is from sorry. Uh, this is from No Treason Number Six, the Constitution of No Authority, eighteen seventy, Lysander Spooner. 
the pretense that the abolition of slavery was either a motive or justification for the war is a fraud of the same character that, uh, with that of maintaining the national honor. Who but such usurpers, robbers, and murderers as they ever established slavery? Or what government except one resting upon the sword, like the one we have now, was ever capable of maintaining slavery? And why did these men abolish slavery? Not from any love of liberty in general, not as an act of justice to the black man himself, but only as a war measure, and because they wanted his assistance and that of his friends in carrying on the war that they had undertaken for maintaining and intensifying that political, commercial, and industrial slavery to which they have subjected the great body of the people, both white and black. And yet these impostors now cry out that they have abolished the chattel slavery of the black man, although that was not the motive of the war, as if they thought they could thereby conceal, atone for, or justify that other slavery which they were fighting to perpetuate and to render more rigorous and inexorable than it ever was before. There was no difference of principle but only of degree between the slavery they boast they have abolished and the slavery they were fighting to preserve for all restraints upon men's natural liberty, not necessary... <laughs> Uh, did everybody drop out? What's going on here? Uh, did I lose you? No, no, no. Keep going. Sorry, dude. Sorry. <laughs> I, I wasn't watching us. I was listening. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, that there was no difference of principle, but only of degree between the slavery they boast they've abolished and the slavery they were fighting to preserve. For all restraints upon men's natural liberty, not, ne not necessary for the simple maintenance of justice, are of the nature of slavery and differ from each other only in degree. So his argument here is that they they took the abolition movement and then they used it as a pretense to go to war and just for the purpose of like further keeping Americans who didn't want to be under their control, you know, under their control and for the purpose of maintaining them as slaves to pay the taxes and, you know, maintain the economy and do all the things that they do. And Kinda also like, to use to use the blacks and the and I guess the abolitionists and everyone else as conscripts for future wars as well. Is that what they're well, doing now? That was also around the time that the first industrial revolution was taking place, and they were going to need a labor force for all those factories that they were building in the north. Things all change. They just they just change shape. So, I mean, we're looking right now at all these illegals that they're, they're rewarding with all these checks just for pass and go. And, uh, and yeah, they get to be our enforcers. Well, they're calling it a, another revolution. It's a technocracy, isn't it? So mm. It's a whole new, a whole new the same thing again. <laughs> humanocracy, Stella. That's what Klaus said we needed. A humanocracy, right. not a technocracy. Goddamn. When in doubt, just make up a fucking <laughs> word. Make up a yeah. fucking word. <laughs> it's so deceptive. Like, it's not only evil, it's just even the way they do it. It's just so deceptive. There's just nothing good about it. <laughs> nothing pure. Well, you know, speaking, speaking of this, like, turn of the century, like, modernization, industrialization, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it back to mail trucks real quick. Then we'll go back to 
the man who tried to take on mailmen before they had mail trucks, Lysander Spooner. But you know, I, I it's all it's all so infuriating. Just just let it let it soak in. A minimum at least it's tough. Despite the fact that it is really tough, it is finally time to start replacing the United States Postal Service carrier vehicle because, well, the engine that they put in these things is an engine from the 1970s known as the Iron Duke, and this bad boy's getting like nine miles to the gallon. This is the same engine they were putting in the Cavalier and the Trailer Park Ferrari back in the day. I mean, the Pontiac Fiero. Don't laugh, the Pontiac Fiero is high-class white trash, okay? The only thing cooler than that when I was growing up was the 2002 Dale Earnhardt Edition Monte Carlo. Sorry, I'm getting distracted. The main problem with the LLV is the gas mileage, okay? Because it only gets nine miles to the gallon, you have to realize this is like the biggest fleet of vehicles that the United States has. There's over 140,000 of these things, meaning that for every single penny that gas prices go up, the U.S. Postal Service has to spend an additional $8 million on fuel alone. And this is the part where you're like, oh, America's capitalist. It's gas or diesel. That's the cost of doing business. Just <clears throat> they're gas okay okay yep just raise the prices of your services and it's covered it's no big deal you would think yeah so he he's hitting on something that's important um usps that that, that would be the united states postal service require a act of congress to change their prices so unlike UPS or FedEx or any other like private courier, they cannot adjust prices based on market conditions. You know, it's just, it's such a blatant, obvious fucking example of how government is fucked and how like it cannot respond to conditions as they arise and you know i'm kind of on a on a high horse here but well i mean it's a default mode we we know this we've known this we've talked about this for over a year now for 50 episodes we've talked about how fucked the government is yeah what what do we what do you do about it how do you not get get slapped by their tentacles how do you not become Lysander Spooner and and try to take them head on? I yeah. You know. It's it's hard to sort of plan some things because they don't always unravel unravel <laughs> unroll the way we might think they're going to. Like all of a sudden, last minute, can, things can just take a turn that we just didn't see coming. So it's very hard to prepare fully. You can't prepare for everything. I mean, like, you know, people are waiting for all these cities to be built back better. You know, they're emptying out these major cities to build them, whatever, and smart cities. Whereas in a lot of places, like particularly here in Australia, um, they're just building it around us, you know. I mean, it's just happening. <laughs> We're not moving anywhere. It's happening around us. So, um, I, you know, pers people personally, really I, you know, I would almost rather be Lysander Spooner and get shut down. You know, maybe call me like an accelerationist. Or whatever but i'm like until until we hit that critical mass where enough people are fed up with how silly all of this is that they actually do something like i don't know what can you do except provoke the bear you know like well, that's what lysander 
did. He he poked the bear. Yeah, the he bear did, did exactly what you should do, which right. is create the solution before you get permission from the government to do it. Yeah. Because if it if it gets big enough, quick enough, they might not be able to shut you down. Well, uh, let me let me play some more of this. If nobody has anything else, perhaps there's a lesson there that we might uh, return to at some point. Well, exactly right. As a matter of fact, I wasn't going to bring up the uh, his early Bard mission, but uh, fight. But that that is actually, I think, a, a very important part of this early Spooner, as you as you put it, where he's trying to uh, to defy the system, but still to reform the system or amend the system in some way from within. But uh, I think we can see that he definitely departs that in his later years. So let's let's continue on with that journey. So after the American Letter Mail Company experience, um, he gets more deeply involved with the abolitionism and activism along those regards. Tell us about about his uh, his anti his abolitionist uh, views. Well, so uh, Spooner obviously believes that slavery is a great moral wrong, but he also thinks that it's possible to argue uh, that it's a moral wrong that doesn't involve doesn't that uh, uh, isn't entitled to constitutional protection. So um, it's ordinarily assumed. Uh, in this period, both by the friends of slavery and by its foes, that, uh, in fact, uh, the Constitution is, uh, of course, as William Lloyd Garrison famously said, a compact with hell, precisely because uh, it does enshrine protections for slavery and was designed to keep the Union together uh, at the expense of permitting slavery in, uh, in those uh, states that, uh, that authorized it. And so what's really interesting then about the strategy Spooner adopts is that uh, he thinks that uh, reading the Constitution in the right way can lead us to avoid uh, seeing it as uh, embracing protection for slavery. So uh, he wants to show that uh, slavery really can be seen as inconsistent with the Constitution. Uh, and so there's a sense in which he's developed uh, a kind of strategy for reading the Constitution that you might see as, uh, you know, perhaps kind of ironically, uh, given uh, uh, how his thinking develops, as sort of parallel uh, to say uh, Ronnie Dworkin's notion of a, a moral reading of the Constitution, uh, in which um, there really is an attempt uh, not so much to ignore the surface level uh, textual meaning, but to try to integrate uh, that a reading of the surface level text into a sort of deeper moral uh, picture of uh, where the Constitution might be headed. Now, I think the later Spooner and certainly later folks uh, influenced by Spooner would probably be inclined to say that may assume too much about uh, the uh, quote moral purpose of the Constitution. Maybe in reality, uh, the Constitution uh, does have uh, the uh, moral flaws that uh, later critics would see uh, built into it. And it's really. OK, I'm pausing because like I'm like bored, bro, like to me again, like the whole thing is so silly. We're arguing apparently about, uh, you know, a document that some guys wrote like in Philadelphia or in fucking wherever back in 1770, whatever, like whether or not it allows you to own people. You know, I, I'm trying well, to put myself which, in the shoes. Which of document Lysander are we Spooner. talking about? Here? Well, so I'm talking about how apparently Lysander Spooner, according to this guy, 
Lysander Spooner was trying to make an argument based on the Constitution that slavery was unconstitutional. And apparently, you know, maybe he was making this argument before he became a full-blown anarchist. But it's like, it's a silly argument to even make. Like, who gives a fuck what this piece of parchment says? Like owning people, owning people is wrong. Why? Why you got to make any any argument? You know. Because I don't know. It's it's a interesting. That took place. A transaction I mean, I, took place beforehand. That's that's the whole point of the whole thing. Is like regardless of that transaction was right or wrong, the people. If you're going to take something from people, you have to you have to fucking settle it. Well, it's it's a it's a strange way to make the argument, right? Because the Constitution is not about granting rights to individuals; it's about restricting the activity of the government. So, it, I don't know. It almost it almost seems like a, a disingenuous way to to try and make an argument against slavery. Isn't there a thing in your constitution that's, or maybe it was just something one of your presidents said about it's your duty to rise up if the government gets too full on? Paraphrasing. That's in well, the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, that's in the Declaration. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Right. As okay, is. Uh, two completely different documents. Totally yeah. different documents. And yeah. what I believe the uh, Declaration was where it states um, all men are created equal. Yes. So we hope that's true to be self-evident people, people so often, so people often, um, correlate the two, but no, they're, they're different documents. Which one came right. first? The declaration, the, de the declaration, declaration of independence. Yeah. Yeah. The declaration lays out the, the rights that are granted to each individual by God, like by natural no law. lesser authority than God. And then the constitution basically says the government can't do this. Gotcha. So it's, it's kind of funny how all the Lulberts are, are atheist and, and sit here and make all, all these arguments about this being by God. Uh, it's like, Oh, you're making natural law arguments. Well, you know, it's all unnatural right. according it to you. Yeah. Well, Jefferson's, I mean, I don't know. The way that he puts it, it sounds almost, uh, it's kind of like the in God we trust on the dollar. Like, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like a real appeal to God, but more like a, like a Masonic thing, you know? I mean, he calls it. Well, um, yeah, it's all Masonic. Nature's <laughs> God, you know? Like, the laws of nature and nature's God. Right, but the problem is it's not a religious document. It's a legal document. So it has to be interpreted what's, in a legal fashion. What's the difference, though? I think it's a though? philosophical document because it's not legal. And he makes that case pretty clearly in the preamble, you know, that uh, it's just something they're taking upon. Um, what, what does he say? That uh, when in the course of human events becomes necessary for one people 
to dissolve the political bands which connect them to another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they declare that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. So it's he's just saying we're taking this upon ourselves, we're rejecting the divine right of kings, this is something that we're doing, and we're writing this all out not for ourselves or for you, but just for posterity's sake and for our contemporaries in other countries to read and possibly probably he meant for it you know that they can also take inspiration from it because there's a fair shot they were going to lose that fight and so one thing you can do is put your philosophy down on paper shoot it out to the whole world and maybe someone else can pick up where you left off we we hold these truths to be self-evident you know, I've like I've made I've made similar statements tonight on the show being like, you know, I know y'all know this is true, but it's still worth stating. Right. You know, I read a quote that was like, I don't know who said it, but uh, something to the effect of everything that's worth saying has been said. But because nobody was listening, we we have to say it again. I mean, you catch so the drift there. Nobody is wrong on how it should be, as far as like if you look at all this this constitutional and like I didn't agree to shit and everything, but we have to deal with things how they are, and that's that's where people get lost and confused. Yeah, you know, yeah, they have no authority. Like, no authority is a book written or an essay written by Lysander Spooner. You know. They don't have authority. No, they don't. The authority comes from God, as mm -hmm. as was stated recently, and you know, and God has all of the authority. They don't have it yet. Yet they do have it. They've that's got the, the force. That's the problem. They don't, but they do. Well, no, they just have the monopoly on violence. That's not right. authority. Those two things aren't the same. Well, thing. hey, hey. I'll say, you know, from my perspective in my little shop here, I don't know. I I've got a little uh a little handle on potential, let's just say potential violence. Uh they don't have a total fucking monopoly as long as I can I mean they can just drone strike you, Mike. They can. Yeah. They can. <laughs> They've got the technology smudged. now. This is this is yeah. what I'm saying. We we can't they're too far ahead of us now. I think the time for non-compliance as well and truly in the rearview mirror, you know? Well, um, but I, I will still say the more armed Americans, the better, you know, because uh, they can't, they can't, they can't fucking, I mean, they can, but they can't again, you know, it's a, it's an oxymoron, but you know, the more of us with body armor and AR 15s, the better. I agree. I was I was reading something just the other day. I can't remember how I got onto it, but it was about how the amount of drone traffic is going to increase. I think this was only in Australia too. It was, it was something like, I don't know, 14,000 per year flights or something, and it was going to increase like incredible amount, 150,000 or something like that. And I'm thinking it didn't really specify whose drones. <laughs> it just said drones. I'm thinking, I wonder how many of that is like security. Oh, law enforcement. It did say some of that would account for things like deliveries and stuff. But um, 
I liked I liked the meme I saw uh today or yesterday where uh apparently like Obama they're having like some event and it's like no drones, no private drones allowed uh on on Martha's Vineyard from X you know time to whatever Z time. And uh and the, the meme was like sounds like the definition of dish it out but can't take it you know the man who sent drones mm. to kill all kinds of folks you know won't let drones fly over his own usually house. children but he would kill yeah. adults as well right yeah. right right yeah. yeah it's like the don't do as i do do as i say thing just, uh, yeah huh yeah huh. hypocrisy rules, is alive and well <laughs> rules for thee but not for me Yep. Uh, those who live in unwalled cities with a clear view of the sky should not chuck bombs. It sounds like we should listen to some more Lysander Spooner because we're all starting to sound like him. Not the case that uh, uh, we can find in the Constitution a, um, uh, a sacred text that uh, has only been ignored or distorted. But what's interesting, at least, is that Spooner tries to make the case that if you put all the relevant passages of the Constitution together, you get a, uh, a document that, uh, that does rule out slavery. And then, as I say, uh, not only is he arguing this on the legal front, but he's also pursuing this as, a, as an activist as well. Well, that's right. And of course, it is uh, ironic or interesting at any rate that he is making that kind of constitutional argument about um, uh, slavery and abolition, as opposed to, of course, the later Spooner, where, who is, of course, most famous for the uh, constitution of no authority. So let, uh, let's talk about some of that, the, the development of that, uh, that thought in Spooner and, and his eventual complete anarchism, his, his turning away from the state and constitution. Let's talk about the uh, where the, those ideas sort of fomented for him, uh, what kind of philosophical ancestors he might have had in that, and, uh, and really what the, the reception to those ideas were at the time. Well, so um, it seems as if um, the most uh, kind of natural way to read Spooner, uh, in, uh, Spooner's intellectual antecedents, is to see him as a... Um, you know, as a kind of radical Lockean, a radical descendant of uh, the uh, intellectual tradition that really is the official doctrine, let's say, uh, surrounding the American Revolution and then later the abolitionist movement. Now, I think the abolitionists are, are sincere about it. Uh, what the, quote, founders uh, really uh, think at a deep level is a more complex question, and I don't know that we can sort that out here. But at any rate, the official doctrine that gets uh, pronounced by the American founders is one that is, as I say, radically Lockean. It's rooted in uh, in John Locke's uh, conception uh, that people are self-owners and that uh, political authority is justified, if at all, only in virtue of the consent of the governed. Uh, Locke's own view, of course, uh, is more complicated here, not least because uh, he thinks that while the state uh, in some sense uh, requires consent to get going, uh, somehow later generations, while they may be justified in extreme cases in revolting, and this of course is the view that the American founders adopt, uh, state authority doesn't require a consensual grounding on an ongoing basis. Um, 
the uh, notion of self-ownership really plays a crucial role, uh, probably not so much in the thought of the founders, but in that of the abolitionists who see this picture of people as self-owners as fundamentally violated by the notion that some people claim the legal right to own other people. And so they appeal to this fundamental American tradition to uh, treat, uh, to identify slavery as something that really ought to be uh, uh, abominated and abolished. But Spooner then is, is able to extend that notion of self-ownership to point out that if you take the abolitionist idea of self-ownership seriously uh, and you think about the conception of consent that's defended by the American founders, what you find out is that it's really an inadequate conception if it doesn't take seriously the fact that ongoing actual consent uh, is required if people aren't to be enslaved, if people Okay, so I think I think I think that's a really fucking good point. If you're gonna take abolition seriously, you have to take anarchism seriously. Right? Radical yeah, radical self ownership. Yeah, exactly what it is. It's like You've got to get the convenience factor out of your life because <laughs> that's usually the biggest thing. Um, and, I mean, it's hard, isn't it, because we've all sort of gotten so used to things to, to suddenly live kind of the way we're meant to be living is such a big jolt, you know. It's not just a little little um, a little a change. It's massive. It's a, it's a whole change of everything, like mind, mindset. It doesn't happen overnight, so... Um, <laughs> You know, even people like us who are sort of awake and what have you and aware is probably a better term. Well, it's even yeah. hard for us. You know, we've, I, I found myself over the last couple of years, you know, since 2020 happened, okay, and I sort of left my established life and suddenly appeared somewhere else and I've been thinking, okay, well, I'm going to try to sort of learn how to grow food a bit better than I used to. I'm in a completely different climate than when I was in Tassie and whatever. So it's kind of even though I've failed miserably, but um, that's sort of all I felt like I could possibly do was try to prepare because even though it's probably unlikely that, you know, I might have to completely rely on my own food, but if it ever happens, it's not like you're suddenly there going, um, <laughs> got to figure this out. So I guess it's all those little things. And if it doesn't matter, if, if it never comes to the crunch like that, it doesn't matter anyway. You've got some of your own food, so. Well, better safe than sorry. Um Yeah. You know, to me, to me, it's a fucking perfectly logical question to say, like, if if we're going to say that slavery is wrong, right, it doesn't matter how, quote unquote, legal slavery is. If slavery is wrong, the the fundamental logical conclusion of that statement is that. Government is it wrong, though? I mean, it's yeah. in the Bible. Look it up. Well, I mean, it's it, it's there. Is it wrong? Didn't didn't Jesus, you know, wasn't there the new covenant? It it he also it, said uh, render unto. Go ahead. Oh, I mean, he also had the render unto Caesar thing. We're talking about the validity of authority, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Right. I couldn't unhear when he said uh, when he kept saying self owners. I kept hearing self owner. Self owners. Like, so did it, I. 
you know, there's self-owners and yeah. then there's self-own. Yeah. Like you're yeah. you're self-owning by either you're extremely online, so you're on your cell phone, and then that's where you <laughs> learn libertarianism. And then from there, you agitate, you know, for whatever, and then it, it, it blows up in your face. You, it's a self-own. Any agitation for self-ownership is a self-own because the state is going to assert themselves over you no matter what, you know? If you make a great argument, they're going to follow that up with a punch in the face, you know? And then there's self-owners. Yeah. So, and they're just, you know, they're here. Yep, it's like the diametric opposites. It was funny. I was going to type that into the thing, and I thought, no, I just think that's a bit silly. <laughs> so I was glad you said that. I will say the silly thing out loud every time. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. That's I was trying to work it into like a T-shirt or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what we're here for. But, um, but yeah, if, if you own yourself, you can sell yourself. And, and people have sold themselves. And a lot of times, they, and that that's that's a lot of times the reason for slavery. And that's the reason we're enslaved well, today. Yeah, I mean, how is how is uh, student loan debt or credit card debt it, any different? It's not. It's not. We, it's a cell phone. Yeah. Right. So if you can own yourself, you can sell yourself. And people do it all that time this whole society is built on it well let's uh let's go a little bit further here with uh with spooner people are to be treated uh as uh, as slaves and so therefore spooner is able to develop and articulate uh a notion of political authority in accordance with which justified political authority depend depends not on uh you know the majority consent of one's ancestors but on one's own actual consent uh, that there are obviously moral requirements that obtain whether one consents to them or not but political authority doesn't uh turn out to be valid uh on a spoonarian view unless people actually consent to it and uh, uh, that then provides the basis for um, Spooner's uh, uh, really passionate uh, tracts uh, in his uh, in his later life. Not the only thing he writes about by any means, but certainly uh, probably the most enduring stuff. Well, let's talk about the immediate reception to those works, because uh, certainly uh, Spooner was not known for being particularly diplomatic about his views, and he he certainly was known as a free thinker on on deism and abolition and and all of his uh, various views. Let's talk about the way his work was received during his own lifetime. Well, um, it, it may come as a surprise to some uh, viewers, come listeners, to know that his work did not convert 19th century America to anarchism. Uh, it, uh, it was not the case, uh, unfortunately, that there was a uh, wide-ranging and enthusiastic reception of his denunciation of the Constitution and uh, the American state. However, Spooner did uh, gain a very... Uh, enthusiastic and committed following in the circle of 19th century American individualist anarchists uh, around and led by Benjamin Tucker. Um, uh, Tucker provided uh, a Spooner with a platform in uh, uh, his uh, in his publication Liberty and he was very pleased to identify uh, Spooner as a tremendously important figure uh, whose death he really mourned in a you know in a very uh, warm obituary. Uh, so in that circle, uh, the circle that uh, you know that 
arguably began with Josiah Warren, uh, but uh, then uh, really uh, flourished uh, under Tucker's leadership, included people like William B. Green, uh, Voltaire Declare, um, Dyer Lum. Uh, those folks, obviously not a kind of ideologically cohesive group, but a, but a kind of loose community of American radicals, uh, I think Spooner's thought was kept alive, uh, was uh, embraced, not in its totality, of course. You know, the, the standard view, I think, in the Tucker circle, for instance, was uh, an anti-intellectual property view, where Spooner held a radically pro-intellectual property view, and that set him apart, uh, certainly in that way, from those folks. But as a general rule, I think his critique of... Uh, the legitimacy of consent-based justifications for the state uh, was something that those folks were glad to keep alive and to continue transmitting uh, down the down the years. Well, then let's talk about that long-term perspective because obviously, I think it's something that uh, that all anarchists of all stripes and persuasions these days can agree on is that Lysander Spooner is an important thinker and someone that a lot of people are still content to look back on as as an important uh, philosopher in that regards. But of course, there are these different branches and flavors of anarchism that still war over various uh, philosophical antecedents, etc. So, uh, to what extent do you think we can situate Spooner within that that matrix, and is it even valuable to do so? Well, uh, what often happens, uh, and I think we can all be pleased by this, uh, what often happens as uh, the past recedes uh, is that ideological divisions start to seem less pronounced and important than they did uh, when uh, a thinker like Spooner was alive and debating. So I think everybody agrees that Spooner belongs in the camp of the 19th century uh, individualist anarchists, uh, but even people who are perhaps more inclined to identify um, with the anarchist strand uh, rooted uh, more in Central and Eastern Europe that, uh, you know, roughly speaking, we can talk about as the, as the contemporary social anarchist uh, strand within the broader anarchist movement. Um, I think the, those folks are quite happy to see Spooner as, uh, uh, you know, a vibrant and important member of the American anarchist tradition. Um, Spooner's uh, IP views, as I noted, noted are uh, sort of radically um, propertarian in a way that, uh, you know, certainly other folks uh, who tend to share the, the Tucker view, and that, of course, includes a lot of contemporary ANCAPs as well as others, uh, wouldn't endorse. But Spooner's overall approach is not typically, I think, going to be dismissed by contemporary social anarchists as a kind of right-wing approach because it was clear that he was a pro-labor guy. He was somebody who was uh, very interested in helping uh, to ease the burden of uh, uh, kind of debt slavery that people experienced. He had, had a very radical view about, uh, about when uh, uh, debt contracts could be enforced and things like that. And so his impulses clearly were not pro-status quo. They weren't pro- uh, kind of the, the economic elites of his time. And because of that, uh, because of his radical anti-slavery views and so forth, even though uh, obviously he's a market anarchist, uh, people in the social anarchist tradition, I think, are, are even if they disagree with him, are going to see him as somebody who's part of the broad anarchist movement. And so he, like Tucker, is somebody from that 19th century world who... Uh, despite disagreements about their positions among contemporary anarchists, is going to be uh, a source, I think, of connection between modern market anarchists and modern social anarchists. And I, I think that's all to the good. It's a lot of words. It's a lot of words, isn't it? 
I don't know. You know, like I'm grateful that people point out facts and point out thoughts and try to, I don't know. I guess, uh, express these ideas, but it's, it all sounds so silly when you just take a step back from it. Like we're just, we're just talking about a whole lot of bullshit. Yeah. Uh, threatened by a whole bunch of psychopaths, sociopaths, psychopaths. What it's crazy. Exactly what you say. If you take a step back and look at it, it's insane. Absolute insanity. How did we get here? I don't know. I think I think we were all born into it, quite honestly. I think the world has been this way for a long, long time. That's what and we're just we're just yeah. the latest generation to experience it. That's all That's it is. Basically what I was saying in the comments, I said if people are self-owners, they could be self-sellers. Most slaves were sold by their fathers, and it's boomer Molochianism. So you know how Moloch works? You put your child in the oven, you know. Um all all these all all of these generations before us were also fucking boomers and uh and sacrificed their well-being or our well-being for their comforts. And that's, that's what I think has happened for a long time. I think that what happened is, you know, kid got raised to a certain age and then they said, Hey, if you give me your kid, you can, you're, you're done. You're free. There's people act like people were enslaved for life. They were, they were enslaved until they were a certain age and no longer useful. Their kids, their kids were useful. And that's that's what happened. That's what happened to us in the 80s when we were born. You know, most of us were born in the 80s in this group, right? So. I'm probably the youngin of the bunch. Yeah. But, yeah. Huh. Well, you know, I'm tempted to go in a different direction, but related, okay? We're, we're talking about the insanity of our world, our supposed plane of existence. Now, we talked about New Harmony, Indiana last uh, last week <clears throat> or two weeks ago. I'm not sure. But there was this thing called the, the Healing Palindrome, and it got me kind of curious. And it turns out that this this thing is a part of like a global art project. And there's like 150 some installations, but it's an artist who's created like a parallel universe in his own mind. So it's called chimerics fear. That's one word chimerics there wherever i come is coming my way wherever i go hard luck is that it stays good luck never stays a day a bad luck's always coming my way wow 
Welcome back to another strange tale of It's a Grim Life, the daily vlog of the Grim Life Collective. Today, it is another rainy, dreary, wet day here in Atlanta. The sun that we've had the past couple of days is now gone. It is hidden well behind the rainy, dreary, grim clouds. I say that with such enthusiasm and happiness because I like the rain. I like the dreary days just as much as I like the sunny days. I am standing in the lower courtyard for West Side Provisions here on the west side of Atlanta, Georgia. And there's something pretty interesting, something pretty unique and bizarre and strange here that many probably do not know about. Now, let me ask you, do you believe in parallel universes, worlds that exist? adjacent to ours. Think of it like Back to the Future or any other crazy tale. It's sci-fi horror. It has been covered in books and movies countless times. When I say parallel universe, you know exactly what I mean. Well, you should. If you don't, it's a world that lines up directly to ours in some sort of strange timeline. For instance, where I'm standing right now in this courtyard at Westside Provisions, maybe in another parallel universe, it is a city, or maybe it's even a graveyard, which would probably make sense considering we are the Grim Life Collective. But there's an artist slash storyteller who's created an elaborate story of a parallel universe called Chimeric Sphere. Now that is a mouthful. That is a jumble of words that I probably butchered. And if you aren't watching this, Eames Demetrius. Sorry. So Eames Demetrius is the creator of this chimeric sphere universe. And in his world, in his parallel universe, chimeric sphere, this west side location here in Atlanta is also in his world, his parallel universe, it is a desert called the Ad Atlanta Desert. In order to tell his story properly, the story of Chimeric Sphere, the parallel universe to ours, Eames Demetrius installs or has had plaques installed across the world, from the United States to Singapore to the United Kingdom to even the bottom of the ocean, which means in order to get to it, to read it, you have to go scuba diving. Now, these plaques tell the story of what has happened or some sort of historical event that takes place in Chimeric Sphere. So if you think about it, these plaques are like, I guess you would say doorways from our world to Chimeric Sphere. Not necessarily doorways, but maybe windows that say, hey, you know, at this location where you are standing and reading this, this is what happened or what is going on in the chimeric sphere. And one of the... The word is maiden spool, maiden spool. And it's used for the bathing of the princesses of Polygis Bay. They're lined with the secretions of year old water moles and tend to be in shallow reefs up to 10 miles from shore, maiden spool. Maiden spool, M-A-I-D-E-N-S-P-O-O-L. Right. Well the spelling bee started about eight years ago, right after we installed Embassy Row, the Parisian Diaspora. 
we want to do something each year to celebrate the chimeric serial heritage of this place. F-R-O-N-T-A-G-E. Winner gets $100. We tried to give them chimeric serial dollars, but they prefer linear U.S. dollars, and so we stuck with that. The word is Culver. Culver. I always make it past the first round, but that's about it. <laughs> I have never won it. A-P-U-N. U-P-A-W-M. Wow, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Can I use my lifeline? Move. M-U-V-E. M-U-U-V. Um, did you guys remember the word origin? Because that helps tremendously. Like Wyoming, it starts with a K. But if you ask for the definition, you find out that it's from the district of something that starts with a K. So then that gives me the hint that I know Wyoming starts with a K and then it's Wyoming, so. It's the traditional shorthand for the district of nearly Minnesota. Precise origin unknown, widely accepted district name. N-M-I-N-N-E-S-O-T-A. There's no common words in this spelling bee. They're all just really out there. <laughs> words that I can't understand, but he speaks them fluently. And so he's telling a story. The word is taken, and it means stupid or foolish. And the takens were often the butts of many cruel jokes. Ironically, it's a taken word. Taken. T-A-G-A-N. The word is Louisiana. War. Isorokoro. Breathe it. Silicane. Raw. Seclude. Chupacabra. Kali Allah Palara. Last year, it was an amazing contest. The whole day was fantastic. Gavin took the crown. S-P-H-A-L-T-W-A-Y. E-L-S-A-G-W-O-M-E-R-E-Z-H-N. This is his third win. He defeated Kirsten, who he tied with last year. But I got to say, Lydia was a strong contender. She came from nowhere, hadn't, hadn't competed before, pulled out a really strong second. The word is maiden spool. Okay, I tried to I tried to go to an, a new clip here, uh, but it took me right back to where I started. Um, Chimerics there. It, this is some weird shit, man. So, so the Healing Palindrome in New Harmony, Indiana, is one of, like I said, like 150 art installations by this guy, this motherfucker right here. Uh, I, his aims aims something or other he's got a weird fucking name but this guy this guy is writing a story across the globe and he's leaving chapters in various places it's a very weird thing what he's doing i'd I'm like just, to know who's funding him me me too drizzle me too because it sounds expensive when did he start this? Do you know? Um, I want to say like two thousand and like ten or something. Like, oh, it's, really? It's been a while. Okay. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on this podcast before, but um, hmm, might have even been around then. Could have been, yeah. Um, a good friend of mine was um, her partner was a pilot for Qantas. Um, and on some of his, you know, off days or off weekends, he was also a pilot for some private charters. And he was um, hired to, I seem to remember it was sort of like Buddhists involved somehow 
um, but they were flying around and dropping these things from the plane, dropping like hmm. tablets into the ocean and stuff. I was just wondering whether it might have been. It might be connected. related. Um, this this guy hmm. did work in Nepal and like. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We're definitely we're definitely gonna get kicked off of YouTube here. Um, so, <laughs> FYI, if you're a listener, if you're a listener, get us on on Rumble. You know, I'm not sure if Odyssey is working. I think Rumble's working, but like YouTube is oh. so wait a second. Here's here's the thing also. Yeah. You know, we're talking to the people that are listening live. Um the best way to listen to the forum is after it's over. And <laughs> that's whenever we all upload it to our feed. So yeah, yeah. But also the video. I think I think the visuals are useful. Mm. You know, the, the WTF forum is becoming more and more visual over time. I try to, yeah. I try to, I try to keep it audio centric. Right, but, right, right. But some of this shit, you just got to see because it's too fucking wild. You know, you couldn't see, you couldn't see how bad whistling diesel was beaten on that Toyota. If you weren't watching, you know, I was listening. Yeah. <laughs> well, so uh, my point, my point here, though, we're, we're we're about to go to a TEDx talk or a TED talk or whatever, and they they seem to really be on their shit when it comes to the copyright shit. Yeah. Which I, I'll just point out the irony. Apparently, uh, Lysander Spooner was a big uh, copyright, you know, intellectual property guy. I, you know. If this ain't fair use, I don't know what is. Because if we're not trying to be informative what? and newsworthy and this, that, and the other, all the things. Well, isn't isn't Ted's tagline "ideas worth sharing"? Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. then they're going to uh, hit you with a copyright uh, strike for sharing right. their content. <laughs> Here's Seriously, another one. Come on, people. Here's another <laughs> one. None of us have made a fucking dime off of doing right. the fuck for them. Right. Mm. We haven't made any money whatsoever. We're just sharing information. Yeah. We don't even have enough subscribers to do that, even if we wanted to. So, yeah. Chop, chop. Yeah. <laughs> We're working on it. Or at uh, least I am. Well, I don't care. Not, about, it's not the, I, I'm objective. not, I'm not trying to make money off of this. And I, yeah. and I'm, I'm sauce of anybody that is. Well, but can, so can I, I, I will say, because we've talked about this a time or yeah. two, I would love to do this five days a week. And the only uh, way I could ever do that is if if I get paid to. Be careful but, what you wish but, for, Mike. Yeah, you're <laughs> right about that. But also, the only model that makes any fucking sense in my mind is value for value. No, no yeah. advertising. No, you know, if it's not listener supported, it's bullshit. You know, fucking what, what PBS or fucking NPR? They get fucking tax money, bro. They're not. They're not listener supported. They're fucking taxpayer supported, you know? And they do drives twice a year. Like back in the day mm. when I used to listen to NPR, <laughs> it's embarrassing now, but I used to listen to NPR every day and they would always have the drives always raising money, even though they're being paid for with tax funder taxpayer dollars. So how about we do a drive easy peasy? dot itty bitty dot tips 
go there well, and 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 give Mike some love because it, and, you know like we're all here. You know, there's, well, there's you know five of us other than Mike, but so, Mike has been shouldering this shit. Like we wouldn't have Ando, a show without Mike. So Ando, I go to Easy Peasy. Dot itty bitty. Dot tips. Value for value. Hook Mike up. Give him something. <laughs> And say, help me, hey, help I me. heard about you on the Easy Peasy <laughs> podcast or on the uh, What the Fuck forum. On the and the, all yeah. these cool guys uh, are hanging out and talking shit. And give Mike some love because he deserves well, and it. Ando, uh, let me cut you off because I don't like, I don't, uh, you know, I don't like all this attention. But, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> so, so uh, I do intend, I thought about doing it this week. But I think maybe next week or sometime soon, I I, I think I want to do a WTF forum uh, where we talk about the future of the WTF forum because I have some ideas. I I would very much like it to be like a five day week program, but not every day of the week be like four or five six hours long. You know, like it would be really cool to have thirty minute episodes of the of the what the fuck forum where it's just like one-on-one conversation i think uh, there's there's a yeah. sweet spot yeah i mean if if you want to get popular if you want to get like blow the fuck up and and be like fucking you know tim the pool boy as uh as well, that's not what i'm saying but as adam okay. calls calls him you know pool boy uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Pool. that so, wasn't organic by the way right that yeah, doesn't yeah. just happen but if you want to, you got to get that sweet spot and you got to do it th- three or so hours and you got to talk about all the bullshit that's happening in the fucking yep. puppet show. Yep. My only point is. And I preferably think, uh, have a soundboard. Mm-hmm. I think. Oh, yeah, that think, works. That helps. I think. I th- honestly, I think there's something to the decentralized podcast where we could have multiple contributors sending in episodes that flow up a, a chain so to speak and if they pass muster you know they they go on the platform the forum i you know i i would very much like to not be the guy all the time yeah you know, i'll be the guy some of the time that's what i'm trying to figure out here but that's 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 neither here nor there i think we should carry on i want to oh yeah sh- enough shop talk just yeah, go yeah. to easy yeah. peasy dot itty bitty dot tips, dot tips. and hook this go. motherfucker up. <laughs> Help me pay my if bills. Want, <laughs> if you want brilliant, beautiful content, if you want to defeat the new world order, you just go to Mike's website and hook him up. Well, I'm, I'm but, just kidding about that because you're not going to defeat the new world order. And but I'm making fun of the people that make you think that. So it's like, you know, because there's there's a bunch of motherfuckers out there that they're like, hey, hey, I'm Alex Jones and I'm going to defeat the New World Order if you just buy a T-shirt. Bro, bro, yeah. honestly, honestly, my goal, my goal, low key, I would love to throw like a music festival in the next like five years where like more than like 200 people show up and it's just badass like freedom loving music um that's that's pretty much my goal for the wtf form <laughs> slash easy peasy podcast i'm like i'm like i mean we could probably make that happen i think we can make that happen i want to throw 
the easy peasy fest. Honest to God. I'm like, I, I've got a, I've got a venue in mind, but let's, w- let's keep WTF fest and maybe. drizzle drizzle. Uh, you probably have bands in mind that, that would actually do it. That are not sold the fuck out. Yeah. That's why I if, said it could probably happen. If I, <laughs> if I can lock down a campground that could house, I don't know, like 500 folks, you know, cabins and tents all combined. I think we could we could throw a good party, you know. Yeah. All right, that's enough shop talk. Let's get back to chimerics there. Yeah. Can I ask something? Back. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to ask with the TED talks, as far as the copyright goes, is that because of the actual content, or is it because the content is on YouTube that you're using? I don't know. It? I don't know. What's it's the issue? Both. Because all okay. the above. Yeah. Enough. And I wanted to say something before we move on to sure, if you're sure. going to um, <laughs> if, if people are going to follow Ando's advice, then we need to and we're acting like NPR, then we need to make sure that people can get a handy tote bag in the mail for, <laughs> for their donations. Totes. Yes. Totes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should get <laughs> some WTF merch. Uh, yeah. a, a tote that says WTF and that's all it says. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah that would be tote, it, totes awesome. Totes cool. It would be totes totally awesome. get it. Yeah, but it has to be. It can't be like really cool merch. It has to be like the kind of shit that you get from NPR, which is a tote bag and like a sticker <laughs> for the back of your Subaru. <laughs> okay, so what we gotta do is is sell sell women those the Stanley cups. You gotta sell women Stanley. Oh, they cups sell like hotcakes. Yeah. yeah. Dude, <laughs> just put what the fuck on there. We're all set. We're all set. All right. Hey, y'all, I got to get going. Hey, but, right on, Ando. Uh, love you, bro. Love very you. Very much love. And uh, I'll catch y'all next time. Love you, guts. Bye. Peace out. Uh, I'm going to follow Ando out. So, hey, was, uh, nice take, to see take you guys. it when you get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'll see, see you guys. Take see care. Ya. Thanks for jumping on. Yeah. All right. Uh, anybody else? The crowd thins. Hey, it's all right. Uh, I, I, I'm, in there. I'm, I'm, I'm running out of material here, but Chimerics there. I wasn't sure if I was going to bring this up tonight, but it's super weird. So, you know, what the fuck? <laughs> Thank you all for uh, uh, being here and being part of this uh, storytelling. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, uh, chimerics theory. Uh, everybody has learned about chimerics theory in school, correct? No. No? Okay, maybe we should practice pronouncing it. Chimerics theory? Chimerics theory? See, it's just like it's written. It's very simple. It's very simple. Chimerics theory. And this is an alter- a parallel universe that I've created. And uh, what I do is I go around the world and I install um, uh, bronze plaques and historic sites that honor events from the fictional world and our linear world. And this is a map of chimerics there. You can sort of see our linear world in the back there. Um, but you can see these, these colored regions. And the, the colored regions represent different qualities of existence, um, qualities of ferulempt. And ferulempt 
is a quality of the universe that's as different from time and space as, they, as time and space are from each other. So they're very mysterious, and that's part of the work of chimerics there is to try to uh, figure out what this is. So as I said, we install these plaques, we install historic sites that all tell parts of the story. And we have, this, is a, this is a site that we did in Cape Town, uh, South Africa. This is one that's in the middle of the UK. I don't know if Paige got to it when you were in the UK. I, I hope you, I get a chance to go back. Um, this is one that's in the middle of the United States in a place we call Wisconsin. And this is one that's actually underwater, so you can get a little bit of a swim in there. It's um, in Charleston Harbor in the southern part of the US. And this one I really like, it's off the coast of Scotland. It's in, in 20 meters of water, and you have to dive down to read it. And if you read it, it tells you this story. It says, the unsoiling of Rockall. At the time of the Rockall ascendancy, here rose the most easterly point of that great island, larger than what we call Britain and Ireland together, both then ruled by Rockall's royal family. But royal arrogance and decadence finally provoked an epic uprising. A wave of citizens, Mladys Gidonhira, Elvid Macron, and Esther Tebron among them, began removing the soil and substance of Rockall, hurling it into the sea, ultimately leaving under royal thrall only the tiny wave-swept nub of rock still known today by the ancient name. And also, very helpfully, it says that if you find this plaque, please return the plaque to the ocean floor eight miles due west of Dubartok, which is an undersea mountain. So we try to be helpful as we um, uh, spread the word about the alternative world. We've done Chimeric Sphere beer, so hopefully um, Andre will start carrying that. And um, it's, uh, I'm not sure it's pure, but it may be artisanal. All right, how do y'all feel about this so far? Honestly, uh, like there's a schizo? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. There's something very repellent about this individual, but mm, I have yeah. to be clear about my own biases. So if I see somebody that's coming across to me as like super progressive, super weirdo, um, a Ted person, then that is automatically distasteful to me. And I think they're probably a globalist shill. So it. Mm. And I'm not saying this is good, but it distracts me from giving their work a chance. But even this guy is coming off as like just so pretentious and just like such a douche. Mm, That's just me. Totally agree. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> oh, Mike, you're muted. Ashley, Ashley, thank you. Um, are you are you are you possibly saying that? Uh, some guy who is writing you know stories from a parallel universe and leaving little breadcrumbs of this story all over the globe might be serving some kind of globalist um alternate alternative universe <laughs> type of agenda i don't know yes. I, you know i don't you know I, what i you know maybe i don't know maybe so i don't know I'm, <laughs> I'm yes, just I would I'm say. over here just stoned but like maybe I'm not seeing a whole lot of point to it so far apart from creating more confusion and also um supporting the I don't know possible maybe the simulation theory or something like that which that's you know we can't of, we cannot discount yeah. however if these people are pushing it <laughs> then hmm um <clears throat> yeah I, I it's bizarre well, I'm, I'm sharing it. Is, I'm sharing it not because I agree with it, but because I find it fascinating. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. It's go it's, ahead, Driz. Yeah. Well, it's bizarre, right? Because, like, especially for the stuff that he did in the United States, I know he had to get permits, right? Because he's he's actually like he's he's erecting a monument, is what he's doing, but it's a monument that's complete nonsense. Well, he's so, he's getting um he's getting what do you call it like uh, commissions. He's being hired to do this. Well, then that makes it even stranger, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, who's hiring him? Is it like RC Christian or somebody's descendant? Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what I thought of. Is that, the, that is that is that the guy that built the uh, the guidestones? The guidestones, yeah. Commissioned them yeah. on behalf of somebody. Fucking exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly it sounds sounds like this guy had a little sort of fantasy when he was about seven and he's just written it down and now he's sort of got some funding to yeah, <laughs> put all the blocks he, together yeah yeah, yeah you yeah, know yeah. honestly i think he's a useful idiot yeah yeah might be i think might i think be. he's being funded to do what he loves to do in the person or group or whatever it is mm. that is providing the capital is the one with the ulterior motive you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have given it like a second thought if it wasn't for that spelling bee with seemingly normal folks who are her, they're, they're like fully swept up. In yeah. This. They're living in the alternate dimension for yes. that time. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a metaverse, but an outside one. Um, yeah. So there's an Indie, Indiegogo, which campaign, which is now closed as far as, um, funding for this goes but you know that could always be how much did they raise <laughs> from that i don't know because it's closed but um that's one front as far as the funding goes at least um i'm sure there's probably more funding from elsewhere yeah and that's a good point because this is another thing that knowing what we know now about like the corruption in the art world and how you know like the selling of art and art museums and or galleries rather that they're often used for money laundering, right? Let like look at Hunter Biden's mm. paintings that were sold for way more money. And so it also makes me very suspicious of people that are allowed to get really popular in the art world in today's day and time. And we know that most of the stuff that they're coming out with is absolute horseshit. Like it's not it's not classic art anymore. It's like it's been co-opted just like everything else. Like I think wasn't Jackson Pollock a psyop or something like that? Like there's yeah. some scandal of them being infiltrated too. So oh, I'm yeah. like modern you modern art was was totally a construct. Yeah. So and so like this guy, I also feel like if you're in that. And in this money laundering, and like, what else are you up to? Child okay. trafficking in the art world, this weird Podesta art. I don't know. I just, well, oh, you bring up I'm some interesting shit there, uh, Ashley. I, you know, I might take us in, in a different direction, speaking of like child trafficking weirdness, but uh, <laughs> go ahead, Stella. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You know, there's just, there's so many interesting little nodes all of this yeah i'm just skimming over his about page on his personal website um and i'm seeing connections with like his some of his clients lots of filmmaking lots of arty stuff lots of galleries um some of his clients include people like coca-cola ibm 
Um, various museums, um, Universal Studios. <laughs> so, yeah. is one of them MoMA? There's a MOCA, M-O-C-A. What's MOMA? Oh, that's the Museum of Modern Art, isn't it? Yep. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I'm not seeing MOMA there. I'm seeing lots of other museums, though. Oh, what about the Whitney Museum? Is that on there? I'll just do a quick find. Whitney, W-H-I-T-N-E-Y. I think that's it. Do do a little dig in there, uh, Stella. Let me play this on for yeah, a few more right. minutes, uh, and we'll come back. And then I've got I've got something seemingly from left field. Um, you know, as usual, I, I I trust my gut, and if shit seems related, even if not like obviously related, I'm gonna bring it in, and it it's gonna be. I promise you, it's gonna be the last thing I bring in here tonight. But um, it's just too weird not to address. So let me play a couple minutes of this. We'll wrap up on uh, Chimerics there. And then just as a, as a teaser, I'm going to bring you something about Ryan Gosling. And uh, we have a, we have, uh, we do bus tours and things like that. And so, as I said, the name of the project is Chimerics there. It comes from a cognate word, and cognate is a language in the alternative world called chimera. Uh, chimera means the true physicality of the planet. And an exterior is a shape with almost an infinity of dimensions or sides, infinity minus 29. So control of those missing 29 dimensions is very important. So before I go on, you might be wondering, well, why do I do this? It's a parallel universe. And we have enough trouble with the universe we have. And, and the reason I do this has a lot to do with some of the things um, Paige and Andre were talking about. It's really important today to learn to see the world fresh. And in a way, this project is like a novel, but it's a novel where every page is in a different place. Sorry. Um, and uh, every page is in a different place. And so where you read, the, read it influences how you see the space. And so it's, it's a, um, because language is so much a part of perception. Because everywhere we go, like, you know, when you know something about it, you bring that information to what you see. So I thought, wouldn't it be great to create an alternative universe that existed in your head that you actually experienced? So when the sun's beating down, or in this case, a bus is going by or whatever, that's influencing how you experience this parallel world. And that's sort of the idea. So this is a plaque that we did um, in what we call Montana. And uh, if you go there, um, it tells the story of a, of a singer I won't read you the whole thing, but she was a singer whose voice was so beautiful that it couldn't be concealed. So the moment you heard her voice, you knew exactly who it was. And this was normally very good, but then she witnessed a murder, and she was the only witness, so the bad guys wanted to kill her. And every time she was hiding, she started to sing, and then people knew who, where she was, and they came after her. So that's one of the stories of Chimerics there. And this, as um, Jason was showing you, this is an embroidery that the women in Namibia did of that story. We also have part of that story in what we call Singapore. And, uh, and fortunately, it's, I do, it's our first plaque that has uh, Chinese on it. So I'll read the English, but you can, um, you can check my English um, by, as I read it. And so this is by the, uh, in uh, the Chinatown section of Singapore. And 
It says, um, place of refuge. After her 1,597th place of refuge, Ili Alame Ning, that's the singer, she of the voice whose beauty could not be concealed, came to the small labyrinth that once stood on this site. It was her next or 2,584th home. She lingered here, enjoying the company of the good people of Segolin, the name of the place, uh, helping at a kind of trade school. When she finally sang at their request, it was reluctantly, for thus revealed she had to leave to escape the merciless Puni. But Nobunaga Van Treven found her first. Quickly, he explained how she could turn the battle of some times, which is an epic battle that was happening, and thereby save his beloved Melades. And you heard her name on that plaque at the bottom of the ocean, his beloved Melades. In a flash, they set off to the hub of Segolin towards her 4,181st refuge, if it would be a refuge at all. And so you can see the piece of that story there. So, of course, nobody's going to go to every single place, although the airlines would love that. But what, what will happen is that if you go to one of them and you read the other ones online, it will change how you perceive what you're, what you're seeing. This is one we did in, um, in, uh, in what we call Madrid. And uh, these, are, these are chimeric serial moons. And I figured with the moon festival coming up, that would be appropriate. This was the Spanish moon festival. Well, I'm not sure if it passes muster here. Um, but it's, uh, it was great because there's some secret messages in the plaques that I taught to the, I, I told that the, kid, the kids in the area were there. And so they spent all this time trying to find them and they figured them all out. And now they're the ones who tell the visitors about them. And so, but where? Ah, this man, this man is weaving his own mythology. And part of me, part of me is uh, impressed because apparently people are actually like listening and reading and going to spelling bees. Yeah, I'll tell you something else that it kind of reminded me of was like LARPing a little bit and also like uh, George R. R. Martin, for example, created the, you know, the whole mythology of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. Of Game of Thrones and like right. all of these many places and all of this history. And so it almost reminds me of that he's trying to create that, but in a different, more immersive experience, if you will. Well, you know, there's there's like an interesting thing maybe to draw um like C.S. Lewis versus J.R.R. Tolkien I mean I I cannot even begin to express or explain why that's like really something worth talking about I have not done my own homework but you know Chronicles of Narnia versus lord of the rings and the fact that like these guys created universes but uh i don't know narnia narnia came from a christian perspective and uh you know middle earth was from more of like a atheistic perspective if i'm not mistaken i don't know yeah. I think there's supposed to have been Christian influence in the Lord of the Rings as well. You're probably you're probably right. Yeah. There's yeah. also the counter if you could if you want to look into that and I can't really sort of speak it because I don't know it all off the top of my head, but I do know that I have looked into some fairly um I suppose convincing might be the word um information regarding CS Lewis and Tolkien. Um 
sort of not really actually being like true Christian, if you know what I mean. Um, definitely roots, you know, influenced by, so it is said, darker side. Sure. And, and uh, to really what I was talking about in that regard, aside from the Christian influence or not, which I think those are good questions, um, is just that he's approaching it like that, though. He's approaching it like creating his own world that has this immersive experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I'm just reading another thing on his page here. It says, you don't need a high-tech visual reality helmet to experience a chimera theater site chimera, in the middle of yeah. the yeah. So almost uh, like site in the middle of the desert now, now or in 100 years. So it's almost his alternative to the metaverse sort of thing. So Yeah. Well, it, like- got, it got me thinking because, like, I wrote he, – he was talking about how um, it's like writing a novel but leaving, like, a chapter – all over you know a, a chapter here and a chapter there all over the world you know me i wrote a novel and i i based it in our universe right it was fiction but it was based in our universe and i'd be very tempted to write a novel based in a totally different universe because of the freedom that it would provide but at the same time well, it's what a way you, to play God, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. But you get to make up all the rules, and that, nobody right. can tell you that you're wrong. Right. That was exactly I, I, the I thought that I had. I think it's more fun to write a write a story based in your own universe because there's there's like constraints. Well, I've been um, there's a like a writing class that someone is doing in autonomy and that is what he's doing every week is playing a clip of like Brandon Sanderson's lectures. And that's one of the things that he's talking about right now is world building. And Brandon Sanderson is prolific um, science fiction, fantasy writer in the same vein of George R. R. Martin, um, that kind of thing. And he's actually the one that finished the wheel of time series because the author passed away before he had a chance to finish it. So Brandon Sanderson is like in that genre, a heavy hitter. And that's the one thing that he's talking about is that you have to have rules in your universe, in your universe building. Um, You have whatever those two, you know, whatever you choose to make them, but even a fictional universe has to have rules if the story is going to work. All right, I'm going to I'm going to throw something at y'all here. Like I teased, uh Ryan Gosling. Apparently Ryan Gosling um is playing around. He's got a pet project and I think he's playing within the realm of our own universe. But he's certainly playing. I, you know, I I don't have any better way of putting it, but here you go. <laughs> For today's Grib Adventure, we have a little bit of a deep cut. 
You see, here at the Grim Life Collective, we are big fans of Halloween. We are huge fans of horror. But it also turns out that we are huge, and I'm talking huge, huge, huge fans of Ryan Gosling. Now, when I say that we're fans of Ryan Gosling, you might be asking yourself, wait a second, do they love the movie Blade Runner 2049? Yes, we do. Do they love the movie Drive? Why, yes, we do. Or what about the movie Barbie that recently just came out? It's actually really good and we're fans of it. But dare I say, maybe the Grim Life Collective are fans of The Notebook. I think not. We're actually big fans of Ryan Gosling's band that plays Halloween music called Dead Man's Bones. Now, baby girl, I have a question for you. Holding that record in the cemetery, can you feel the pa power? Pa pa power? Right there. Now, in case you didn't know this, Ryan Gosling, yes, Ryan Gosling had a band. Back in 2009, him and a friend of his, Zach Shields, started a band where they played Halloween music that talked about ghosts and monsters. It was like a love story, if you will, to monsters that they grew up with. They toured a little bit, but they also released an album, which you just saw, and then they also put out a music video. And in fact, the reason we're standing right underneath this tree this is where they shot the music video. We're going to talk about that. And oh yeah, looking on the inside, it's like, like a class photo. <laughs> now, before we walk around the cemetery, lining up shots from the music video, as well as visiting a few other Dead Man's Bones locations, because there's really not that many. It was a, just like a short project in Ryan Gosling's career. Let's talk a little bit more about the band. Like I said, 2009, him and friend Zach Shields started the band. And every time they played, including when they went on tour, they had a children's choir with them. And they started out here in L.A. And the first children's choir that would perform with them at Bob Barker's Marionette Theater, I think it was. They were like the house band there. They had the Silver Lake Conservatory Children's Choir, which was started by Red Hot Chili Peppers' Flea. As for the start of Dead Man's Bones, Ryan Gosling and Zach Shields became friends because of their mutual love for the Haunted Mansion. Now, the story goes that Zach Shields, when he was growing up, he was so obsessed with ghosts and monsters that his family actually put him in therapy. And Ryan Gosling, supposedly, he grew up in a haunted house and it was so bad that his family decided to move. So at an early age, the love for ghosts and monsters were instilled and both of them, and they created Dead Man's Bones. Thank you. 
I know, I know. What what is he getting at here? What is Mike even getting at? That is that is Ryan Gosling. Okay. Have you no doubt that right there is Ryan Gosling. And apparently this was his pet project. Something which if you ask me, it seems he put a lot of energy into. Okay, you want to know how many how many views? He's got 200,000 views on this video. He's got 45, 4,400, 44,000, I should say, subscribers. This is not Ryan Gosling's most profitable enterprise, given that he just starred in the Barbie movie. But he seems to care. But he, he was lot. he was a supporting role, Mike. He, <laughs> he wasn't the star of the movie. But am I wrong? He, it seems he cares quite a bit about this, or at least cared. Uh, maybe maybe he's a true artist. You know, mm-hmm. maybe he's not in it for the money. Uh, maybe he doesn't care about the money. Maybe he just enjoys creating art. That's possible. Uh, it is very possible that an entertainment industry will take uh, a person such as that and uh, cash in over the course of, of that person's lifetime. Absolutely, that can happen. I also just want to point out how creepy it is that like a children's, <laughs> a children's choir is involved. Yeah, has something to do with flea. Yeah, there's uh, the creepy element for sure. But as far as Ryan Gosling, he was a Disney actor. Um, You may know that, but he was a child star. So it seems like there was an emphasis on them to have actual like many different talents. Right. So like singing, dancing, acting. So it kind of doesn't surprise me that he would be involved in. Yeah, Brittany's still dancing. 
<laughs> she she definitely is. <laughs> um, but it doesn't surprise me that he'd be involved in like m- several things like that. Um, yeah. Once he was already super well established, you know, you can focus on pet projects. Yeah, you think about what it's like to be an actor. Um, you're turning up and doing, you know, pre-written lines. You don't really have a lot of artistic say, most likely. Uh, maybe the bigger ones might, like the Tom Cruises of the world, but that's fairly rare, I'd imagine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're a creative person, you're probably itching to do something that you've got full control over and you can just let loose, you know, full expression. So, yeah, that's, can't really see anything wrong with it. <laughs> it is it is creepy AF, though. Yeah, isn't it? Very creepy. But when you see it, you're going to scratch your head and go, wait a second. What's going on here? Can I just say that if the thought of a marionette theater doesn't give you nightmares, this building definitely will. This is the old Bob Baker marionette theater. I keep wanting to say Bob Barker. This is where Dead Man's Bones technically had a it was like a three-day residency. They played here for three nights back in 2009 for Halloween. As you can tell, this place has been shut down for quite some time, and they actually have a new marionette theater over in Highland Park. And it's a, a strange little place, but can you imagine seeing Dead Man's Bones here? I mean, it's kind of in a, a strange place. It's underneath a bridge just on the outskirts of downtown Los Angeles. No wonder they moved. And there's just something extra spooky and extra perfect that even though the theater is now gone, that this is still here and it still has the signage. It's just kind of kind of spooky, that's for sure. And in fact, there's actually a picture where we're right there on the marquee underneath where it says now playing. It says like a Halloween spooktacular. This is it. I'm willing to bet that if we can get inside there, that there still is a theater of some sort that we can see. And I bet it looks pretty darn amazing. Now, with that being said, thank you for joining us on another grim adventure, this time telling the story of Dead Man's Bones. Okay, I I share that because it's so obvious to me that apparently Ryan Gosling has like a fucking thing for weird, creepy shit. He found this yo. The only thing creepier than the abandoned marionette theater was the photo of it when it was still open. It was creepier when it was open. It looked like a fucking like creepy clown show motherfucking <laughs> thing. I you know I I'm, I'm at a loss. Go missing. I'm at a loss for words, but yeah, this guy who apparently travels around with a with a children's choir and also <laughs> stars in the Barbie movie uh, apparently loves to play Halloween music at creepy marionette theaters. Did I summarize it? Okay. Yep. Uh, what are what are Hollywood heartthrobs supposed to do, Mike? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you? <laughs> what the fuck, dude? <laughs> Sounds like a pretty good life to me. Uh who the fuck is this guy, man? That's what I'm saying. You know? Well, he's Canadian for one. So okay. oh. and that probably explains <laughs> yeah. some things right there. No and probably MK Ultra from a young age. 
Oh yeah. Being involved in Disney as a child, so always yeah. gotta wonder about them. Seems to be exactly. <laughs> I you know I I don't really know what to tell you on this one, guys, except that watch out for Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Based or bogus? I'm, pretty, <laughs> I'm going bogus. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I like the art side of it, but, you know, I don't think that anything that really comes out of famous people's minds is probably pure. <laughs> but, you know, just got to appreciate the art. There has to, Actually, that's something I've really had to learn how to do since 2020 is separate the art from the artist a lot more. wasn't really conscious of it before. But now it's like half my CD collection or even records um, were, you know, those who were singing perhaps against the establishment but then gave in. <laughs> you know what I mean? The rage against the machine types. So, yeah, but yeah. Just I, didn't, I didn't realize you were a huge rage against the machine fan, Stella. That's, that's I'm not a very huge, enlightening. I'm not a huge rage against the machine fan. I'm just saying that I am fully aware of what they sort of stood for and sang about. And then um, they weren't letting unvaccinated people into their concerts i believe if, if yeah. is that correct correct yeah. well, not yes, only that sir, i'm they, gonna do what you tell me yes, <laughs> they, they, they sold tickets yeah. to their concert canceled the tour then said okay all right we're we're gonna go back on tour now that everything's over and sell a bunch more tickets and then canceled it again right yeah yeah okay but that's just one example there was quite a few bands that were sort of like oh really yeah, anyway, that's a whole other show. <laughs> well, you know, I I hesitate to even play this uh, because it could very well be like a spell. So I'm telling you all this. Go guard, you your, guard your soul from the magic at play here. But just to give you a little glimpse at Ryan Gosling and his uh, children's choir. You know, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm just, you can't make this shit up. Okay. Thank <laughs> you. 
Okay, pausing. Okay, again, what the fuck is Mike even doing here? Okay, so he has a children's choir, but he seems to love old folks' homes as far as venues to play with his Halloween band. What the fuck, man? Like, what's going on here? You know, I'm just saying, like, Ryan Gosling. I want to, hey, if if anybody knows him, I, I'd love to interview the guy because I have questions. Well, I noticed that first one you played was um, posted 14 years ago. So this yeah. is obviously not something. This is not fully new. recent. No, no. So what's he doing now? Like, is he still pursuing this kind of thing or is he back in the Hollywood chair? Yeah. Oh, he just did um, the Barbie movie, didn't he? Yeah. Well, he just did the Barbie movie. He's done a lot of movies in the last 14 years, but 14 years ago, he was doing this. Yeah. So this is just a side thing, I guess. Probably keeps him sane. Mm. Well, I mean, that could even be part of it. It probably does keep him sane. If he's been through anything and he's still involved in the business, you'd have to do something. To keep I'm saying, going. I'm saying, just just watch this for a minute. It's so weird. This is our band, the Men's Bones. This is our, our, our choir. Um, we made a record with the choir like about a year, I guess a year and a half ago, two years. And hopefully at the end there's a dance part where all the kids are going to dance. And uh, if you want to go, you can go. You got to go, whatever. No, no, no pressure if you want to leave or if you want to stay or anything. Why are you going to Okay. <laughs> I'm like, what? Ryan Gosling, dude. Look at him. Look at him. That's him. Look at him. He's right there. 
<laughs> Do you think they might have been hoping for a little bit of Mozart, actually? Is it? <laughs> I'm not really sure. <laughs> You know, okay, so I think, like, do you think this is just like performance art, maybe? That's what yeah. I was thinking, yes. Like, he was very like acting. theater of the absurd type stuff. Yeah. yeah. He played He played at that marionette theater three nights. Three nights in a row. I don't think it's oh, okay. yeah, performative. Well. I think it's what he likes to do. <laughs> you know? Could still be. I mean, Could still yeah, be a new kind of art. What do you what do you think, Ashley? You're you're pretty. You got your thumb on the pulse with uh, with pop culture generally. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's weird. You know. I was just watching like the people that if this is an old folks home, it just reminded me of how it's easy to take your freedom for granted. Um. You know, like. They're in an old folks home. And, and so even no matter if they like this or not, they're getting live entertainment. Well, the guy goes, uh, when are we getting fed? You know? Yeah. They, they, <laughs> it's like, I, they don't give a fuck about. There's always once. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, but it was like, it was a bummer just thinking about oh, an old folks home. Is, the whole and thing it's is creepy. weird. And weird and dark and creepy and weird. Yeah. Yeah. But then so is that other one that you brought, the Chimex theory. I know. I know. I'm just What's saying. What's this dimension that's sort of started pushing <laughs> this absurdity nonsense almost? It's, I called it the what the fuck forum for a fucking <laughs> good reason. You know, I don't know. I don't know. But here's Ryan, you know, and uh Yeah. No, I just had an image from fucking, uh, you know, here's Johnny fucking The Shining, you know. Yeah. Here's Ryan. Here's fucking Ryan. <laughs> I'm saying. I like some of his movies, man. I do. But, like, I'm getting weird vibes with this shit. Yeah, well, when's this one? Is this uh, very Four, old? Uh, thir- 13, 14 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Dead Man's Bones is, like, dead. Um, but but it happened Got it. and it's still out there. And I, you know what I, you know, part of me wants to like comment like incessantly on like all of their videos mm-hmm. and see if I can get a response from like, cause I, I think Ryan Gosling might've uploaded this shit himself. I'm like, maybe I should just bother him until I get him on the podcast and be like, what, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> yeah, it is, it is it- squeakiest wheel. <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of like the Tim Burton, um, yeah, Johnny yeah. Depp collab, you know, and Johnny Depp has his own band and Keanu Reeves has his own mm-hmm. band and Russell Crowe, uh, he's got his own band. Yeah. So it's, but it reminds me more of um, like this Tim Burton kind of vibe. Very much. Like, yeah. Try to be abstract. Oh, somebody said Joe not a fed said the exact same thing. Oh, um, hello, Joe. That he is a huge fan of the absurd and it has a very Tim Burton feel. Yeah, I would say that. You know, yeah. part of me, part of me, almost wants to give him like the benefit of the benefit of the doubt. Like he's he's a creative type, and maybe he, like the rest of us, is just trying to figure his way 
towards the truth, you know, like, and like dabbling in these weird realms is part of that. Maybe that's being too generous. Um, I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, drizzle, drizzle. What do you think? Yeah, pretty boys you. are usually sensitive like that, so like <laughs> that you might not be far off. <laughs> are you calling me a pretty boy or no? Uh... I'm calling him a pretty boy. Because <laughs> okay. okay. if you want to get a response from him, that's that's how you want to go about doing it. Well, did oh, you, gotcha. Did to his that... oh, yes. oh, I see. I see. Okay. Oh, not call him a pretty boy. <laughs> Well, no, absolutely know. call him a pretty boy. Oh, okay. And, and do it in such a way that it's an obvious insult. You know. Did y'all see what um Fido shared in the telegram where it was like the uh the benefits and the challenges of being quote unquote gifted? Yeah. That oh man, I mean like when I see Ryan Gosling here doing these weird things, I'm, I'm thinking like, it's this weird, like dichotomy of like you like talent, but like uncertainty because of like talent, you know, like, am I, I, I might be talking off my ass here, but Stella, did you, did you read that thing that Fido gave out? I'm trying to find it. I did not read the article. I just read her reply uh, her summary about it or her opinion about it oh here it is um just a second yes but i i mean the education system is certainly not set up for uh unscheduled geniuses geniuses <laughs> right right only the All controlled right, so, ones Actually, so here it is well, it, it is it's set up to identify them very early yeah, I guess. Yep. So this here, maybe I can share it. Um, nah, I'm not even going to fuck with that. I don't know, because I sort of look back and I just think maybe because my era was a little bit older. <laughs> um, but I'm just not sure that they really recognized. I, like I think back to some of the people in my you know, vicinity at school. And you can sort of see why they were getting in trouble a lot because they were really smart. <laughs> But it wasn't recognized as such. They were just, you know, troublemakers and always made to go outside the classroom and count the bricks, all that sort of thing. Yeah. So, so but really looking back, you sort of think, well, they probably really just needed a bit of culmination, a little bit of extra, you know, encouragement. So to I, I read the article um, that went along with this. And the premise is that instead of giving gifted students like a separate class, you should give them extra counseling because they're probably having a hard time coping with being quote unquote, you know, gifted in a, in a public school kind of setting. So let me just read you. I, I won't go, I probably won't do the whole thing, but uh, let me read you the first couple of these. So characteristics, strengths and associated difficulties with gifted adults. Okay. It says characteristic strengths and associated difficulties. These are our two categories. Able to see potential, has high expectations of self and others, thinks critically. Challenge, need for success and recognition, intolerant of others, may seek excessive 
excessively high standards ahead of the times. All right. Strength acquires and retains information quickly. Challenge impatient with slow slowness of others may be seen as a know-it-all strength large store of information in advanced areas diverse interests and abilities multi-talented challenge career decision problems frustrated over lack of time feeling different from others existential aloneness may be seen at, by others as always in control okay that's probably enough but you get the point like i don't know i w i was glad fido shared that because it makes sense like it's why this forum is fun because i think we're all those people right there I don't know. Am I, am I, I didn't want to know. say nothing. Yeah. We're all well, equally I mean, autistic in, in the same right. kind of way. Yeah. Well, yeah, but none of us seem to have the fluoride stare. Right. Right. I hope yeah. so. we're, we're functioning well, at a different level from what the rest of the folks seem to be doing. Yeah. Same. Or maybe they yeah. got us fooled. Who knows? You know, yeah, I've often wondered that. Well, and uh, I like, I guess I, part of me is like, I'm like, maybe Ryan Gosling's like not such a bad guy. I don't know. He's it's like a weird thing. I'm like, I'm like, maybe he's dabbling with the occult and I'm not so into that. But like, he's, you know, he's put, I actually, I actually like the music. That's, that's what's getting me. I like the music. I listen to like the whole thing. All of it. I'm like, yeah, I didn't mind it. Yeah, it's interesting. It's creepy, me, but interesting. Me, I'll give you just a little more. Um, here.
we're still here. It's a long intro. <laughs> For the, those this, listening. <laughs> this is this is the creepiest of all of his uh, music videos. I'm really digging I, this actually. I, I'm really I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Very, very interesting. Wow. Wow. You know, I'm 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 leaning on giving Ryan the benefit of the doubt here and saying he is just a creative guy who played around in this weird space, this weird musical, creepy Halloween-y kind of space. Yeah, you know, I, I, I have I have little reason not to like what I'm seeing, even though I, I I set it up as like, oh, how weird is it that he has a children's choir? No, I you know, I think I think it's actually cool as shit, man. You yeah, know? and you know that's another thing that they sort of do is they demonize perfectly innocent things as well because you know it's almost like. Every time the word children comes into anything now, it's sort of like, huh, what? Or somebody died, huh, what? Were they, you know, it's just this sort of, we've got to be careful not to be in this molded way of thinking as well. Right. But yeah, right. I think this is cool as hell. Um, I'd like to know wow. his connection his, his connection with the kids. Like, are they children that went to his school or well, like, did I miss that? Apparently this uh, children's choir was started by Flea from, oh, the, that's Red, right. yeah, yeah. from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Um, so it's like an LA thing, right? Um, mm. Be interesting to know a bit more about that. Like they're they're probably the type of kids where if they got trafficked, you would actually hear about it. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like their parents have power. So I I don't think Ryan Gosling is trafficking kids. Is my point. I think he's just making some kind of wild music here interesting art yep interesting art yeah yeah that wishbone video right with the little machine how weird was that oh yeah but, but really cool really cool 
I was like, I was, I was captivated. Let me, let me play you the rest of this. Guys, I, you know, I don't know much. I don't know much, but I know I want to buy a truck I'm not allowed to buy. And I know that Ryan Gosling makes weird fucking music. What I, you know, I don't know. Other than that, that's all I got. I think that's a good summary. Yeah. Two things we can be sure of today. ahead well uh any any thoughts i mean i could throw you like one more ryan gosling song it's funny because for a guy with so much publicity and like notoriety like i really don't worry about us getting copyright stricken for dead man's bones because like it doesn't seem that many people give a fuck no, you're gonna get the copyright strike for the the TEDx the TED talk. The TED yeah. talk, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I guarantee it. But I'm gonna go ahead and uh, jump out because it's right. uh, getting late here in the piney woods. But it was nice hanging out with you all again, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Yeah, well, good to drizzle, see you, drizzle. drizzle. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Yes, I'm also going to bow out guys thank you then (laughs) all right yeah it is late over there isn't it yep getting on it is it's midnight here good to see you um yeah you too i'll talk to you later okay all All right right. see you man love guts (laughs) got it in well hey i mean we could we could just kill it here um yeah, I probably should go and do a few things, Mike. Um, that's right. I'm really I'm really glad. I feel actually quite inspired. I was sort of watching a few things in that clip because it's such a simple, like even just the way it's shot, sort of kind of creepy almost. It's sort of like grandma up the back of the theatre shot it mm-hmm. on the potato camera. Um, 
but yeah, really interesting, really creative stuff in that. Like so many are really, I don't know whether they're original ideas, but they're certainly a conglomeration of some really creative things. It was very interesting. I'll say, I'll say. Well, I'll let you go, Stella. I think I'm going to close it out with one more song just because, like, that's what my my gut says. Um, all right. Well, I'll stay for one more song. Okay. All right. I'd be happy to do that. Yeah. Well, um, let me pull it up here. Oh, shoot. See, Thanks for I'd... joining us here again, Joe, and yeah. everyone else who stuck it out or the people who didn't thanks for being here earlier always good interaction all right here's here's the one here's the one okay yeah and shout out to ando uh burn babylon burn we've got stella still hanging in but ashley uh who else who else was in here tonight Drizzle. With Drizzle. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, me, you. That was no, everyone. Ashley. Yep. yep. All right. All right. Well, all right. Oh, no. Um, um, oh, yeah. Don. What's his, what's what's his, his name? His name? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so fucking long ago. It's like at least half an hour. Right. Um, oh, that's pretty bad. Isn't uh, it? We'll, we'll have to figure it out. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out. But yeah. Dan. 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 There you go. And C. Apologies, Dan. All right. This will be fun. We'll just wrap it up with this. But this is like, dude, I'm saying, who the fuck is this Ryan Gosling guy? And why is he making art art like this? It's kind of crazy. In the valley of your rest, where winds are black as midnight breath, where hands can't find the light to loose, the chains that keep me far from you. So dead men's bones must wait to rise from the house where shadows cry. But all this must change October 6th when our ghosts will leave their world for this, to dance with us at twilight time and bring your hand to lie in mine. <laughs> <laughs> October sixth. Oh, well, okay. that was that was when they played at the Marionette Theater, if I'm not oh, mistaken, right. uh, for three nights. It was. I, I might be mistaken. They yeah. um, they did they did a handful of shows, but it's uh, 
don't know. It's just, it's just, it's too weird, man. It's too weird. Yeah, they had real shades. I mean, that's got shades of old Hollywood all the way through it, hasn't it, Joe? You can see yeah, that. Yeah, 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 um, totally. Oops. There was um, quite a bit of, well, that, that uh, guy at the beginning doing the commentary, that was very Vincent Pricey. Uh, if anyone knows who that is, like uh, Alice Cooper, welcome to my nightmare. If anybody out there is familiar with that, I know that Joe would be. Um, at the very beginning. Oh, and also he did the intro for Michael Jackson's thriller. So at the very beginning, that's mm. Vincent Price, the one, the guy that's talking, mm-hmm. just in case anybody's not familiar. But, yeah, had shades of that, like, old sort of school, like a tip of the hat. He's an old school Hollywood guy. Yeah. Mm. Yep, he is very old, old, like old black and whites, pretty much. <laughs> I actually met him. Really? Before he died. I have his autograph somewhere, Mr. Vincent Price. Yeah, he was lovely. Wow. That's yeah. cool. Came to Sydney. Okay. Well, I just, you know, for the sake of closure, um, this wishbone video, let's just watch this and then I promise I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> oh, good.
Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, Stella, I like I I'm. Yeah, you've just muted yourself, man. Halfway through. My bad. Um, I'm flabbergasted because I think it's exceedingly beautiful. Hmm. Oh, I'm with you on that. I think it's excellent. I'm really glad you brought that. And I think Joe is too. <laughs> Looks of it. It's, it's Very bizarre. It's bizarre. It's but excellent. It's, well, it's thought thought provoking, isn't it? And it's a great example of how pliable an artist can make a mood or how much influence it can have over the feeling of a person. I mean, we're sitting here like pretty glued, like intrigued. You know, it's not a it's not a um, I don't know Britney Spears clip where it's all just surface substanceless. It's not so simple. It's you not know? so simple. Yeah. Yeah, it's a level of um, thought that <laughs> we've sort of almost been deprived of at this point. Um, well, and again, if, we're going back fourteen years now, so twelve years, whatever. Well, if there's one thing I want to do on this forum is like bring shit that makes us. I don't know. I just I, I just don't want to be boring. You know, I'm like, I'm sick of the same bullshit. Yeah. Over and over. I want to yep. I want to think about some other shit. I want to look at some other shit. And I don't know that, that I just found that so fascinating. Like, I think Ryan Gosling might be quite the artist. It's too bad. It doesn't seem like he's uh, doing this no more. But so did you sort of look into him a little bit to see if he well, what he it's is doing him, or it's it was him and another guy and I should probably look into the other guy and see what he's been up to. Hmm. I forget his name but um either way I just you know I think there's something here you know as usual I'm like I think we're just opening a can of worms without like really getting to the bottom of it. But I don't know. It's oh, I don't know. I just I just think it maybe it is what it is. You know, it's an artist yeah. Yeah. doing an artist's thing. Um, yeah. Probably had it pent up inside him for a number of years, and he finally got the opportunity to uh, I don't know whatever happened in his life or <laughs> whatever. We don't know. Well, I'll, I'll say this: if I ever do throw a music festival, I think I wouldn't mind <laughs> dead, dead man's bones coming and performing. Uh, that would be great. That'd be cool. But yeah, I don't know. What do you say? Should we should we sign off here? I think uh, I think we might as well. Oh uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Unless there's something else that anyone wants to bring. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for yeah. Ryan Gosling's film record isn't quite average. He does a lot of movies that are not quite mainstream. Right? Okay, Joe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he does drive. Um, Place Between the Pines. I mean, I can think of a handful of movies that he was the star, but they were very unique kind of movies. Um, Blue Valentine. Uh, yeah, there's... he he He's kind of... I don't know. He's different. We'll say that. He's definitely different in a very nice way. Yeah. He's a true artist, I think. That's Cert that's what he certainly, is. Certainly, certainly talented. Yeah, yeah. And and maybe not bogus. Maybe not totally bogus. You know, I don't know. Well, I like the way 
there's nothing extravagant about any of that either. It's all been mm-hmm. shot in very simple places. There's nothing special. There's no huge costumes or money spent Yeah. by the looks of it. It's yeah. all very much just pure creativity. So, yeah, good on him. <laughs> nice one. Well, and I'll say I think, <clears throat> you know, I'm biased, but good on us. I think we're, I don't know, we're doing something that nobody else is doing here. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, sh- I should hope. I should hope. All right. Well, let's. Uh, I, yeah, I'm gonna quit kissing my own ass. And uh, yeah, it's uh, as usual a pleasure. And look at me. Uh, yeah. Well, I gotta pull up the outro. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. we already shouted everybody out, but this is yeah, Mike the Polymath Easy Peasy Podcast, and see uh, ya, Joe. Welcome, all. my good friend Stella Q. Apologies, not the smoothest. That sound guy, what a guy. I need, I need help over here. I need a backup homie to run all the sound. We'll All right, well, call me, man. Call me. Yeah, I can do yeah. this. <laughs> All right. All right. I appreciate it. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thank uh, you. See you, Mike. Always look forward yep. to this. And um, love your guts, everyone. Love your guts. We'll see you next time. <laughs>